It's the Mixed Martial Arts Hour with The Mixed Martial Arts Hour back in your life on this Monday, September 23rd, 2013. A happy 200th episode to all of you. I say it's to all of you because it has always been about all of you. We've always tried to make this show as great as it can be every single week. And honestly, I try, as I've said on this show before, I try to book the show every week like it is some kind of anniversary show. But for this one, 200, I felt like I had to step it up a notch. And honestly, it, it was it was eating at me for months and weeks and days leading up to the show. How am I going to make this show special? How am I going to get the biggest names in the world of mixed martial arts to stop by in the span of three to four hours and talk to all of you about what's going on in their lives? And I think... I may have done it, my friends. I am so excited to announce today's guest list. You know it probably by now. If you don't, sit back, relax, strap on your seatbelt. I guarantee, as far as the MMA hour is concerned, you have never been on a ride like this before. In the back, we are being joined by New York Rick. You'll hear from him later on. Buzzkill Brendan in the house. Alfred's in the house. Will's in the house. Everyone is in the house. Everyone is dressed up very nicely. They're wearing tuxedos back there. I don't know if you know this. I thought, you know, I'm going to be talking for a long time. I, I need to dress down a bit. But they're wearing tuxedos. That's how big this show is, my friends. And let me ask you, coincidence or did the MMA gods smile down on us when they put, in my opinion, the greatest fight in UFC history just two days ago at the ACC in Toronto, Ontario, Canada? Let's not forget UFC 165 less than 48 hours ago. Alexander Gustafson. John Jones put on, in my opinion, the greatest fight, not just in UFC history, not just in UFC light heavyweight title history, in the history of this sport. I am still on a high thinking about that fight. I cannot believe what we witnessed. Uh, it was, in my opinion, theater at its finest as far as MMA, sports are concerned, the heart that we saw. It was great stuff, and I can't wait to talk about it with all of you here today. Okay, let's run down the guest list, and then let's get right to it. In the fourth hour... We're going to be taking your questions and comments. Hit us up using the hashtag, the MMA Hour, and we want to give back. Like I said, to the fans, up for grabs, good friends at uh, Tops, UFC Finest, 2013 trading cards, Ronda Rousey, George St. Pierre. They're on the, uh, the box. We're giving out one of these to our fans, okay? So hit us up using the hashtag, the MMA Hour. Leave a question in the comment section below. 3.50 p.m. Eastern time, just added. Referee, Big John McCarthy, he had the best seat in the house on Saturday night. He was in the cage with John, with Alexander. We'll talk to him, particularly about what happened between rounds four and five and what he said to the commission doctor. 3.40, Greg Jackson, trainer for John Jones. We'll talk to him about not being in John's corner on Saturday night. We'll hear from him. Then at 3.30, we're going to be joined by George St. Pierre, making his first appearance in the history of the MMA Hour. George St. Pierre stopping by talking about UFC 167. How about at 3.05? We're going to be talking to Anderson the Spider Silva, making another appearance on the show, getting ready for his big fight against Chris Weidman at UFC 168. Can't wait to hear from the Spider. Stone Cold Steve Austin. He'll be stopping by at 2.45 p.m. Eastern time. A huge mixed martial arts fan will talk to Stoke Cold. 2.25 p.m. Eastern. Conor McGregor, the notorious one, the pride of Ireland. He'll be stopping by talking about his ACL surgery and the road back to the UFC. Chris Weidman just mentioned him. 
He'll be talking to us at 2.05 as he's in Los Angeles for that big UFC World Press Tour. 145, one of our favorites, the outlaw, Dan Hardy. What's going on with him? Will he fight again? We'll hear from the outlaw at 145. And then the bad guy. He finally decides to grace us with his presence again. Chael Sonnen stopping by. Chael P. in the house at 125. But I had to do something special for our first guest. And so I went to our first guest. The first guest in the history of this show, when it was known as Fight House Radio, was that man. The California Kid, Uriah Faber. And now he joins us again on episode 200. Uriah, how are you? Doing good. What's up, dude? I'm doing great. And uh, I'm very happy that you're joining us first, kicking things off. And before we get into it, let's just go back in the time machine. Let's just play that clip. When you first joined us in your bed, following the Mike Brown fight, the second Mike Brown fight, <laughs> you were very tired, a little banged up, but you graced us with your, with your presence, even though you didn't even know who we were. You didn't know that one day I would become your favorite MMA journalist, the guy you love to talk to, but you did it anyway, and I appreciate it. Let's hear a couple seconds from that. Let's go to it back in June of 2009. Mr. Faber, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? All right. Well, welcome. Uh, we are, we're coming at you live here from uh, the premiere edition of uh, Fight House Radio. We've got Ariel Hawani in studio here in New York. I'm being joined by Mike Rubens and MDS, Michael David Smith in Chicago. And I appreciate you uh, waking up early for us here. It must be tough when you're on this sort of uh, mini vacation over in California. I believe it's like nine o'clock in the morning. So thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. This is the first show, huh? This is the first one, man. We wanted to come out with the big guns. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Well, let's talk about those guns of yours. That's, an, that's a good segue. That's, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Um, you obviously injured your, your right hand in your, uh, like I just said, an epic five-round title fight. So there you have it. Even back then, Uriah, I was talking about your physique, the big guns. <laughs> you know what to look for. You got, a, you got good taste in arms, I guess. Do you even remember <laughs> that interview? I do, just because I listened to it again. Okay. And I was pretty much asleep for that interview. But it was a great interview. I think I said right at the end of it, I said, good job, guys. Great interview. Well, I appreciate and, uh, that. In all honesty, I felt like it could have used a little more uh, Ariel Hawani. It could have been, you could have been the cowbell uh, for, <laughs> for that first episode a little bit more. Well, you thank you very saying? much. And uh, it's enough looking to the past. Let's look to the future. Back then, I was talking very quickly. I might be talking quickly today because I'm so excited. But uh, I think I've calmed down a little bit and gotten a little better. But you're the, you're the same old Uriah. Did you cut your hair, by the way? I cut a little bit. <clears throat> uh, I had to. I was doing a little part in a in a movie. I filmed it like months prior, and so I had to cut it back to exactly where it was. Just a really little part. Nothing to really talk about here. But now you're gonna ask what you yes, question. I I, <laughs> I am gonna ask you uh, what movie and when's it coming out and who's in it. Uh, it's actually called Reach Me. Okay. And we did a a campaign on Kickstarter, which is pretty awesome. And Sylvester Stallone. And a whole bunch of really, really good actors are in it. So check out Reach Me on, on uh, Kickstarter.com. You can see, like, everyone involved. There's some serious acting talent. Myself, not the serious acting. <laughs> do you play yourself? <laughs> What's that? Do you play yourself? No. Do you play with yourself? No, no, no. Do you play yourself? I didn't that say... Thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to celebrate with you, I don't think. Like, <laughs> thanks right. anyways, buddy. When's it coming out? Um, probably early next year. Okay. Well, I'll look out for that. Uh, let's talk about Saturday night. I want to ask all my guests the same question. You watched the main event, right? Yes. Who'd you score it for? You know what? It's hard to say because, 
if I if I if I were to judge it by how the judges are supposed to judge it, I, I would have to say Gustafsson because I think he won the first three rounds. But the the one thing I always give a lot of credit to is is the latter rounds. In the latter rounds, we saw Johnny Bones Jones, you know, bring out the champion heart and, and show some some uh, some resiliency and have to come out of some adversity. And he was landing some nasty kicks, elbows, and like some more damaging blows, even though there are less of them. So, um, but then you see Bones' face and he's all jacked up after the fight, and Gustafsson not so much. So. It was a really, really hard one to call. I would have said on the judges' cards, I thought it should have been Gustafsson, but uh, at the end of the fight, I feel like Bones would have wanted a fight to the death. One of the greatest fights you've ever seen? It was, man, for a couple different reasons. I didn't think about that until you just said it because I was actually in a, uh, doing an appearance in Dallas, and I, I couldn't really listen to the commentary, and I was like, you know, signing autographs and stuff like that, so I didn't get to enjoy it as much, but it was just kept on pulling my attention and everyone in the in the bar was super into the fight and uh and the the thing is it was one of the greatest fighters of all times having a, an amazing fight against another guy who could possibly be in the same boat because they're both 26 so I, I feel like that's a fight we're going to see a couple different times maybe a trilogy maybe more so I, i'm excited for the future of that that matchup i'm sure you were watching the co-main event very closely eddie wineland Man, you fought Henan Brown. Man, you fought uh, Brown with a great finish. Do you agree with Wineland that it was uh, an early stoppage? You know, I, I always tend to to say, look, I didn't. First off, I didn't know he said it was an early stoppage. I would love to in a title fight for the world championship against two guys that are fighting for everything they've ever dreamed of and 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 made goals for and everything else to let them have the benefit of the doubt in those situations, you know? It was a it was a clean shot that caught him in, on the chin with the spinning back kick, and then he followed up with some punches. But, like, this is a world championship fight. It's not like you get these every day, unless you're me, right, Ariel? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, like, let the guy have his final hurrah and, and fight to the finish. Well, right now, Hannah Brow is still the interim champion. Next month, Dominic Cruz will not have fought for two years. Two years. Last time he fought was October of 2011. Do you think it's crazy that he's still the interim champ? I don't know because he's only, he's only fought a couple times himself. It's, it's hard. You know, before I was saying, you know, I don't know if, uh, if it makes sense to strip Dominic Cruz because, you know, everybody's going to want to see him fight the best guys. But at this point, I'm going to fight – a couple of guys that he hasn't fought that I think have a good a good uh, chance of beating him. You know, the last guy I fought is a very well-rounded guy who's tough on the ground, who's tough, you know, standing. And I feel like Dominic hasn't fought him yet. He hasn't fought Michael McDonald yet. I will have fought a couple of guys that, that would have been title shots for Dominic Cruz. So I can kind of see a case to, to make him, you know, you know maybe – Maybe, uh, I don't know if you strip him, but at least make him, you know, bring the conversation up. Who, in your opinion, is the best bantamweight right now? <clears throat> you know, I got to always go with myself on this one. I like it. And, and I, I think, uh, in, in my mind, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm the guy that, 
that has tools to, to, to give anybody trouble in the division. But right now, I, I was legitimately beat by Hanan Burau. So Burau is the guy that is for sure the champion right now. I feel like he's been doing things that other guys haven't. He finished Eddie Wineland impressively. He beat me, not, not like, a, I mean, it was a decision, but he also injured me in the process, which is, you know, you know broke my rib. Um, he's getting an incredible win streak. So uh, right now, Burrell is the man. Dominic, he's he's the man. Also, he's he's. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. To be honest, we gotta let everybody fight. That's the problem. That is the problem. And hopefully, Dominic comes back sooner rather than later. Now, I want to get to your next fight in a second. Of course, you're fighting Michael McDonald in Sacramento on December 14th. But there were talks, and UFC President Dana White has addressed this since then, that you were in the discussion to coach opposite Frankie Edgar on the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. They couldn't come to terms. What exactly happened? Why is BJ Penn coaching opposite Frankie and not you? You know, I can only say what, what, I, what was told to me, and that is that Frankie didn't want to come down to 135s. And I don't know if he didn't want to come down to 35s just the one time. I think he was okay with that. But Dana was going to make him stay down at 135s if he came down. And same thing for me. If I went up to 45s, they are going to make me stay up at 45s. And they didn't want to do a catchweight because they're not into that. It doesn't lead to a title. And, uh, and so I said I would go up to 45s. I'm not sure if Frankie said that he, he would come down to 35s or not. But it might have happened that Dana got a call from BJ, and BJ was like, I want to come back. Just scrap. <laughs> Hilo boy forever. And they're, you know, just push everyone aside and made that happen because that's a big fight also. I mean, it's happened twice, but um, who doesn't want to see BJ Penn come back in the mix, especially at a new weight? I mean, I'm a huge BJ Penn fan, so, um, you know, that's, that's a good one for ratings. Are you disappointed you didn't get the chance, though, to be on the show to fight Frankie? That's a fight that has been talked about for a while, and you guys kind of teased us with that picture. You apparently even had a, a tweet ready, Tupac Biggie, East Coast, West Coast. So it, it sounds to me like you were into the idea. I was really, really excited about the idea. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, I'm about these super fights, you know. Uh, in my opinion, some of the guys I've been fighting that no one really knows are just as dangerous as these guys that – have names and I don't know what's the de determining factor in that, but I'm like, you know, I want big fights. I want the fights that people care about with the, with the champions being out. Um, I haven't had that opportunity and, and this is a sport that I want to look back at and be like, Oh, you know, I did this, I did that, I did this. And fighting a guy like Frankie Edgar, who's in my opinion, a legendary fighter, one of the best pound for pound fighters of all times is something that I would love to do. So, uh, you know, I, I was a little disappointed. But I got my hands full, man. Young Gun, Michael McDonald. I've seen him since he was a kid, and it's in my, in my hometown. It's it's you know has title title contender written all over it, and, and I'm excited about that too. One more thing about Tuff before we get to Michael. Um, why didn't they do you versus BJ? I mean, that's a fight we haven't seen. BJ wants to go, you know, down. Is it because you didn't want to go to 145, or did they not even bring it up? I don't know. I think I think the UFC really likes Frankie. I mean, the guy has put so much into the sport, and he's not one of those guys that uh, really anybody knows his personality too well. I don't think you know. So I feel like it's a it's an opportunity for him to to be a coach. I think it's something that is is something that BJ and I have done before. Um, and I don't know. It was never in the discussion. I don't really know if I'd want to fight BJ. I mean, that would be a cool fight, but 
I really like BJ. You know, BJ is my buddy, and I mean, it doesn't really. It's not the the fight that really I'm screaming for. I think a lot but of people want to. See- but it wasn't offered to me. That's for sure. All right. So then you did get. Michael McDonald, you mentioned that, you know, you guys are from Northern California, same kind of stomping grounds. You're obviously a little older than he is. When did you first hear about this kid? And did you think that he might cross your path at some point? I spoke to him actually on Friday in Toronto, and he said that you were one of those guys when he was coming up. You know, you were obviously at the top of the mountain. And, you know, when you're at the bottom of the mountain, you're not really thinking about, oh, I'm going to fight this guy next, but you were certainly in his thoughts. Was it the same with you when you first saw him? Did you think this kid had what it take, uh, took to really get to the point where you were at? You know, I knew Michael McDonald because of his brother. Uh, Joseph Benavidez actually fought his older brother back in the day, and so I've, I've known those guys, and, and we've had you know, a lot of different encounters. I've been pretty encouraging to the kid ever since I, I've met him. I mean, he's He's such a nice guy, <clears throat> talented kid. He's got like a, a great heart, and um, you know I don't ever doubt anybody. You know, there's guys in my gym right now that should probably be pro that have been with me since they're 10, 11 years old. Joseph Bopo Morales is one of them. Angelo Trevino, uh, Solomon Admahar. These are kids that have been with me since they're really young and are now able to beat me up on occasion. So it's it's a uh, it's kind of one of those things where. You never count anybody out, and, and he's a super dangerous guy. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the matchup. I, I need those fights that are dangerous to really get my, get my juices flowing, get me motivated to, to go out and, and have my best performance. When you were talking super fight in Boston, a lot of people got very excited thinking about guys like Edgar. This is probably the biggest non-title fight you can get at 135. You're saying even though it's not a quote-unquote super fight, it's still exciting for you? Very exciting. This is, this is why I, I go into the sport is to fight the guys that are the best guys in the world. And there's no doubt that Michael McDonald, in my opinion, is the most dangerous striker in our division. I mean, he knocks guys out. He rocks everybody. Uh, he's, he's smaller but faster than, than most of the guys. You know, I feel like he could probably, you know, it might be hard, but he could maybe make a run at 25s, even mm-hmm. though he's probably grown still as a 22-year-old. Um, I mean, he's just—he's a scary kid, period. And and that that has to excite you because the real motivator in there is instinctual. It's it's are you in a dangerous spot and you need to prove that you can survive and prove that you're the man and prove that you are the better fighter. And, and I'm gonna have to do that with every ounce of my effort. It's obviously been a while since you fought in Sacktown. Obviously, we'll never forget you versus Pulver. Aldo, Mike Brown, like the, the, the way the crowd reacts to you there when that music hits is unbelievable. Are you looking forward to it because you miss it? Or is it, does it come with a lot of distractions, a lot of you know, pressure, a lot of uh, nuisances and things like that fighting so close to home? You know, it does come with a, with a lot of responsibility. The bottom line is it's really good for our city. I mean, it brings a ton of cash into the, the economy. People are excited about it. It, it you know, brings a lot of attention to our team, which is really the the biggest professional team in our town, aside from the Sacramento Kings, is Team Alpha Male. So um, when I really look at it, it's a really, really great opportunity. I love feeling that energy from the crowd, but it does have a, have a couple of things that, that make it kind of a hassle, but uh, they're, they're definitely a lot more benefits than hassles. 
By the way, you mentioned Team Alpha Male. Uh, Benavidez is fighting uh, Johnson once again on November 30th. And this is the first time since you linked up with Bang Ludwig that a member of the team will be fighting for the belt. That's why I find this rematch so interesting because now we're going to see, all right, did Bang really make... Because you guys were winning these fights beforehand. But right. will he get you the UFC title? Do you agree that this is the fight that, you know, obviously every fight's different and things can happen, but this is the fight that a lot of people will be looking at to see whether or not Bang Ludwig has truly made a difference for the team? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different talk about, you know, things that are happening in this world. Dwayne has definitely had a huge impact, but, you know, we brought him in here to, wear, to win his belts. You know, that's what, that's what this whole move was about. And uh, we're, we're, we've been doing our, our, doing our time for 10 years myself, Joseph for six, seven years, Chad for five, six years, uh, TJ Dillashaw, you know, four years now, Danny Castillo. Everybody's been putting in their time for years and years and years. And those belts are, are what we're after. So um, this isn't going to be the last opportunity we get, as you know, and you, you, know, you always bring that up. But it's because we've been killing ourselves for years and years and years to make this happen. And I think Dwayne's uh, extra, extra help is going to be the difference. And this will be the first in, in, the, uh, in the saga of the Dwayne Ludwig era. So uh, I'm excited for it. And there's going to be a lot more opportunities. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that Joseph can't wait for himself. On the, uh, the post-fight show, we just have two minutes left. We appreciate the time very much. On the post-fight show on Saturday, I said that if Cruz can't come back to fight Barrao next, I'm looking at the winner of Dillashaw versus Rafael Sunsau next month in, in Brazil as a potential number one contender. What happens if Dillashaw wins, fights Barrao, wins, and you're up there as well? What do you do then? I don't know. Maybe look for some more of those super fights. Okay. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I could always, you know move around, do whatever. I, I'm, in, I'm in no rush to, to try to, uh, you know, get the belt. I just take the opportunities that are given to me. I think there's a lot of fights that people want to see, but I don't really feel like fighting TJ uh, at the moment. He'd have to ask me if I would fight him and, like, be really genuine, like, can you please fight me for that to happen? You know, it's not really exciting for me. But if he did that, what would you say? I'd say <clears throat> know, we'd have to have that discussion across that bridge when we get there. Fair enough. Hey, by the way, I saw you tweeted that you have a, a new contract. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. You want to tell us the terms? Yeah. Is it a good deal? You want me to you know, just make sure it was, a, it was a proper deal, that one that you deserve and whatnot? You got everything you needed, all that stuff? I, I can <laughs> advise you, and then maybe if you haven't officially signed it, you can go back and get some more. Okay, Shay, I'll, maybe I'll send it to you. You can look it over and tell me what you think. Okay, well, you can say now. It's a big show. You know, people expect big things on a big show. It's an eight-fight deal, and I just basically told Dan and Lorenzo, like, you know, sign me up. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to fight any other, other organization. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a UFC guy for life, and, and uh, so we just made it official, tied the knot. Eight fights, really? That's great. You're going to retire a UFC fighter. For sure. Will you will you go past the eight? Is the eight just a number? Is that the number that you want to retire at? Why eight? Ah, uh, that that was their number. I just uh, I just said thanks for the offer. And <laughs> signed the Do you think you'll go past eight though? Uh, let me see. I had four fights this year. I have 
if I did three to four fights, yeah, I'll probably go past eight. It's interesting. Four fights this year. You beat Michael McDonald. You go 4-0 in 2013. We could talk about Uriah's fighter of the year. It's very rare to go 4-0 in the UFC in a year, in a calendar year. It is. It is. I'll be yeah. banging that drum for you. I appreciate that. Even though twice... <laughs> what's that? Get some new windows tonight. <laughs> Even though twice you've uh, tried to take a, a jab at me saying that, oh, I talk about the towel shots, I will bang that drum for you. All right, Uriah? Thank you. I appreciate that. You joined, Thanks for banging that. <laughs> well, you know, bang Ludwig, bang the drum. Um, Uriah, you joined us back uh, in June of 2009, our first show, first guest. Appreciate you stopping by. It means a lot to me. Thank you so much, and good luck against Michael. All right. Thank you, Ariel. You've come a long way, buddy. Thank you. It's only, only going up from here. Congratulations on uh, an awesome 200, 200 shows, and uh, look forward to being back on, on the show soon. There he is, the California kid stopping by, one of the best in the business, faces Michael McDonald, December 14th in Sacramento, California. Okay, let us go to our next guest. They get bigger and bigger every time we switch to a new guest. This time, it's the man who once famously said to me just a few months ago, I'm too big for your show. I can't carve out a few minutes for a colleague. I can't do that. But for 200, he stopped by. Of course, I'm talking about Chael P. Sonnen, my colleague on UFC Tonight. Chael, are you really there? Ariel, of course I'm here. I'm a man of my word, brother. This is the gangster way. If I say I'll do it, I will do it. Wow, it is so great. I thought you'd never uh, grace us with your presence here because you've moved on to such bigger and better things. But this means a lot to me. Let me ask you, I'm asking everyone on the show today because we're coming off one of the greatest, if not the greatest fights in UFC history and MMA history. Who'd you score it for? I had Gustafson, but I do not uh, dispute the decision. It was very close. It could, could have gone either way. Uh, perhaps if I rewatched it, I'd have a different answer. But when the fight was over, I did think we were going to hear a new uh, UFC champion. Do you respect John? Of course, you've had your history with him, but do you respect him a little more after a fight like that, that he was able to withstand that kind of pressure and that onslaught from Gustafson, which a lot of people didn't expect, by the way? Absolutely. Yeah, his stock definitely went up. You know, John made a comment after the fight. He said, I, I just wasn't really uh, feeling on tonight. When he rewatches that fight, not only will he realize he was on, but uh, that will be one of his proudest moments. You know, it's dealing with that adversity that makes any great leader, right? even if you're talking about a president, you know, you really can't say a guy was the best president ever if he didn't deal uh, with a crisis situation and find out how he reacts and performs. And, uh, and John stepped up, no, no, no doubt about that. You know, it's interesting, in the build-up to the fight, you were actually the one who kept bringing up his toe, the toe he injured against you. And I was thinking, well, I don't know, this seems like much ado about nothing. But when you look at him, um, you know, getting all those takedown stuff, then, of course, he, he later injured his, his foot even more. Do you think back now that maybe the toe was a bigger factor and it should have been played up more? I know you asked him about it in a great interview that aired last week on Fox Sports 1, but you watch what happened in the cage on Saturday did you think to yourself, that toe really isn't 100%? Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's, that's exactly right. And, you know, if a guy says his toe is ready, that doesn't always mean physically it's ready. It just means, look, this isn't going to slow me down. I think John was pretty candid about that. But I do wish in that interview I would have pressed him more. It, it really isn't physically possible for it to have healed. And I know we had a, a gentleman on uh, UFC tonight, the highest rated and highest watched uh, show in all of Fox Sports. Uh, and he said, he goes, well, look, it was such a clean break. I think it will heal, heal well. 
that was one guy's opinion. I, I, I talked to many other doctors who've also just shared their opinions, but they're saying, you know, listen, it's just not possible. This is a tremendous deal that, that ends careers of many athletes that are a little older uh, than John. I think it was a problem. Whether, whether he knows it or not, yeah, I think it was a problem. When I was watching that fight, I couldn't help but think of UFC 117 because the whole time I was like, this is happening. This is happening before our eyes. The king is going to be dethroned. A lot of people weren't expecting it. It reminded me of your fight against Anderson Silva. Were you thinking that same thing? You know, I don't know if I ever had that actual thought, but, it, you know, I, I did think we were witnessing history, and, uh, and, and I did think that John would, would shut down uh, and wilt. And and he did it. He did it at all. Um, you know, back to your original point. Did, do do I respect him even more now? And the answer is yes. Uh, it was just so hard. You know, something that people have to understand in that fight. And in the fourth round, we really saw it with those elbows and the spinning elbows and the step in and the lead elbows that John landed. And that is, you can't practice those. John can hit mitts or he can throw those at the air, but. The only time you actually can throw those at a target is in a fight. If, if you do that stuff in practice, you'll, you won't have any partners. You'll put them out. So for John to be that spot on, that accurate, while his eye is bleeding, while he's physically exhausted, while he's stressed and worried about losing uh, his championship and to still keep fighting that target uh, was really quite remarkable from an athletic standpoint. Do you agree with me when I say that's the best fight in UFC history? Yes, the, the best fight in history. And, and, and there's some guys that were saying, oh, this is one of the best fights in the history of the light heavyweight division. <laughs> I'm going, eh, you, you don't need to narrow it down that far. That's the best fight in, in the light heavyweight division history. I don't, I don't think there's any argument there. And, you know, we do have short-term memories. You, know, you, you and I are as guilty of this as anybody where, uh, you know, next week we see another great fight, and we declare it the greatest fight right. in history. It's, the greatness is something that we have to be reminded of very often as human beings. But with all of that said, yes, that's my vote. That's the fight. Best of all time. Now, you mentioned the interview with, uh, with uh, John last week. Is it, is it a, a, an ongoing transition for you to take the fighter hat off, put on the TV analyst hat on, and keep switching back and forth? Like, to be, you know, you see a lot of athletes try to go on TV and play TV guy. The transition isn't smooth. You do it better than anyone, and you're an active fighter. A lot of these guys are retired fighters. Is that a tricky thing for you? Uh, well, first off, thank you for that compliment. And, uh, you know, yeah, a little bit it is, because there is a very specific role and a very uh, specific integrity uh, that comes along with the job. And, and when you put that suit on and when, when you go on air, uh, you know, and I can't, it can't be about me. Let's say I was interviewing, uh, you know, one of my colossal enemies in this sport, Vandalay Silva. <laughs> uh I can't and I would not uh, use that platform to take shots at him. I, I would have to conduct an interview. It would have to be about him. I would show him appreciation uh, for his time that he's given us, and, and it would be an opportunity for him to get his message out. But that is a little bit tricky at times because uh, it, it is also a great opportunity uh, to promote something or, or get something uh, going, to pick a fight, uh, if that's what you want to do. But at the same time, you know, I was behind the desk one night when, when Vitor Belfort uh, fought, he fought uh, Rockhalt, and he won, and he calls me out. or, or something. He, he said something where he brings up my name. I thought he called me out. It turned out he called me a cow. Uh, 
but at any rate, it's it's not my night. I can't just come on and start yelling at Vitor. It's not my night. It's Vitor's night. Vitor's the one that was in the ring that got this uh, spectacular win, knocks out the number five guy in the world. Um, but there is a, a where I have to remind myself a little bit. Hey, I'm not Chael the fighter right now, and this is this is this athlete's night, whether uh, uh, he said my name or not. It's his night. More to that point, Dana White said last week that you need to know when not to be a comedian. Did you hear those comments? And uh, do you agree with him that there's a time and a place for some of the, some of the comments as a fighter and then as an analyst? Oh, well, there definitely is. And, and I did hear his comments. And, you know, you've got to understand a couple of things about Dana. First off, you know, I've been with him for eight years. He's, he's not just a boss to me. He's a very close friend. Uh, but he also wears a mentor role. He's a guy I look up to. He's a guy who I study and copy uh, in many ways. So that's not always going to be Moonlight and Canoes. And, and you know this, too. I mean, every now and then Dana grabs you and, and, and says something that isn't pleasant to hear, but that doesn't mean it's not constructive. You know, you, you and Dana have a very public uh, and very fun banter, um, but you've got to listen to those things. You know, when, when a guy who's, who's created the industry and is an expert uh, in all aspects of the industry, wants to give you advice, you got to shut up and you have to listen uh, to that advice. So, yeah, he is right, but uh, look, it's fun for me to entertain. I, I enjoy that, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that sometimes you have to put the reins on. Uh, do you regret what you said on that show? Uh, no, well, here's what you have to understand. I don't ever, I'm an employee there. Right. I own stock in the company, but I don't own the company. So it, it gets done their way, and, and that's it. And, and, you know, if you want to look at chain of command or comp- compare it to the military, uh, there is a chain, and you don't question and you don't push back. You, you listen, you shake your head, and that's it. And whether, whether I like it or not, uh, that's it. You mentioned uh, Vanderlei Silva. He told our website, MMAfighting.com, this morning, uh, this quote, and I wanted to get your reaction. Quote, I want to beat him up in front of all his fr- uh, friends, him being you. I want them to watch how bad I will destroy him. I'd be down to fight in his backyard. You can call all his friends. I want Sonnen to feel ashamed of how bad he'll be beaten by me. Your response. Yeah, well, it's just silly. I mean, first off, we're both fighters. And anytime one fighter threatens to, to beat up the other fighter, you, you kind of scratch your head and go, well, yeah, yeah, that, that's what we're doing here. You know, thank you for stating the obvious. And the other thing is, you know, look, it's tough with Vandalay. He's terrible. I'm going to fight Vandalay. I want to fight Vandalay. The worst thing that I can do is to say he's terrible. It doesn't do me any good to beat him up then. It doesn't bring any, any eyes to the television set when, when you tell people the outcome. But the reality is he's just terrible. It's very hard to take him serious. And I also know it goes on behind the scenes, and so do you. You know good and well that this is a huge fight that people have wanted to see for years. Vandalay's version is I'd really love to do it, but the UFC just hasn't offered it to me. For anyone to believe the UFC hasn't tried to put on this colossal mega fight between two guys that genuinely disdain each other is more than silly. It's a level of ridiculousness. Of course they tried to do the fight, and of course Vandalay won't accept the fight. But I'm sure he came on your show and said otherwise. So what do you make of that? At this point, do you just take the offer back? Because it feels like we keep getting teased by I mean, in Boston, that promo was so great. I wanted to see the fight that night. And then he comes back with something like this. I mean, you took a fight. You're fighting November 16th. 
and Dana said he's injured. But, I mean, he, he never said that when people were saying, where's the fight? Dana was saying pay-per-view points. He's putting out videos that he wants to fight you. But then at the end, oh, he's injured. So at some point, you just have to kind of move on? Well, it's, it's his career. I mean, I've moved on a long time ago. I don't want to bully a guy. If, if there's guys I want to fight or I try to pick a fight with, and they tell me no, I'm out. I will never uh, mention it again. I won't pressure him. I won't make him feel bad. Nothing. What I've got with Vandalay is a guy that doesn't want to fight, but he keeps saying he does. So I don't have to back off yet. I don't, I don't feel that I'm bullying Vandalay. Am I picking on him? Yeah, I'm picking on him. I'm picking on him. Uh, you know, this dates way back to when he was fighting in Japan. It, I'm the first guy to ever, you know, and I, and I did it with you on your show, to ever point out the fact that those were fake, that he wasn't winning fights in Japan, that he didn't go 22 and oh, these were set up matches, and it pissed him and Krokop off. But as soon as I said it, other guys started coming out. Going, well, Chael's right. From Gary Goodrich to Mark Coleman to Don Fry, because I was like, yeah, we were in the back, and yeah, these were set up. He's upset about that, but it doesn't change the reality of what happened. Look, let's fight. I'm I'm not mad at the Vanderlei of today. I'm pissed off on on the fakeness that he's living off of of yesteryear. When, when other guys were, were scratching at clones, fighting in legal, sanctioned events here in the States, and another guy's running off with all the fame and money uh, doing works over in Japan. That's really what this is about. So I back it off. I, I really don't care. I, I, he's not going to affect my career one way or the other. I'm going to move on and keep fighting guys, and, and that's it. And, and he can do what he does. You know, I'll tell you one thing interesting, though. You know, Vanderlei Silva calls himself the most popular fighter in the UFC. He might be right. I've been there when Vanderlei's walked through the curtain and the reception that guy wins for having as, as upside down and terrible of a record as he's got. It's, it's incredible. It's awesome. There's people that relate with him and like him and, and good for him. And if this is how he stays relevant, on, on some level, I get it. You know, I get that he, he's got a right to have his fun. What did you think of that NWO-esque uh, call-out video he put out? It was all right. Here's, here's kind of where I scratch my with Vandalay. I ended up in a van with Vandalay one time. We're hanging out all day. We're having a nice time. We had lunch together. We're in Texas. We go to the state capitol. Uh, we meet Governor, uh, you know, Rick Perry. We, we, we meet the Senate and the legislature, uh, legislature. We're with Dana. We're with the UFC executives. We're having a great day. And all of a sudden, he brings out a camera, and he starts mumbling to me something about after I fought uh, Anderson, about, ah, you know, you shouldn't say all that stuff. You, you, you speak like that in Brazil, and you, uh, you lose your teeth. And he's doing this whole routine. I don't have the foggiest idea what he's saying, right? He's mumbling. I don't know what he's saying. So I find out a week later when he puts it on YouTube with subtitles. So you ask me what I think of his, his NWS video. The NWO will say it to your face. They don't mumble and then go back and subtitle it later. I don't even know if it's what he really said. I know it's what he's claiming he's saying. I know it's what the subtitles are saying. But I'm kind of scratching my head going, man, I, I don't even, I don't get this. <laughs> Just a couple of minutes left with Chael, and we really appreciate the time, Chael. Um, up next for you is a good friend. You go from a potential arch nemesis to a friend fight, you and Rashad, colleagues, is it a bummer for you? Like, do you have to find some kind of motivation to get up for this guy? Because you, you like him. I was in a car with you guys in Indianapolis for two straight days, and you guys look like you were pals. 
Yeah, it's it, it is one of those tough spots that you end up in, and and the the problem with Rashad is he's really really good, uh, you know. And when you get these guys that are that are top ten fighters, uh, you got to fight with them. And you know, I, I'm in the same spot. I've had a career and a, a lot of wins, and we just it's just one of those deals where your name's going to come out of the hat. You you end up matched up, and you got to go out and do the competition and. As far as as far as motivation, you know, we're we're both competitors. We get it. Uh, but as far as animosity, it's it's just not there, and uh, and it's just not going to be. Is that tough for you? Is it is it tough for you to go into a fight not feeling that? Uh, it's not my preference. Hmm. Um, it, 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 it's just not the preference. You know, we're in the fight uh, business for a reason to, to to fight, and and there's people out there I don't like, but at the same time. If those people are, are preferring to do their fights over subtitled videos, and the rest of us prefer to do our fights in the octagon, we've got to operate with, within that hierarchy. There's there's not a lot we can do. What does it say to you when you see him training with the uh, the Frankie Edgar team, the Henzo Gracie team in New York, not with the Black Zillions at the beginning of this camp? That is news to me. I didn't know that that was happening. Has he left the Black Zillions? He has not left the Black Zillions, but uh, in fact, on this show, he was uh, en route to the New Jersey area, and he's been tweeting pictures uh, as recently as just a couple of days ago. I, I believe he may still be there or just left. Uh, he's been with Frankie, Henzo, Ricardo Almeida, all those guys. Uh, he is the sort of, you know, the face of the Black Zillions. To not begin his training camp with them, I found to be somewhat surprising. Wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, I find that interesting. I mean, the, you know, the Black Zillions are, are are doing a good job. They got Kenny Monday out there, a, a guy that I look up to uh, and have since I was 12 years old. But I'll tell you what, that team you just described, man, that that sounds pretty awesome too. And, uh, you know, Henzo's royalty in the sport. He's a true legend. Almeida's a, a genius. Frank Yeager happens to be my favorite fighter. Um, really? Uh, my number one favorite fighter is Frankie Edgar. Why? So I, I'm a, I'm envious. Uh, you know why? Geez, why do? How could he not be? Um, Frank, one, he's awesome. Two, it's his style. Three, it's his heart. Uh, even the night he won the championship to go to the Middle East to take on, you know, all the stuff you hear about BJ Penn. I've worked out with BJ Penn many times. This whole BJ is the greatest fighter. BJ's pound for pound the best. That's all real. BJ Penn is. Awesome, uh, and I'm telling you this firsthand. He's as good as the hype. To watch Frankie, you know, find a way past him at that time, uh, and then come back and do it again. Uh, but many other look at his very last fight, the night that uh, Anderson and Weidman fought. You know, it was yeah. incredible. It was this incredible boxing lesson uh, that he put on guys. No reach advantage, no height advantage. He's pretty small for the weight. Clean. You can have breakfast the day of, get on the scale, make weight. And he uses that speed and heart and tenacity. Yeah, I could go on and on. Frankie's the man. Final question, Shale. Uh, I saw a picture of you uh, training with your old pal Dan Henderson in California. And, of course, uh, you spent a lot of time at the Rain Training Center getting ready for the uh, Shogun fight uh, earlier this summer. Who are you training with for Rashad, and who will be in your corner come uh, November the 16th? Uh, I will be uh, at Rain. I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm officially that is my team. I'm a member of the Rain Training Center for the next month. Uh, I'm in Dan Henderson's guest room, uh, and I'll be training up with him. He is getting ready to take on uh, Vitor Belfort in Brazil one week before uh, Rashad and I fight. Uh, 
Uh, so I'm I'm getting him ready. I'm uh, I'm a southpaw, and and uh, I think he wants to use a little bit more wrestling in this fight with Vitor, and uh, so when we're training with each other, and Dan just fought Rashad, so it's mm. uh, it, it's good for me too. But um, it, anyway, so I, did that answer your question? I'm out here. In fact, I'm staring at Dan's gym right now. He just opened a brand new gym at Temecula. I'm in the parking lot and, talking to you. And then the rain guys, they'll be in your corner on the 16th. Uh, I don't get that worked out. I, I don't know what anyone's schedule is, and I haven't spoke to anyone uh, uh, about that, uh, so I'm not sure. Okay. Well, Chell, this means a lot to me. Thank you so much. I know you're very, very, very busy. Appreciate you taking out some time to come on the show today, and uh, I will talk to you in just a couple of days on UFC Tonight. And, and Aaron, if I may just have a moment, you know, I really do want to congratulate you. You're a self-made man, you know, when you whether it was MMA-rated, uh, you did it all yourself. You did it at a time, and you had a vision when people didn't even know about this sport. They had no idea where we would be today, uh, including yourself. You kicked and uh, scratched and found a way to stay alive, to, to keep your head above water, which was almost impossible, and few did. Congratulations. You're the best reporter in the business. You're a great and loyal friend, and, and I've never thought... I was too big for your show. Would you quit telling your fans that? I, uh, I'll see you Wednesday, and congrats, buddy. That means the world to me. Thank you so much, Chael. Good luck. There he is, the one and only, the gangster from Westland. That, that kind of makes me emotional to hear that from him. That, those are great words, and uh, I appreciate it very much. Okay, let's move along. The train continues, episode 200. Let's bring in a man who I've been trying to get on this show for the last uh, few weeks, and it just so happens... He, uh, he's able to pop in on episode 200, and I'm thrilled about that. Of course, I'm talking about the outlaw, Dan Hardy, one of our favorites. He's on the line right now. Dan, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, I want to talk to you about a lot, but first let's talk about Saturday night because I'm asking all our guests today about this. Who do you think won that fight, Alexander Gustafson or John Jones? Yeah, I was leaning towards Gustafson. I thought he took three rounds too, to be honest. You were very vocal on Twitter afterwards, uh, not just talking about the judging and all that stuff, but it sounded like you were kind of outraged. Not not just three rounds to two. You thought this was a clear-cut win for Alex, right? Well, you know, I just think that uh, I just think that he did enough damage with the striking. I mean, the problem is that everyone divides the fight into five pieces, you know, into five rounds. And obviously, that's how the scoring system set it up. But for, for me, Alex did enough in the first part of the fight, you know, enough damage and, and you know, was aggressive enough and, and effective enough with his striking to, to steal the fight. And, and also, you know, the takedown defense. I, I don't think that was taken into account at all by the judges. I mean, John Jones is a good wrestler, and Gustafsson stuffed a lot of his takedowns. It's, uh, you know, it's something that should be taken into account. So then when you bring up how the judges score a fight, um, that sounds to me, the way, the way you're talking, that sounds like the old pride way. Score a fight as an entire fight, not just round by round by round. Do you prefer that to the 10-9 system we have now here with the Unified Rules of MMA? Well, I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I don't really have the answers. I have some ideas as, as to what could, what could be done. But the problem is that you know, the 10-9 uh, system is, is great for boxing because you only have one discipline to take into account. But, you know, it's, it's not the same for MMA. And, and really, you know, with, with it being such a different, such an individual sport, we really deserve our own scoring system. Mm -hmm. and something that's applicable to mixed martial arts as opposed to borrowed from boxing. Honestly, I couldn't agree more. So what are some of these ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have any you could share? Well, you know, I, I think it's time to start getting retired fighters involved. Uh, you know, I, I think it's time to start, you know, maybe the UFC could bring, uh, you know, five or six fighters in per show and uh, just have them sit 
you know, separately and watch the fight and, and score it themselves and just, just see what, what they think and how they, uh, how they would score it. I mean, I, I don't have all the answers, but I think that, uh, that getting people that know the sport in, uh, involved would be a good idea. I mean, you know, the, the, these guys that are scoring, I, I know we get some good judges, but then other times we get guys that probably don't even watch the UFC when they're not working. And that's not helping anybody. The one thing about the retired fighters, especially if they're newly retired, do you think that it might be tricky because a lot of these guys may have fought the fighters in there, have you know issues or past allegiances with cornermen, trainers, etc. It will be somewhat tricky to get truly unbiased uh, judges out there, right? It, it would, yeah, it would. But uh, you know, I'm not necessarily saying guys that have fought at that kind of level. Just guys that have fought, guys that have got an interest in MMA. I mean, I, I'm not naming names, but I can pick out a bunch of judges that. They, they probably couldn't even pick out a fighter from a fan. You know what I mean? It's, it's it, you know, we need guys that are that are dedicated to the sport in in every sense of the word, and not just for a job. It's funny when they say don't leave it in the hands of the judges, but really that's a ridiculous statement. You should be able to leave it in the hands of the judges. You shouldn't try to fight just to end it quickly so that you don't get screwed, right? Well, this this is the thing. I mean, you know, it, it's always been a rule in, in any in any sport I've competed in that you don't leave it in the hands of the judges, but. You know, at least if at least in other sports, you know, more established sports, if you do leave it in the hands of the judges, you, you, you've got some idea that they know what they're watching. And sometimes I watch the I watch the UFC fights, and I really wonder what the judges are watching. It concerns me. If you're uh, President Dana White, UFC President Dana White, do you do the immediate rematch because it was so close? I, I think so. I, I think so. I think both the guys deserve it. I mean, obviously, you know. John Jones is fighting on all fighting all comers. He's fighting all the best guys, and and then Alexander Gustafsson's you know stepped up to fight the fight for the, the the belt. And I think they both put on a great show. They both took a lot of risks in that fight, which you don't generally see at those high level fights. Um, and I think you know they 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 set their stall out. They came to fight. They came to entertain. And, and I think that well, I, I would certainly want to watch another, watch another fight. And I I, I be leaning towards Gustafsson again. I, I think that uh, I think that the rematch would be a much more interesting than the first fight. Okay, let's transition to you. A lot of people wondering how you're feeling and whether you will fight again. First off, how are you feeling? Of course, you came out earlier this year, uh, an issue with your heart. You called sort of the, the wolf heart now. Um, what, what, you know, what, what, are, what are you feeling like? It, same? Has anything changed since the last time we talked to you around April or so? Um, well, lots has changed. Nothing really as far as the status of my career. I have another meeting with the USC on Wednesday, and I'm hoping that... Uh, I'm hoping that, that we can get something figured out. But I, I, I would very much like to fight again. Whether my option to fight is with the UFC or not, I don't know. Um, it, it really depends on, on whether the UFC have got any kind of flexibility with this with this rule about uh, about the treatment that I need. Because um, it's, obviously it's a difference of opinion. I don't think I need it. And, and uh, you know, it, it seems that the UFC are telling me that I do need it in order to fight again. So... I don't know, really. I mean, my job with the UFC is not done. I've got a feeling that they're going to want to use me for other stuff, but it might not be uh, in, inside the octagon, which might be a shame. Um, but I'm I'm good. I'm ready to fight, and, and I'm training every day. I'm just about to start a yoga class. I've got CrossFit later and then, then sparring tonight. So I've still got a full training week, and I'm, I'm still I'm still training like I'm, I'm preparing for fights. Because, you know, if I can do nothing else, at least I can prove that I'm able to fight, even if uh, even if I'm not allowed to. You mentioned uh, some kind of treatment that they want you to take. What does that entail? So basically, it involves going in through my femoral and carotid artery and, uh, and going into the heart and basically having a look around. But the problem is that because my heart's not abnormal in any way, um, you know, from the ultrasound, they can't see any kind of uh, enlargements in any parts of it. So 
They don't know where the second heartbeat is coming from. They don't know whether it's in a safe enough place where they can treat it. But the problem is, if it's, in, if it's too close to my regular heartbeat, they, they can't touch it anyway. Um, so, so, you know, I've, I've discussed this with, with my, my doctor back in the UK, and he said the best thing to do is not to touch it at all. Um, and and uh, that was my, my instinctual decision uh, that I was going to make anyway. So that just, that just kind, of, kind of confirms it for me. It's, it's not worth the allowing somebody to go in and start poking around when I don't feel like anything needs doing. And this doctor in the UK, when you asked him, I'm sure you did, can I fight still? What did he say? Well, we didn't really discuss that. I would like to. I would like to discuss it with him further, and, and actually, you know, actually discuss what his opinions are about the dangers of it. Because, from what I understand, and from what I've been told by the cardiologists in in, uh, in California, that, that the risk is very, very low. I'm, I'm, I'm talking like you know, less than one percent of, of an increase in risk. So, I mean, we, we sign a death waiver as it is, and I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with those odds, to be honest. I, I would like to set that gamble, but it's not, it's not unfortunately. So even if it's 1% or 0.5%, 0.01%, you're okay with that? Because most people would say if there's even 0.0001%, they won't do it. They obviously don't want to, uh, you know, suffer a fatal heart attack or anything like that, but you're okay with those odds. Yeah, I, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, my heart's seen me through, through 31 years of all kinds of, stress and extreme uh, situations and it's, it's never failed me in fact it's always come through and it's always been solid so i, I don't I, I don't want to start poking around with it it's, it's never let me down i've never had symptoms or anything either so it's never even given me an inkling that there might be a problem um i mean you know and everyone's telling me that this is something that's, that's unusual and this this is how this is how we're, i mean I don't, I don't want to get into into an evolution discussion but you know <laughs> It's people, people develop unusual things in the past and they become commonplace because they seem to work out. So maybe this is, a, maybe this is my superhuman trait that uh, they're trying to keep me down for. Have you, I don't know, maybe heard or read about any athletes that have this heart condition who have been able to have great careers, whether it's in combat sports, any other kind of sports? Is there anyone out there that you know of that shares this with you? The only people that I've managed to find, the only information that I've found, are people that have had to have treatment for it because they've had symptoms. Um, you, you tend to find it a lot in the Air Force as well. Um, any kind of Air Force pilot that gets uh, gets diagnosed with this has to have treated before they allow him to fly a plane, um, which honestly I understand. I mean, they're carrying all kinds of explosives and stuff. But uh, as far as actual people getting it treated just so they can do their, their, their job as an athlete, I've not, I've not found anything because people generally don't know about it unless they have symptoms. And that's really the, the problem I'm having. Everybody that's coming up to me is like, oh, well, I've had it done and, and I'm fine, but, but they needed it doing and I don't. <laughs> they've had symptoms, they've had palpitations and dizziness, panic attacks. And I've not had any of these experiences, so it's not something that I feel needs to fix them. Do you almost wish that this never came up recently so that, you know, people would just leave you alone and then you can continue your career and end it the way you want to end it? Well, it, it is frustrating because if I'd have been fighting in pretty much any other state, I wouldn't have known about it. If, you know, if the fight was in, in Nevada, the fight would have happened and I would have been preparing for another fight by this point. Um, so so it, it is frustrating, you know, for me, it is because it was California that it was found. But at the end of the day, it's, it's one of those things and I, I can't... Uh, I can't be annoyed at the, at the situation because uh, I can't change it. I have to accept what it is and, and uh, make the best out of it. So this meeting that you're having with uh, the UFC brass on Wednesday, who's going to be there? Well, I'm going to be meeting Gary Cook on Wednesday. Uh, he's he's the big guy in, in Europe. 
Um, and I'm going to be discussing some stuff about uh, about the, the USD and TV within Europe. Um, because obviously they've just signed this new deal with BT Sports, and that has a lot of potential to to really, you know, push the UFC into into the the mainstream market in Europe. I mean, I know we've got a good foothold there already, but we need regular TV time, and and I, and I think BT Sports might be the way forward. So hopefully, there'll, there'll be something that I can help out with. Maybe uh, you know, maybe some kind of presenter or analyst, or I don't know. So that's something you'd like to do? Be like a Chael son and sit there with your suit and everything and talk about the fights? Is that something, I mean, maybe you quaff the, the mohawk a little differently, but that's what you want to do? <laughs> what, what I would like to do is, is be inside the Octagon fighting while somebody else is talking about me, but, but this, that's, that's a good second option. If that's, uh, if that's my way to be, be uh, in, you know, involved with the UFC, then I'll take it. Do you think that they're going to try to convince you to retire? Well, they could potentially not give me a choice. That's that's the issue, um, because uh, my MMA career is done with the UFC, regardless of whether uh, they claim me to fight or not. You know, if, if I get a couple of more fights in the UFC, then great. And if I don't, then my, my MMA career will be over. But that's it, it's kind of out of my hands. I need to know if the UFC have got any flexibility on that. Um, but as far as fighting goes, I you know there are there are always options for fights, and there are always places in the world I can go and get cleared to fight. So I'm not. Uh, I'm not done by any means. I'm still a martial artist in every uh, sense of the word. So just to be clear, if they say we don't want to promote your fights because we're afraid and all that, you would or wouldn't go out and fight for another organization? Not MMA, I wouldn't, no. What, so what are we talking? Kickboxing or something? Uh, yeah, maybe kickboxing or Muay Thai or K1 or I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, wrestling's back at the Olympics and we all know how good my wrestling is, so that's always off. <laughs> and, and so you, you, when you say, uh, you know, anything else but MMA? Is that just because you're so loyal to them or you, you just don't... Like, what's the reason for that but you'd still do other stuff? Well, it's, it's the UFC. I mean, I, I would be disappointed if I if I went to another organization, I think, because I, I, I've grown so fond and so accustomed to the UFC and I, you know, I, I enjoyed the whole UFC circus that is, you know, when it comes into town and all the fighters are there for the week and the fans gather at the hotel and it, it, it's just it's just such a such a, a, an electric environment that I don't think any other show has. You know they they they, they put on good events and and uh, you know they have good fights, but the actual the actual UFC fight week, the event is is not going to be the same thing. And uh, you know I've kind of grown accustomed to it. And I don't really want to I don't really want to go back to doing something different for everything. By the way, you, you mentioned kickboxing, which is very interesting because here in the States, there's a promotion called Glory that's doing uh, a big push to try to get you know, uh, the kind of attention that MMA has received. Do you think that kickboxing as a sport will ever reach the level that MMA has over the last few years? It, 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 you know, many have tried, many have failed, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't, you know, it hasn't materialized into a big sport. Do you think it has it? You know, to, not just overseas, because we know overseas in Europe and other places, Japan, of course, it's been popular, but in North America... Uh, do you think it can be that popular? I, I think it can. I, I really do. The, the problem is that everybody, you know, we always have these good shows, these great kickboxing shows, and then they disappear. We have like the, the, the promotion puts on maybe one or two shows, and then they then they go away. And, and everybody tries to go too big. Everybody tries to do a massive show, and oh yeah, we want twenty thousand people there, and then they bring in all these huge kickboxing stars that just just drain the budget. When in, in actual fact, there are so many good. The good tie boxes that, that are around that, that are looking for fights that just want to stay active, and we just need a show that's good and consistent and, and can be bringing these guys in and giving them a, a platform to fight. Because the, the, the thing that's made the UFC stro- so strong is the familiarity of the fighters. You know that the fans get get used to seeing the fighters on a regular basis. 
And we don't have that with kickboxing because you'll see a kickboxing match and then it'll be six months before you see the same guy fight again. And, and that's, that's no use to anybody because you can't build a franchise or an organization on that. We need to, hopefully this, this new organization is going to be consistent and putting on regular shows because that's really all we need. Is it tough for you to see someone like Matt Brown doing so well? You're supposed to fight him, and now he's getting these big fights. He's fighting Carlos Condit. Uh, is that is that a hard thing for you? Because you could have been the one to stop that winning streak. It's it's frustrating. I mean, you know, I've got nothing against anybody in the sport. You know, uh, and Matt, I was preparing for a fight, and I was looking forward to fighting him. And it is unfortunate that it didn't work out, but uh, I'm glad he's doing well. I'm I'm glad that you know I think he deserves it. He worked hard, and and he's having some great fights, putting some good wins together. That doesn't mean to say I wouldn't like to uh, like to get that fight that I was supposed to have back in April, but I have no uh, I have no resentment for, for people that are doing that are still fighting. But as frustrating as my situation is, November sixteenth, uh, your old pal George St Pierre is going to defend his title again against uh, Johnny Hendricks. Put your presenter hat on. Who do you think wins that fight, and, and how? It, it's, it's a very interesting fight for me because I, I really don't know. I mean, usually I would be like, okay, GSP's got the you know, he's got the well-roundedness to be able to take the fight where he wants it. But I don't really know what Johnny Hendricks' capabilities are as far as wrestling. I mean, I know I've heard a lot, but I've really not seen a great deal, uh, you know, in the octagon apart from his last his, uh, his fight against Condit. Um, and I was very, very impressed with it, with his wrestling there. But obviously, on the flip side, can he stop GSP take that? That's that's the question that we have to ask when everybody steps in there against the champ. Um, and that's that's the question that I, I won't be able to, to answer until the nights uh, until the nights here. But one thing we, we don't know about Johnny Hendricks is that he can punch. Mm-hmm. He can really punch, and GSP doesn't like getting punched hard. <laughs> so so that, that that can that can put a whole new spin on it. You know, if, if he can if he can keep the fight standing and just threaten that punch, that could change GSP's whole game plan, whole approach, and we might start seeing some holes in it. So. I don't know. I mean, I think Jenny Hendricks has got the, the potential to cause some real problems for GSP on a level that other people haven't. But I'm excited. But at the same time, he's GSP and he's the champion. He's, you know, he's the best in the sport right now. So, uh, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he came out with some amazing performance and, uh, and kept his belt. So officially you're picking GSP? Yeah, I, I will always pick GSP. I, I, I can't vote against the guy because uh, he beat me up and I'm the best fire in the world. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, he's the champion, and I can't, I can't bet against him. But uh, I do think Johnny Hendricks poses some very interesting problems for him. When's the last time you watched that fight? Uh, my fight against GSP, I, I don't remember. Probably, uh, probably a couple of months after it happened, to be honest. Um, the, the thing is, the thing is, it's one of those fights that you see bits of it over and over again. So I feel like I've watched it every day since it happened. But um, in actuality, I've not really sat down and watched it for. Yeah, for, probably for a couple of years now. People it always gets frustrating. I just pull it apart and, and get angry at myself. Why? Is it? I mean, obviously you didn't win the fight, so that that in itself. But people always talk about, oh, well, you didn't get submitted, and and you were able to defend. He tried so hard. I mean, is that somewhat of a feather in your cap, or do you just hate the entire twenty-five minutes? Well, the, the problem was that you know I, I got beaten pretty soundly, but I, I didn't put up any kind of any kind of fight really. I didn't really threaten him a great deal. When it was on the feet, I wasn't as active as I'd planned to be because I was hesitant at the takedown. So I was trying to, I was trying to invest myself in in, in two fewer strikes. Um, you know, obviously because I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be on my feet for very long. Um, but, but, but you know, I look back at the fight and I can just see hesitation. I can just see myself holding back when really I should have just, I should have just bit, bit down on my gum shield and just committed to the strike. 
Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. It was, it was, it was everything I had to give at the time, and it was the best performance I could have given on the night. And, and GSP is the better fighter. So it's, I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to trying to find ways of improving myself. And, and, and sometimes, if I look back too far into fights where I, I, I didn't perform very well, even fights that I won. I mean, I can go back throughout my career or all my fights and pick, pick them apart. So. It's not like I'm avoiding it because I didn't win the fight. I just don't generally watch fights after a certain amount of times past this <laughs> because I irritate myself. Very understandable. Two last things, and we'll let you go, and we appreciate it. Right now, it is September 23rd, 2013. Your prediction. Will you ever fight again in the UFC? Yes, I will. All right. That's my prediction. <laughs> I can't wait. And also, just wondering, because it was Alexander Gustafsson and there was a lot of talk about him being the first European champion in many years since Andrei Arlovsky, um, and you were talked about as, as that guy as well when you fought, that was part of the promotion when you fought GSP. Who do you think will be the next European champion? Is there someone that you think could be that guy right now? Well, after seeing Gustafsson's uh, performance on Saturday night, I'm I'm only on him now. I think he did a great performance. I think that he's closest to taking the belt uh, out of any European fighter right now. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I have a lot of support for Ross Pearson. I think he has all the all the potential in the world, but uh, you know, he still uh, he still uh, you know fights away from the belt. Um, so so we'll see. And and you know, this thing, as much as I like Mike, he's in a he's in a, a division full of sharks. And uh, I, I rate Mark Munoz very highly, and I've been getting a lot of heat for that on Twitter, mm. uh, you know, because I should be supporting this thing because it's British and stuff. And it's not, it's not about who I'm supporting. I, I think Mark Munoz is, is, is a, a, a killer, and I think that's a real tough division. And uh, yeah, I just think this thing's in, in the wrong division to be the champion right now. Whereas I think Gustafsson could potentially take it, and I also think Ross Pearson's got a, a good shot as well. Very interesting stuff. Dan, good luck in that meeting. Good luck, obviously, uh, with everything as far as your heart is concerned and your, 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 your campaign to fight again in MMA. Hopefully, if everything's okay, would love to see you again. We, we miss you. It's, it's not the same without the outlaw. So I wish you the best of luck. And if not, good luck in your, uh, your budding TV career. I think you would do great sure. on that side of the fence. And always great to talk to you. Really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you, mate. And congratulations to you and your guys as well. I mean, 200 shows, that's, that's amazing. And uh, it's always an honor to be on air, and I always enjoy talking to you, mate. So uh, keep up the good work, and, uh, and thanks to all the fans for tuning in, because you're, you're the people that made this happen. Appreciate it very much. Thank you so much, Dan, and good luck to you. All right, mate. Cheers, mate. Sweet to see you soon. There he is. Very nice words from Dan Hardy. Really appreciate it a lot and uh, wish him the best of luck. If he is 100% healthy, would love to see him fight again because still think he could do some great things. Had a, a few solid performances before his hiatus. Okay, let's move along now. Let's welcome in uh, a man who, uh, I don't know, has he been big-timing us lately since he won the belt? Has he changed since he won the belt? I mean, that remains to be seen, really, but there are warning signs out there. Let's see if he's even on the line. Maybe he got upset that he had to wait a couple minutes here. He is, of course, the middleweight champion of the UFC, Chris Weidman. Chris, are you there? Uh, no, this is a PR agent. Hang on. He's not here yet. One second. <laughs> okay. How you doing? I'm, I'm here. Oh, Chris. is that your own personal <laughs> PR agent, Chris? That, that's right. That's right. He's hired for big bucks. How big is the entourage now? Because when you fought Anderson, he was rolling like 500 deep. Have you added a couple bodies? <laughs> No, same old guys, same old guys. I'm here with my strength coach. I'm in L.A. right now, starting the tour, the world tour. Uh, my, uh, my strength coach came with us uh, to, get, to keep me in shape. Uh, my manager, Randall, and then uh, UFC's PR guy, and then we have a camera guy following us around. So I'm not, not as big as Anderson's crew, for sure. Are you going? Uh, anyway, congratulations on your 200 show, man. 
He's big time. Thank you. You're, you're probably our most famous fan, right? You, you, don't, you don't ever miss an episode. Never, never. Makes my Monday, every Monday. Yeah, I know. You're, you're too kind. Hey, are you going to do uh, the EA scan now, or did you do it already? I did it already. How was it? I know you're a big uh, video game nerd. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. I'm going to enjoy when I actually see, uh, see myself in the video game and get to play with myself. Uh, and uh, why did you why did you just laugh when you said that? Come on, you know it, it came off a little weird. But, <laughs> um, when is the game coming out? Later on next year, right? I uh, yeah, they said the spring of 2014. So, so let me ask you this question, Chris, and uh, thank you very much for stopping by. Obviously, what's you know the biggest change? Champion two months in. What's the biggest difference now that you're the champion? Now that you have the title, can you feel the difference? Other than obviously people coming up to you and all that stuff, is there something that you can feel and touch? Wow, things have changed really since I was just a, another fighter in the UFC. Um, if I had to choose, I mean, take the biggest change, I'm, I'm going to say um, a lot of people coming out of the woodwork, like with all these business ideas and just different things in my ear. Uh, a lot more uh, commitments, a lot more opportunities that you want to commit to, but. At the same time, you got to realize your, your main focus is to keep winning. Uh, so just kind of uh, be able to scale through the, uh, the things that are not as important and, and take advantage of things that are important, uh, but maintain that focus. That only, I mean, everybody, only, only right, uh, the only reason why people you know, are, are into me right now is because I'm a winner. You know? So i gotta, I got to stay a winner, and that's the main thing. Uh, is it crazier than you thought it would be? Less, more, same? Um. Probably this has its spurts where it's like, wow, this is crazier than I thought. And there's times where it's like, you know, it's not that bad. It's not bad at all. And are there any drawbacks or is it just the, the people coming out of the woodwork? So is, there, is there anything that you're like, man, you know, life was a lot simpler back then? Uh, no, I think it's, it's all good things. You know, I wanted to be champion. This is where I wanted to be. Uh, so all this stuff is uh, what comes with it. Uh, I'm buying a new house. Uh, so getting out of... Um, uh, my hometown that I lived, I was, you know, born and raised and never left, uh, moving like 20 minutes away. Uh, but getting out of the house, I got, uh, you know, affected by Hurricane Sandy. It's going to be a nice, uh, nice little uh, change. So you're really, you're really moving on up. I'm moving on up, moving on up. <laughs> Would you have been able to buy that house if you didn't beat Anderson Silva? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, it was definitely one of the motivations. I know we were... My wife was looking at houses before the fight, and I'm like, oh, my God, I got to win this fight because <laughs> that's the way, gotta, you know, because then she started getting me excited. She showed me pictures of the houses, like new, new houses, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's expensive, you know. Uh, I got to gotta win this fight, man. I really got to win this fight. So that was definitely another little small motivation. There's been talk that you were seriously broke going into that fight. Is that accurate? Um, I mean, right after her, I mean, that I was, was I rich? No. Was I in the best situation? No, because I was, had to live at my parents' house, Hurricane Sandy, uh, you know, affected me, so I had to leave. Uh, but only for a couple months. Going into the training camp, I was good. I, uh, UFC hooked me up uh, a little bit and it made it easier for me. Um, I, I, was, I was good. I have a great support system. Um, so I was, I was right. There's a lot of people a lot worse than me, so I didn't, I didn't feel bad for myself. I was... I never looked at myself as broken in a bad spot or unlucky or anything like that. I felt blessed. So no excuses with anything like that. 
do you feel like the MMA community views you as champion? Because you ask some of the fighters, the fans, they say, oh, Anderson was clowning. That's why he caught him. And of course he's going to win. Anderson says, I back. I'm going to be the same old Anderson. Do you, <laughs> do you think that you're, it's like almost like two fights? That was the first half. And then to truly be considered champion, you have to win the second one? Yeah, I do. I do feel that. You know, I feel, uh, and I kind of knew that. I knew going into this fight, I was going to have to fight him again, and that, that's what I wanted. Um, if there wasn't a lot of doubters right now, this next fight wouldn't be something that people would even want to see. But there's a lot of people that just can't fathom Anderson Silva actually just, you know, losing to anybody if he's actually being serious. So the fact that I uh, got him and knocked him out when he was doing uh, his taunting that he does in every one of his fights, people just are going to say that, um, you know, he wasn't serious. So. The serious Silva is, I guess, going to come out on uh, December 28th, and we'll see if I got lucky or not. Is it true that you said you think the rematch is going to be easier? Well, I'll tell you one thing. The preparation is, like, I was at this point, uh, before my last fight, I wasn't even able to work out. I came off uh, two surgeries. I was still rehabbing for my shoulder. Uh, um, you know, hurricane sand and everything that affected me with that. had a year layoff. This fight, I mean, I'm in, I got, I'm going to have a full training cap, obviously, and there's no injuries, and I'm just getting better and better right now. And, and uh, last camp, I couldn't do that. You know, I had to uh, just rehab at this point. But as far as the fight itself, since you've already fought him, do you think it will be easier the second time around? You know, I'm expecting a war, just like I expected in the first one. I'm going to be going for the finish. Um, I expect to feel better in this fight, just not having a year lay off with the two surgeries. I did feel like a little sluggish in my last fight. Didn't feel really 100% myself. And I got the W, which is good, but in this next fight, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to feel a bit more comfortable uh, and confident that, you know, go out there and do what I got to do. There was originally some talk that this fight would take place Super Bowl weekend in New Jersey. Obviously, it can't take place in, uh, in New York because it's still illegal here, but now it's in Vegas on December 28th. Were you disappointed that it wasn't taking place in New Jersey? Um, not really. I mean, I know it's going to be bigger if it's in Vegas, I guess, uh, because the whole Super Bowl thing, you know, the Super Bowl is going to take away from the fight, I guess. Uh, so I understand, and, you know, I won the MGM the last one, so I think it's good to go back to where I won the belt and win it again. Speaking of New Jersey, you were on the sidelines for the, uh, the Giants-Broncos game, and you being the uh, front-runner fan that you are, you were wearing a Giants jersey, even though we all know that you're a Broncos fan. How weird was that? <laughs> How weird was that? I went to church on Sunday morning with a Broncos jersey on because, you know, my wife, I'm, I'm a Broncos fan now because my wife made me choose so my son has a team to, 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 to go for. But um, so I had to choose Broncos. I'm still I'm a New York guy. I'm a, I'm a fan of any team from New York, so I'm a Giants fan too. But I guess I'm 100% a Broncos fan. And um, yeah, so I went to church with the Broncos jersey on, and then I found out that the Giants. Uh, I was going to the Giants game, and that the Giants used my fight with Anderson to like get inspiration for the game. And I'm like, if I'm going to be on the sidelines with the Giants, you know, I'm not wearing a Broncos jersey. I'm not. I'm going to put that on their face. So. I threw on a Giants jersey because a couple of years ago I was a Giants fan. So now I had a jersey, so I was good to go. So, so the coach, Tom Coughlin, came up with this idea the night before. Of course, they ended up losing in a, in a very bad effort. Uh, do you think that you may have, I don't know, in some ways jinxed them or demotivated them? I mean, that, that was not a very inspiring effort. You'd think they'd be inspired after uh, seeing a fight like that. I'm a Trojan horse, man. I'm a Trojan horse. The Broncos won. I'm a Broncos fan. They watched my film, everything. They didn't see it coming. Uh, did you speak to Tom Coughlin about why he did this? No, I, I think um, I didn't speak to Tom Coughlin, you know, just me and him. But uh, I spoke to the people, like some of the people in, with the Giants, and they said that 
you know, they were fighting, you know, someone, they were, I mean, they were playing Broncos who were, you know, obviously known to be like one of the best front runners to win the Super Bowl right now. Um, there was a lot going against them, just like I had. So they kind of, they kind of drew a parallel between my fight and and them and the Broncos. And so it would inspire them, but I guess it didn't go good. I, I will admit it was it was truly you know it's one of the moments of the year a very inspiring thing especially if people knew your story going into it how often do people come up to you and say you gave me inspiration you motivated me you gave me hope you were that guy just a regular guy from New York comes in there and beats the greatest of all time do you hear that a lot Yeah I actually do it's it's pretty cool man I um it's all about touching people and and becoming a good role model and from my story if someone else could do something great um it's an honor to be able to have that type of influence. So it's pretty cool when people say that. If they actually mean it, some people, you, know, you never know. But if they're really, truly inspired by me, that's, that's awesome. Wow, you're really, really skeptical of people, eh? No, you know, there's people who are, you know, my best friends when they see me in my face, and then I'm sure they're on Twitter just like, you stink, you got lucky. No, that goes. But anybody, you know, I'll, take them for what, I'll, I'll, I'll take it for what it is. If they're truly inspired, I'm, I'm happy. We asked uh, everyone on the show thus far um, who they thought won the main event on Saturday. I want to get your take. Who won? Gustafson or Jones? Um, you know, I got to go back and, and watch it. I was actually I was at the event. You know, right. I was just kind of enjoying the fight more than trying to judge and figure out who, was gonna, who won. At the time, I admit, I thought Gustafson won. But I, I had a hard time actually believing they were going to give it to him. Uh, but I kind of thought Gustafson won. But I got to go back and uh, rewatch. It was a really close fight. Uh, you know, the spinning elbow from Jones, I think, in the fourth was a, definitely a huge defining factor. Uh, I think uh, Dustin Sim was a little out of it um, going into the fifth because of that shot. You know, almost like probably was like in dreamland still and and and, uh, and being tired and whatnot. So, I don't know, it was a good fight. Probably could have won it either way, but originally I thought Dustin won, but I got to rewatch it. Do you think that Gustafson put out the blueprint how to beat John Jones? Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of, you know, you don't want to get underneath him with those elbows, so he did a great job of not over-pursuing uh, him on on, uh, on punches and kicks and not letting John deceive him into getting taken down. Um, I think the size is a huge thing because John Jones wasn't able to keep the range and dictate that. Um, so definitely, yeah, the blueprint. I mean, he could have won that fight. So. And, and some have brought up that it showed that John doesn't have finishing power on his feet. Would you agree with that? Um, I'm not agreeing. I don't think anybody, if you catch somebody right, uh, you're finishing power. Um, you got the small gloves on. So I don't know about that. Gustafson's good, man. Uh, Gustafson's really good. That, John Jones, has he knocked anybody out? I don't know. I'm pretty sure he has, right? Well, on his feet, I mean, he's done with ground and pound and things like that. He's obviously beat up guys, uh, but not like what you did to Anderson, for example, as, as champion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say he doesn't have finishing power. I'm sure if a guy... Uh, think she doesn't have finishing power at the time we're going to see him uh, knock someone out you know you got to respect everybody on their feet but um, yeah were you rooting for John because you want to fight him no I'm I was obviously you know I like Gustafson both those guys I met hung out with Uh, Gustafson I like you know I like his story he's such a good kid Um, you know another underdog uh, story sponsored by Bad Boy too yeah um and I, I trained with him, and I know how good he is, and I knew it was a huge opportunity. Um, so I was in, you know, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm walking. PR is pushing me everywhere right now. No I'm problem. Multitasking. Let, let me ask you two, two more questions, and then we'll let you go, okay? You said you trained okay. with Gustafson. When did you train with him? For this fight or just in the past? No, in the past. I went down to San Diego maybe like, I don't know, two years ago. Okay. And, uh, 
we trained a little bit, and I knew he was good. Uh, I knew if it, if it stayed standing, it would be, uh, I think, Gustafson's advantage. And, uh, yeah, so I knew it was uh, going to be a better fight than a lot of people were, were saying. Uh, and, and this may have, you know, the fight may have changed things, but, you know, it's still that fight that I think could do massive business here in New York, you versus John at MSG, the king in New York. Is that something that you still think about? Is that something that you want? Yeah, I think eventually, you know, I want to beat the best guys and who uh, everybody thinks is the best. Um, so eventually that's, you know, if he's still on top and, and I'm still on top and uh, UFC wants to make it happen, the fans want to watch, uh, watch it, I'm a thousand percent into that fight. Okay, I lied. This is the last one. Is it going to be weird being all over the place with Anderson face-to-face holding the belt? He's not holding the belt, doing all this media. Are you dreading this world press tour that's coming up, kicking off today here in Los Angeles? Yeah, I think it would probably be a little weird being around them and stuff like that. Uh, but it's part of what we got to do and uh, make the best of it. All right, Chris. Thank you so much for stopping by. I know you're very busy, but uh, it means a lot to have the champ stop by. It wouldn't be the same, let's be honest. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Okay, there he is. Chris Wyman stopping by in Los Angeles. World Press Tour kicking off uh, today. Um, They're going from L.A. to Vegas to New York to uh, Miami. They're going to Rio. You can learn about it over at UFC.com. You can also purchase uh, tickets for UFC 168 later on this week. They go on sale. That is the card headlined by Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman 2, of course, Ronda Rousey versus Misha Tate 2, even though the poster doesn't really mention that it's a rematch. That's because the uh, the first fight didn't happen in the UFC, and that's kind of the UFC's way. If the first fight or the second fight didn't happen, they won't acknowledge it, not because they're trying to downplay it. Of course, Zufa owned Strikeforce uh, when that first fight happened back in March of last year, Ronda versus Misha, number one in Columbus. But for whatever reason, interesting question, to uh, the people who actually make the posters and promote the fights and all that stuff. Um, for whatever reason, they don't, they don't acknowledge it. Also, it was announced last week that Josh Barnett is fighting Travis Brown in a very important heavyweight fight. I mean, in my opinion, if Verdum is fighting the winner of Kane versus JDS3, which is the case, that's the next big show coming up. There's a fight night uh, next Wednesday in Brazil, uh, the Jake Shields, Damian Maia card. But if Verdum, and at this point, you have to think he is. I mean, they kept him on the sidelines. Um, then I would have to imagine that the winner of Travis Brown versus Josh Barnett would be next. And I think it makes sense. If Brown beats Barnett after what he did to Alistair Overeem, he should be next. And if obviously Josh Barnett beats Brown after what he's done in his career, after beating Frank Mir and then Travis Brown, then he should be next. So that's a huge fight. That's a huge card. In my opinion, I mean... I. I I almost feel like I have to apologize to UFC 165, and in particular the main event, because we kept saying 166, 167, 168. As far as pay-per-views are concerned, the best stretch in UFC history. We may have kind of skipped over or forgot to include what, in my opinion right now, is the best fight in UFC history. Not just in UFC history. MMA history, and people have brought up Edgar Maynard, people have brought up their second fight, um, maybe even the third fight, but I'm pretty sure they're talking about the second fight when they bring it up. Obviously, Hendo versus Shogun, there's Eddie Alvarez versus Mike Chan that comes up, but considering the stakes, considering the fact that Gustafson was such a big underdog, considering the fact that John Jones you know, is the pound-for-pound king, that he really did look 
quote unquote, not quite human going into that fight, considering what Alex did in the first round, opening him up with the takedown, stuffing his takedowns, watching that, I could not look away. I was afraid to blink. I was afraid that if I looked away for a second, said something to someone else, turned my head, that I would miss something magical. Something like what Chris Weidman did to Anderson Silva. When you think about that, when you think about what Weidman did to Silva in July, Pettis did to Bendo in August. Then, of course, what just happened a couple of days ago in Toronto. And what is uh, yet to come this year, this could go down as the greatest year in UFC history. This could go down as maybe the greatest year in MMA history. That, in my opinion, had it all. And my favorite part of the entire fight was the heart. The heart that both men showed. Um, the determination, the, uh, the never-say-die attitude. I mean, those shots that Gustafson took in the fifth round, to me, I still don't understand how he stayed standing. He even, he even get dropped. And he was still going forward. He was still giving it back to Jones. Uh, in my opinion, uh, I haven't said it, but very interesting. Thus far, we've had four guests on the show. We had Uriah Faber, Chael Sonnen, Dan Hardy, Chris Weidman. All four of them said they thought Alexander Gustafson won the fight. 4-0. And when I talked to the media on, uh, on Saturday night after the fight, most of them scored it exactly like I did. I had the first round for Gustafson. The second round I had for John Jones, although I remember it being very close and, and thinking, ah, maybe he just did enough. But the second round I gave to John Jones. The third round I gave to Gustafson. The fourth round, in my opinion, the most interesting round because maybe three minutes and 40 seconds of that round, the first three minutes and 40, I thought Alex won it. I thought he was doing enough and he was going to seal the deal in that round. And then with the spinning back elbows, um, I believe he took him down in the final minute. The last 60 to 70 seconds of round four, in my opinion, won the fight and helped John Jones retain the title. That's what did it. The last 60 to maybe 80 seconds of that round. If you go back, that was the most crucial aspect of this entire fight. And then fifth, everyone agrees it was all John Jones. So he wins it. And, uh, and, you know, at this point, it's, and I know you guys are going to ask me about it and we'll address it then too, but uh, as we're trying to get Conor McGregor here, uh, at this point, I could see both ways. I could see maybe trying to build it up a little more, having them fight someone else, and then maybe one or two fights in, they cross paths. Remember, a lot of people bringing up the fact that Anderson uh, beat Chael at UFC 117, um, but... Uh, they didn't, and it was such a close fight, and Chael was obviously winning throughout the entire thing uh, up until the last, you know, two minutes. But then they had to go fight other people. Well, Chael was suspended, and by then they kind of had to move along. And uh, he did beat uh, Brian Stan, and there was some issues with Anderson, and came back very quickly to fight Michael Bisping, and then got the title shot. So it could happen, and I could see them giving it to Glover because yes, he is undefeated in the UFC. He's five and zero. He has won twenty in a row. The uh, UFC obviously very high on him, good friends with Chuck Liddell, all that stuff. You know, there's a case for Glover. I do think now, I know I've been banging the Cormier drum, I think he may lose out on it. I think it's going to be hard for Cormier to leapfrog both Glover and Gustafson if he's in the mix. Um, and let's not forget about Phil Davis. I think a Phil Davis versus Glover, Phil Davis versus Cormier fight, I don't think we're going to see Phil Davis versus Gustafson too because they train with each other. But I can see... I could see them going uh, with either Gustafson or Glover. I don't see Cormier uh, jumping the line at this point. And guess what? I spoke to him yesterday on the phone, and he agrees. He actually kind of agrees. He, he, he actually said he wants to see it again, and 
there's no way he could be upset if you know they 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 gave it to Gustafson again. There's no way. That fight was too good. I don't think anyone in the world, even if you were so close, even if you're Anthony Pettis waiting to fight the winner of Edgar versus Maynard, I, I just don't see how you can be upset. It was such a great fight. Like I said, one of the best, if not the best of all time, and, and Cormier agrees. And it, it maybe is a blessing for Cormier because, well, now you just have to focus on Roy Nelson. Now you don't have to worry about anything else. Now you don't have to worry about cutting the line. Now you don't have to worry about trying to do something uh, spectacular so that you can uh, you know, then go down to 205 and get a title shot there. Just worry about Roy Nelson. You get that win, and, uh, and then you go down to 205, and you're probably one or two wins away. Because I still think that's a fight that you know, a lot of people will be into, especially now when you saw Gustafson uh, stop those takedowns and even take down John Jones the very first time. John Jones has been taken down in his career. Kudos to Alliance and Phil Davis and, and all those guys over there for getting him ready for that because that was amazing. And it was interesting that I was talking to John Jones about trying to find his Joe Frazier, trying to find that foil. And it was almost like, again, have to apologize to Gustafson, um, almost like we were forgetting about him. He may have found him. He may have found his foil. The guy he's going to fight a few times. The guy that brings the best out of him. The guy that really pushes him to the brink. I am in such awe of Alexander Gustafson and his heart and the determination and the fact that when he said, I'm going to shock the world, he actually truly meant it. You really felt like he meant it. He wasn't just saying it. He wasn't just going through the motions. You see a lot of title fights where you really get the impression that the contender, when he's an underdog, doesn't really believe in himself. But in those interviews, in, in, during the fight week, leading up to the fight, I really got the feeling that Gustafson believed in himself. He had this quiet confidence to himself. He was so focused, didn't look around, didn't joke with you, you know, was just answering the questions and wanted to get the hell out of there and, 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 and wanted to get to Saturday night. And even during the, the first world tour, when they were next to each other, wasn't messing around, John was bringing up his phone, uh, facing off with him, putting it up in his face, all that stuff. And the guy was just, you know, very serious, very stoic. And he really did have an entire country on his back. He really did. That would have been the biggest win for Swedish combat sports, in my opinion, since uh, Ingemar Johansson defeating Floyd Patterson in 1959 at Yankee Stadium. Without a doubt. That put Swedish boxing on the map. And even in defeat, even though it was so close, Swedish MMA has now been put on the map because of what Alexander Gustafsson did on Saturday. Where's Conor McGregor? All right. Let's go to the Skype machine and welcome in. There he is, the man with the beard. Conor, how are you? What's up, man? How are you, bud? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Okay, a lot to talk to you about here. Oh, and he's brushing it. I like it. You haven't, it trimmed, good, it. You haven't trimmed that thing, uh, right? No, no, no. I'm never, ever going to trim it. Yeah, I trimmed it once or twice, and I always regret it straight away, so I'm never going to trim it again. Okay, a lot to talk to you about, and I love it. Keep it going. Um, how is the knee doing? You had the ACL surgery. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, I'm going to show you real quick. Oh. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. Whoa. Wow. I mean, look at the muscle definition in that leg. <laughs> the, the, physio, the physio said that's unheard of to have my muscle de definition back, you know. They shaved it as well, so it was like a little bitch leg for a while. No hairs on the skinny-ass leg, but... <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting the muscle back, and I'm putting in the workout here. You know, following the same, uh, following the identical route that GSP took. You know, same surgeon, same, 
same everything, you know what I mean? Same uh, rehab. Um, and he was 10 months, and the doctor, reckoned, the surgeon reckoned he could have been back earlier. So my physio reckons I'll be back full full training in, in six months the way, the way I'm going. You know what I mean? I'm a super freak. I'm a, I'm a specimen of movement. <laughs> and, um, and I feel good, you know what I mean? I'm just going to keep a positive hair and get it done. Now, the There's fact- a lot of ass weapons to be handed out, Ariel, you know what I mean? So, uh, yes, of course. Uh, and we will I'm, get to I'm that. I'm going to get back fast. I'm, I'm out here on my own. You know what I mean? Out here in L.A. doing it rough on my own. Don't have no family. Don't have no friends. I'm in a little room on my own. I have my management team part-time come by every now and again to look after me. And then, of course, the UFC, making sure everything is looked after as well. But really, really I'm on my own here. You know what I mean? Doing it. Doing it. No, dedicating myself to this. This is just a new, this is just a new phase to what, what's going on in my, in my story. You know, another 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 chapter that I will uh, I will overcome now uh, why are you in California and not in your home country where you're more comfortable of Ireland um just because yeah well I'm, I mean the, the surgeon was out here the, the best surgeon they had you know the guy that worked on Kobe the guy that worked on George the guy that worked on Tom Brady um, and the rehab setup is really good out here you know so I'm going I'm going home now at the end of the month um, I'm trying a big party if you <laughs> want to come Yes. But, uh, Am I invited? Of course you're invited. Yeah, no, no fat chicks. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't bring Mrs. Helwani. Whoa, but, uh, Connor. <laughs> now you may have crossed the line, my friend. I will beat yeah, you down. Yeah, I will yeah. beat you where you stand. <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about again? Uh, we're talking about why you're in California. So you say it's better there. But let me ask yeah, you. I mean, the rehab is top notch out here. You know what I mean, I'm I'm in here like. They just know, not, not that it's not bad back home, you know, but I'm going to go home now uh, at the end of this month and, and see, what, see, what, see what, I am, what kind of rehab is back home and what kind of setup is back home. But the setup is too good out here, you know what I mean? Honestly, I'll do anything. I will do anything it takes to get me back full health and, and quicker than everyone else. I plan on setting records here, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I'm going to set records on this return. People are going to study me study this, this injury and study how, how I came back from this. At the same time, though, I'm going to listen to instructions. I'm not going to do something. I'm not going to rush it either. You know, I'm well aware that you rush this injury and you're right back to square one. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'll take instructions. But honestly, I'm planning on setting records here. Uh, were you Thank shocked you. when you found out the... Do you, do you have like a, a manservant there? Or what's, what's going on? Someone giving you tea? What kind of... Yeah, like- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's my, he's works for my management team, Ryan. He's a nice guy. Oh, Ryan's be, the best. He'd be bringing food and looking after me and shit. Literally, I've been, in this ho- I've been in this hotel the past the past while now, you know what I mean? After, after that surgery, it's, it's, t- it's, t- it's tough on the mind, you know? You're just, you're just in bed. You're just locked in bed. And, you know what I mean? Dwelling over everything. And you're damn right, it was a shock, you know what I mean? I, I only found out on Twitter. Uh, I, I was already planning my next contest, you know what I mean? I was going at everyone. My next contest was a top ten opponent. There's no doubt in my mind. I believe Diego Brandel got that, got that fight that I was supposed to get against Poirier. And I don't even know what date that was scheduled for, but I believe that was my fight. But anyway, I was, I was, I was going at, I was, I was going at everyone. I, my, my, you know what I mean? I was planning my next contest, my next time getting in there. And then I goes on Twitter, and I sees this thing that Dana White tweeted: Fox Sports has just announced, our Fox Sports, McGregor injury, ten months. A- ACL, MCL, PCL, fucking all sorts of CLs. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? So I'm sitting there in shock. My heart is in me. My heart's at, my heart's at the coming out of my arse area. You know what I mean? So, and then and then I, I go, a message goes on from Dana and fucking the beard is glorious and you know it, Ariel. Yeah, good. I'm jealous. It's getting nice and thick and everything. Right? See the way I see a man Healy. Yeah. Keep number number Dirk and Dirk going and blade and start saying. Uh, 
I made him cut the beard, man. That, that's horrendous, that is. He was like fighting women or something. Sorry about that. Leave, leave the guy's beard alone. You know what I mean, you make him cut his beard and then give him an ass whooping. That, that's got the, that's got to sting bad for Healy. You know what I mean? But what if the commission tells you to shave that for your next fight? What do you do? What kind of stink do you put up? Honestly, we're gonna. I, I was thinking about better, but we're gonna have problems. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know what'll happen. But it's not ha happening, Ireland. You know what I mean, well, trust me. I tell you this as well. Find a guy with a beard compared to fighting a guy who's freshly shaved. What is this fresh? To shave head and freshly shave my face and the stubble off the bald head and the stubble off the thing. When someone's fighting for head control and that hits your chin and stuff, it rips you to shreds. You know what I mean? A beard is a little bit of a cushion. You know what I mean? Beard is not, beard, don't 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 fear the beard. You know what I mean? Don't don't fuck with the beards. Like, um, how much do you hate Dustin Kimura today? You tweeted a picture that he screwed uh, up your parlay. You would have won eleven thousand euros. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't. Ha I don't hate the guy. He dropped. He dropped him with a body shot and everything. You know? It's just one of those things, isn't it? But um, to be honest, I rushed that one. I rushed that one. I, I always do a bit. I always do studying on it. You know what I mean? I like to. Stu I I've, I've limited myself now to only betting on the on the fights. You know what I mean? It's what I'm. It's what I specialize at. You know what I mean? This, I specialize in this game, and so I. I have only I, like you could have caught me at four in the morning one time betting on. Let's say I'm betting on these live bets. Just go online and these live bets, and the matches are like five minutes from over, and it's nil all. And I'd bet that it's going <laughs> to remain a draw. You know what I mean? So let's say there's three or four of them in a row. I bank three or four of them in a row real quick and stick stick a few quid. That was that was where I was at for 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 a while. You know what I mean? So I stopped doing that. Now I'm only betting on the fights, but I I rushed that one. You know what I mean? I didn't study the other guy as as much. You know, I, I thought you know Dustin was an undefeated guy. He was he's in Holloway's camp. I just I don't know. I just kind of liked him. I I liked his style and. I don't know. He let me down. What can you do? It would have been a nice few quid. So we've asked every guest on the, on the show thus far. We've had Uriah Faber, Chael Sonnen, Dan Hardy, Chris Weidman. We wanted to get everyone's take on this. Now I'll ask your take. Who won the fight between John Jones and Alexander Gustafson? Um, in my eyes, they both won. Oh. You know what I mean? They should they should have they should have uh, they should have brought out a second belt. Just handed the two of them belts <laughs> because that was that was a that was a special special contest. You know what I mean? Gustafsson, good in the pocket, his boxing, uh, uh, you know, man, John Jones, dynamic kicks, man, it, it was a special event, and that to, that to, that to follow the Mayweather Canelo, but you know, it was just it was just a beautiful thing for the sports, you know, to show the true combat, you know, it was where where it is at, and man, the guy, there was no loser in that contest. If if I had if I had to choose, you know, John finished the stronger, um. I'd probably have to say John, and on my heart, probably say, probably say, hey, look, now these whiskers as well. Think, hey. <laughs> well, um, the guy in the shop, the guy in that trimmed my beard said five more months before I get them. Probably. Oh, you're gonna do, you're gonna do that. Yeah, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to see what it's like for the moment. Oh, wow. your hair, not. I'm growing my hair back. But you're still, but you're still uh, fading it on the side there. Yeah. So what are we talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think, I, if I'm being honest, I think John, I think John's just done enough. You know what I mean? But. I mean, what a what a contest! Who would have thought that? I didn't think that. You, you, men you mentioned Mayweather. Did did this prove that MMA is a better sport than boxing? And more, I mean, that fight no, was no, it? Not, not not that I meant it like that. You know, boxing's great, and I really I love that that Mayweather Canelo fight. That was a masterclass in defense. You know what I mean? A, a lesson in evasive evasive combat. He, uh, he taught Canelo, and he teaches everyone. You know what I mean? But when it comes to MMA and the excitement and the back and forth and the the unpredictability and it, you know what I mean? It's so dynamic. You don't know what the fuck is going on in there. You know what I mean? You don't know what's going to happen. And it was a special event, and it just re, you know, just it reinstated my. Not that you know, I I love this game, but it just really made made me look at this and think 
man, I, 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 I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm in love with this game. You know what I mean? So, it was a, it was a special contest. Knowing you now, I feel like and you. I can't wait to see the rematch. Oh, hopefully, you know, they, hopefully they heal up because I'd imagine, I'd imagine both of them are in a, a hell of a lot of pain right now. Knowing you, I feel like you, uh, you were shadow boxing on one leg. You were so amped after watching that. Yeah, yeah. I've been squeezing in workouts now. I mean, I don't let. I don't let this get to me, you know what I mean? I'm an, I'm an intelligent martial artist, and I adapt to my situation. You could put me in the jungle. You could put me anywhere on, on planet Earth, you know what I mean? I come out surviving. I come out well-fed and well-dressed and so, looking good, you know what I mean? But uh, right now, this injury, I'm only having one leg. I, 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 I'm adjusting to it. Um, I, I, hobble into the, I hobble into my bathroom, and my bathroom at the, on the sink, and I lean over the sink and start doing push-ups, you know what I mean? Them clap push-ups, leaning over it, do about 100 of them. I'm about, doing about 500 sit-ups a day. I mean, then I'm doing my rehab all day. So I'm getting like two sessions a day, pretty much, you know what I mean? So now, now I'm a lot more mobile. Now I'm a lot more mobile now, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm two weeks, one, what am I, two weeks, one day? Two weeks, two days? Just over two weeks over the surgery. I'm on the bike, I'm walking, um, I'm leg-pressing. Wow. Um, you know what I mean? I, 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 like I said, I, I'm a specimen. It's, scientists have already got in touch, and they want to. They want to. They want to pay big money to get my to get my body and study my body after I'm gone. You know what I mean? So I'm a specimen of movement, my friend. <laughs> you know, after the uh, the Max Holloway fight, you created uh, quite a stir with the videos and the tweets about you know talking about the division, and, and you're getting it a bit back. You have uh, Aldo saying who the Irish guy. You have uh, Nick Lentz taking some shots. Chad Mendes saying who. Are you are you liking the fact that the featherweights are stepping up and giving it a bit back to you here? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, when, when that, that interview that uh, I done with Fox, you know, they said, we're going to do word association. I'm going to name something. You're going to give me your response. I was like, okay. They started naming all the top ten. I gave an honest assessment of what I thought. I believe it was correct. I believe my assessment was correct. What about you, Ariel? You believe that was correct? Yeah. I'll so I believe it was too safe. I believe Chad is a 135er. I believe Cub is aging. I believe Dennis Seaver is aging. I believe Poirier is a pea head. I believe <laughs> Lance is boring. You know what I mean? I'm just stating a boring hillbilly. You know what I mean? I'm just stating, I'm just stating facts. You know what I mean? So, um, and of course, yeah, response, respond. All, all, yeah, of course. Honestly, there is no one else in this division. This is my division. You know it. I know it. Hey, how many times am I on this show now? This is my fourth time. Yep. That is true. In in less than a year. How? Uh, who's the most? Uh, in, in a year, I think this might be the record for less than uh, 365 days. This is a bit, and this is our 200th. So we brought the big, big out the bingads today. I set records out of <laughs> Set records. Oh, how's the show going? It's a big one. Yeah, it's 200. Yeah, you know who's next? Stone Cold Steve Austin, your boy. No way, man. That that is too cool. That is. Yeah, I was only watching a documentary on Netflix about him, man. What a, what a kill motherfucker that guy is. Not as cool as Stevie Collins. What? Will, will he be in your corner, Steve Collins, for your next fight? I set that up for you. Uh, Don't forget. Yeah, Dana rang me that. Dana rang me. Dana rang me the Tuesday before the fight. Okay. And we were talking about the entrance. We were talking about the bot. I want me to come out to U two. And then he said he's gonna get Steve Collins. Wow. I'm gonna fly Steve Collins out. And then it turns out Steve was busy or Steve couldn't um, couldn't do it or something because it was last minute, you know. So, but. Yeah, that, I believe I believe that will happen down the line. Now, maybe honestly, I'd like to be back. I believe I'm going to be back before the Dublin card. Wow. No, that's that's my aim. I want to be back before the Dublin card. Have have a contest back. Maybe at 155. I'm gonna. You know, honestly, I feel I feel too fast for these guys at 155. Now, 
145 is just too damn easy, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I might have 155 on my return and then and then a meaningful fight at 145 in Dublin. You know what I mean? A meaningful fight. Yeah. I don't I don't know what way that it's going to play on my comeback, what, what kind of opponent they're going to give me or what kind of what, you know what I mean? But I know I'm going to make it look easy. I'm going to make the return look easy. No one has the mind I have. No one has the no one has the the intelligence I have to this game. You know what I mean? So you, it's going to be like I never left. And not only is it going to be like I never left, it's going to be you know I'm going to improve. My, I study this game. I study movements. I, I take my notes. This this is just a, like I, like I've been saying. This is just a new phase of training. You know what I mean? I'm off site. You know what I mean? You're doing apprentice. You're on site for a while, and then you go off site and go to college now i'm in college you know what i mean studying videos taking taking notes uh and, and i'm gonna you know i keep it fresh keep it fresh in my mind and it will remain fresh in my body so on my return you know what i mean i'm still gonna be whooping ass it's still gonna be still gonna, gonna be creating headlines you know what i mean so i'm just i'm just buzzing to get back you know what i mean my life is contact area and for some for this I, I never knew nothing about injuries you know what i mean i, didn't, I, I knew injuries i didn't really know nothing about much about the acl injury you know what i mean so for someone to take this away from me you know it's been tough it's been tough on the mind, tough on the brain. Out here on my own, I mean, but I just reinforced that I'm out here. I'm out here doing this, you know. I'm out here dedicating myself to this, and no one's gonna stop me. I'm unstoppable, you know what I mean? So, in some ways, I feel like it it might help you. It, it gives you even more motivation because all you have is, you know, your your bum leg and your thoughts right now. That's all you can think about, right? My bum leg, man. I'll give you a smack on my bum leg right now. But um, no, definitely, yeah, you know. My, uh, I'm, I'm here honestly if it wasn't for the internet if I didn't have the internet set up I'm just sitting here chilling out so, but, but these past already, I've been doing them Ask Notorious and I'm having a bit of fun doing that and getting them trending in Ireland you know what I mean I put up ask, this thing hashtag Ask Notorious and it just be trending in Ireland within like within like five minutes okay but yeah that, that'd be fun final question for you have you thought like you say that one fight and then the Dublin fight who's who's the guy you want to come back to who do you want to face in your return um, honestly, it's 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 a long it's a long way to be to be to be to be okay. call, to be calling people out. But I, I I'd I'd love um I'd love a one fifty five fight. That one fifty five fight I thought was in slow motion on, on, on Saturday night. If I'm being honest, you know what I mean. I believe I'd be too fast for these guys. For I need I need these guys. So um and I fight at one fifty five. You know what I mean? I I fought at one fifty five. I've held belts at one fifty five. I've knocked people out at one fifty five. There's a different dynamic. There's pros and cons to it. You know, and there's pros and cons to fighting up and down. They're a little bit, they're faster, they're faster at featherweight. Max, Max was, Max was, Max is one of the fastest guys. You know what I mean? He, he was a defensive fighter. He took a defensive approach. You know what I mean? But the, the, a lot of the 155s are sluggish. You know what I mean? They, they to me, uh, uh, they seem a bit more open. This, uh, I honestly feel like going there and light, light 90% of that division up. And um, so I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about it. And I haven't even said that to, to, to the UFC or anything. I shan't, I shan't say I'll be on. I know he wants me to stay at 145, but. Now we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, we will be following uh, the rehab very closely at the Notorious MMA. Always a pleasure. The beard is looking great. Keep the spirits high. My man. And uh, please join us again when you're ready to return. We, we appreciate it very much. Very, very uh, yeah. big deal for us today's show. So thank you so much for stopping yeah. by, Connor. And good luck to you. All the best. Hope to see you back sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. Congratulations on your 200 show. Thank Still making peanuts, though, I reckon. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe you huh? can give me a couple of tips in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. The Notorious, right. Conor McGregor, stopping by. We wish him the best. Hopefully, he returns to the Octagon sooner rather than later. He is one of a kind, and he says he wants a piece of the 155-pound division. How about that?
How about that? Conor McGregor, if he goes up, and remember, when he fought for Cage Warriors, he was a lightweight and featherweight champion over there. So uh, this is a guy who has obviously done a lot uh, in his career um, in both divisions, and uh, thus far in the UFC, he is 2-0 as a featherweight, defeated Marcus Brimage in April, and then, of course, defeated Max Holloway in August at the uh, the first Fox Sports 1 show. That was a big deal. And, of course, uh, things may have... Um, I don't know, uh, slowed down for him a little bit. But if he says he comes back six months, ACL surgery, that might be uh, a little a little too quick. But if he comes back in seven or eight, I, I don't think that the momentum will halt all that much on the McGregor train. I, I, I really don't think. I, I think that there is enough uh, buzz and he keeps himself out there that I think a lot of people will... Um, still be interested and be excited about him. Now, remember when he beat Marcus Brimage in April of last year, in uh, of this year in Sweden, he talked about how he felt like he was Stone Cold Steve Austin there, playing the video game, all that stuff. Well, how about this? We go from Conor McGregor to Stone Cold Steve Austin. There he is. Wow. I'm in awe right now. The one and only, the legend, Steve Austin. Thank you so much for stopping by. This is huge for us. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Well, that well, that is uh, that is very kind. I appreciate it very much. And and you're you're no stranger to podcasts now. All of a sudden, you're Mister Podcast. Where did this come from? Man, I tell you what, it's a work in progress. I'm still a hack at best, but uh, two days a week, I do my uh, best that I can to put together uh, an entertaining show. It's a Steve Austin show, and uh, Ariel on my show. I'm not trying to solve the problems of the world. Just provide about an hour, hour and a half of content in the form of audio whoop-ass. It is not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, just me using my creative juices to turn out a product. But I'm having a lot of fun doing it. What kind of preparation do you put into it? Because the questions and the guests are obviously great. I mean, you take this very seriously. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, when, I, when I'm talking to people, I don't really like to consider myself like interviewing people. More, It's more of like a conversation between two folks. And a lot of the guys that I've talked to are guys from my world, pro wrestling. I got a chance to talk to, obviously, some MMA fighters, uh, Chael Sonnen and Josh Barnett. I look forward to talking to, to more people uh, in, in that world because I'm such a huge fan of the UFC and MMA in general. So, man, you, you got to do your research. You got to, you know, know some background. Uh, and I, I don't like to ask the, the tough prying questions because, hey, man, with some of the, the, the cats that I've hung around with back in the day, some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> but you got, you got to be up to speed with, with the subject at hand. So I just try to prepare myself. And, you know, that comes in the form of research. And so, you know, it, it's a lot more work. Uh, than I thought it would be, to be you know quite frank with you. But nonetheless, it's a lot of fun. And I just enjoy talking to people in general. So it's been a great outlet for me. You mentioned you're a huge MMA fan. We are an MMA show. I've seen you at MMA fights. Did you watch the John Jones-Alexander Gustafson fight on Saturday? And if so, who do you think won? We've asked everyone thus far on the show. Would love to hear your thoughts. Man, I tell you what, I'm down at the ranch right now in South Texas. I haven't shaved. I'm down here doing a lot of work. But we watched the show, me and my buddy, uh, the, the fights just the other night. And I was blown away by Alexander Gustafson. We've seen him come along, and I've seen him, you know, uh, you know, turn in outstanding performances. But I think this was a shining moment. And uh, I think a star has been in the making all this time. And, you know, uh, in the fight against Jones, I think a superstar was born. And I think it was uh, it was just a great fight, and I thought it was interesting to hear John Jones talk about how much he was tested in this fight, the most he's been tested since he started fighting. Maybe that he needs to uh, reevaluate what he's doing in training camp to take it maybe a little bit more seriously. 
because, I mean, you know, he's beaten some uh, big-name people and really smoked them and dominated them because he's so strong, he's so long, and he's just so unpredictable. That guy's a, a hellish fighter. Gustafson had a lot of answers for, for uh, Johnny Jones that he didn't know uh, what the questions were, seemingly. I was impressed by the fight. I think the champion really has to get his ass beat a little bit more to lose. But that being said, I come from, from the world of pro wrestling, Ariel, as you know. Yes. I do not have a score fight technically, but, man, I had it 3-2 Gustafson. Wow. Wow. You're not, what did you have it at? Did, were you down with the decision? I When they said unanimous decision, that really caught me off guard. I thought that. Alex won the first round. I thought John won the second round. I thought Alex won the third round. I thought John stole the fourth round with 60 seconds left. I thought he stole it and then won the fifth, so I had it 3-2, John. Okay, man, again, man, I'm a super fan. I don't know how to score, so I don't want the MMA boards eating my ass up. I just know it was a hell of a fight. I didn't think it was going to go five rounds, but I tell you what, I, I was well worth the money. Do you think, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned coming from the pro wrestling world, see, this is a fight that a lot of people were kind of overlooking. Uh, everyone thought John is going to smoke Alexander Gustafson. But is this the one thing, when comparing those two worlds, and, and I say on this show all the time that if anyone will argue or disagree that MMA didn't come from pro wrestling and steals a lot of its values and its foundation from pro wrestling, then you're crazy. But do you think this is the one thing MMA will always have over pro wrestling, the unpredictability? You never know what's going to happen. In pro wrestling, often they tip their hand, and, and, and that leads to some lackluster shows and fights. Don't you think? Well, I don't know. I think the, then you could probably point the finger at the booking wasn't as smart as it could be. Yep, uh, yep. Or, you know, sometimes with, with uh, the... The, the, the ring age of some of these kids uh, in WWE is quite green, quite young. So maybe some of them aren't quite uh, up to the experience level to carry out a lot of these, you know, intricate details of a very, uh, you know, heavy-duty angle. So th that would be it, – it's, it's a question of booking and execution. And with the green dynamics which go into – well, you know, you can have green fighters, but when you're talking storylines and execution, uh, that does happen. So, I mean – I'd like to. I, I don't know. They're they're two different worlds, but two different but two worlds that often you know run somewhat of a parallel. You know, pro wrestling by all rights is is basically what MMA is, but at a work level and with the theatrics and the character development. Although uh, it seems these days UFC is kind of you know there's there's more characters popping up here and there. Uh, you know, for you personally, a massive pro wrestling match, one that's been built perfectly, whether it's WrestleMania, anything like that, or a massive UFC fight, what gets your, your blood boiling that you say, I got to sit there on a Saturday night or a Sunday night if it's wrestling? What are you more into these days? Well, you know, just from the, from the world that I come from, I you know, kind of left, you know, pro wrestling behind uh, a few years back when I kind of started doing my own thing. Uh, because of, of the experience that I have coming from my world, I can read between the lines in these angles. So I, I can kind of almost pretty much guess or tell you what is about to happen just based on my experience. So I get a little bit more charged up on a UFC fight because anything goes. And I'll tell you, man, when, when some of these uh, championship matches, you know, start out and these cats are coming to the ring, you know, my heart's already pounding, sitting on my couch, you know, watching the fight. I'm, I'm invested. So I, I I got to tip my hat right now these days from where I am in my life to, you know, the excitement of a badass UFC main event. That being said, I say with all due respect to the world that I come from, pro wrestling, that, you know, obviously that is my first love. If MMA, I love asking this question to pro wrestlers, if MMA, UFC was 
as popular as it is today, way back in, let's say, 1980, 1981, 1982, would Steve Austin have gone that route? Well, you know, I speculation who knows hindsight now is something that i'm very very interested in and i i would say that you know with with the way that i approach football or anything that i do it, it's all or nothing it's killer instinct it's go for broke you know i think i would have had the my, the right mindset to do it uh had i you know got a chance to be introduced to it at a younger age but by no means am i going to sit here and say yeah I, and i would have been good at it because i don't know I just know that I'm a big fan of it. I've been a fan of watching how it has just, you know, transitioned from back in the day when you had a, a wrestler versus a, a striker. And these days, these cats go in the ring, and they're well-rounded in, in all different aspects and with the, the jiu-jitsu and everything that goes into it. So I just like to say that I'm a, a super fan, and I enjoy watching the sport and watching it continue to grow and to see, you know, where it's going to go. Will it flatline? You know, can you keep building the stars? all the things that it takes to draw big money when it comes time for a pay-per-view. Because you can look at that roster, you can look at the different weight divisions, and you want depth in each one of those divisions so you can have compelling fights to sell tickets, and you got to have good storylines to do that. So I'm just a big fan. I just love to keep watching the transition go. And, you know, looking down the road to see if uh, down the road UFC or MMA in general will have problems with some of the head injuries you know, all the stuff facing the, the NFL at some level, you know. You, 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 you sold storylines, you sold tickets, you made people more interested in wrestling matches than arguably anyone in the history of the sport. There was, there was no one like Stone Cold when you were on top. Do you ever watch some of these MMA fighters who are super talented and say, man, that post-fight interview was boring. You had a chance there. You got to sell yourself. Does, does that drive you nuts? Man, I do it all the time. You know, a guy gets a chance to get on a horn, you know, Joe Rogan or whoever goes out to talk to him, and they just, uh, they crap the bed. You know, that is uh, an outstanding opportunity for you to, uh, you know, and endure yourself to those, uh, and that's the wrong word I was looking for. That, that's just a, a great way to reach out and, and, and to let that crowd know who and what you are. And some guys just start spewing off at the mouth, talking a bunch of stupid trash, which doesn't make sense. Or, uh, you know, it's a good chance to pick up a new sponsor. Some of the guys who lose fights, you know, they get the boo-boo face and they're pissing and moaning. Uh, you know, like, man, anytime Brian Stan fought, that's one guy, whether he fought when he lost or won, when he's on the horn, that guy commanded your respect, and he was well-spoken. He was articulate and eloquent. I, I always like to watch that guy's promos, and, and he knew what he was doing. He's a smart cat. So, yeah, anytime one of those guys picks up the horn, I'm looking to see, and I'm listening to see, will they resonate with me or will they turn me off? Do you listen to some guys, and do you have favorites? Like this kid, Conor McGregor, I don't know if you know him, but he is a promo machine. Do you have some guys that you love listening to as far as MMA fighters who can really get you excited for a fight? Well, you know, of course, Chael Sonnen uh, yes. <laughs> is one of my favorites. You know, of course, talking to Josh Barnett and getting a chance to talk to him on my podcast, and, and he's a very smart cat, and I've known him for, for quite some time. I'm not familiar with Conor McGregor, uh, but I will be. Uh, now that you mentioned his name, I'll, I'll check out some of his promos. Uh, who else comes to mind? No, no one jumps off the page at me right now. Of course, I enjoyed what Brock was doing back yes. in the day, you know, when he was in there and enjoyed listening to him talk. But, you know, some guys really need to step it up because, and, and I like all the different dynamics of uh, how, how UFC builds some of their fights because, you know, some of it's all about, you know, just straight up 
as uh, you know, Cain Velasquez, you know, he yeah. basically just says what he's going to do, you know, what he's doing in his training. And, dude, if there's anybody that was born to fight, it's that guy. Uh, I don't need a wild promo out of him. I just need to know that he's going to go out there and take care of business. And I'm looking forward to him and uh, Junior DeSantos in uh, number three. So they don't need crazy promos to build that. Uh, that's already there. And the fact that those two are just real pure fighters, that's all I need out of that match. You know, someone who could help with that is someone that we had on our show last week, your good friend, Jim Ross, who recently announced his retirement from World Wrestling Entertainment, and he expressed great interest in working for the UFC, whether it is in front of the camera or behind the scenes. Are you in favor of this? Do you think Jim Ross can help the UFC grow? Man, I, I do, just because the guy has, you know, 34 years experience of, you know, storylines, angles, and knowledge, uh, and, and booking, and how things work in our world. And like I said, there's two, there are two parallels. Obviously, we know that MMA is a shoot. It's real. But, but you know, that, that's, that's the parallel. Does he have, uh, yes, I think he could, could help in some capacity, some way, somehow. I got to turn that question on you. Do you think he could help? Oh, wow. That, you know, I appreciate that very much. Um, I don't know if the UFC will do it on camera, because I think it's just, he's too close to pro wrestling. Yeah. I think they're going to want to shy away from that. that. But uh, behind right. the scenes, talent development, I mean, he did that for many years in WWE. He can find, you know, ex-football players, collegiate wrestlers, things like that. Why can't he help? They need talent development. But, yeah, and sometimes, I mean, you know, certainly just natural storylines present themselves sure. within MMA. So, uh, you know, uh, an idea here or there as far as a little creative. You know, you've got creative in anything you do, whether it's a shoot or a work. So I think you might be able to lend some uh, uh, experienced opinions on that. I was, uh, I just interviewed Jim Ross. He's going to be on my podcast. It's oh. going to drop tomorrow as we speak. And it was a very reserved uh, conversation because uh, I think he was uh, trepidatious, mm. might be a good word, but he, he took the high road. He's a class act. And, it, but it was, it, was a, it was an interesting conversation because Jim Ross is one of my best friends, but it was a little difficult. So I think he was, it was, you know, came very quickly after he'd resigned. But with that being said, an interesting conversation. So, uh, But he did mention the UFC on my show, which will be tomorrow. So, wow. So we will look out I know for he's that. a big fan. You yes, know, please. I, I, I'm very curious to ask you this because, uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with MMA, but you're here, so I have to ask it. It seems like every year, and I don't watch pro wrestling as much as I once did. I mean, back in the day, I never missed a Raw, a SmackDown, a pay-per-view, anything, anything. I mean, I, there, there was no bigger fan, no bigger mark, if you will, whatever term you want to use. I was that guy. Will you ever get in the ring again? Because every year it seems like there's a rumor about you, CM Punk, something. Are you officially done, or is that door still slightly open? Man, I tell you what, you know, the, the, the longer and longer I wait, the more and more time it goes down the road. You know, I, I just, when you really think about it, Ariel, you just think, okay, on one hand it may be fun to do, but then on the other hand, what's on the other side of that? You know, it took me three years to get the business out of my system. You know, almost withdrawal would mm. be a good way to put it. And I got through those three years. And now, hell, it's been 11 years since I've been in the ring. So, you know, sometimes I think on one hand, I know a lot of fans would love to see that. But what if it's not what it should have been or could have been? Mm. You know, I don't want to go out there and do 90% of Stone Cold. That's not who and what I am. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it would take three to four months of really a UFC-type camp to pull it off. And we're talking about a work 
work deal here. But with timing, with the right wind, with the right everything, you, you, you're you looking at three or four months, okay, at least a three-month training period. Sure. Okay, and then, then you go out there and you pull it off. Okay, then what next? You know, what next? So I, I was there. I did it at a very high level. I had a great time. Uh, I took the business to a height that had never been before. Hopefully someone will come on uh, now that I'm done, take it to an even higher level. John Cena has done a uh, wonderful job doing what he's done. So, man, I'd say his pretty chances are, are, are pretty damn slim, you know, just to be quite frank about it. Uh, I've worked very hard to make the roads that I've made, you know, in my reality television stuff, which I really love doing. And uh, some of the independent movie stuff that, I, you know, I, I do and I enjoy. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, uh, I'm not trying to be the next Tom Cruise. I'm just, I enjoy myself working like I am, not my ranch. I enjoy spending time on my reality shows. I enjoy my time prepping for my two podcasts that I do a week, maybe adding up uh, a number three podcast, maybe breaking down a Monday Night uh, Raw show, something like that. So I got my hands full, and I'm working on maybe doing a hunting show with the Outdoor Channel in 2014. So I've got got a lot of my energy and my ideas focused on going down those roads. Last week, we also had uh, Roddy Piper on our show, and we'll end on this. He gave me one of the best answers we've ever received on this show, and I'm curious to hear from you because I feel, honestly, I could talk to you for the next three hours about all your great matches and promos, just a you know, massive admirer of yours. But how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done for a certain match, something you said, something you did? How does Stone Cold Steve Austin, the character and the man, all combined into one, want to be remembered when it's all said and done? Hey, man, just to be remembered, I guess. I don't spend too much time thinking about stuff like that. But I, I get a, I get a lot of uh, great feedback from people who are all gathered around their television set, you know, and their grandfather watched their, with their – the kid watched with his father and his grandfather, and it was kind of their thing that they did together, and they had a lot of fun watching Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, uh, man, I guess I, I just want to be uh, remembered as a great entertainer or – as I would still call myself a great pro wrestler and uh, a guy who went out there and whooped ass. I don't want to uh, make it too complex because my job as a pro wrestler was to sell tickets to make people believe in what I was doing. I was good at it. I believed it myself because that's how much I love the business. So I guess that's all I can say about that. What, what, did, uh, what did Roddy Piper? Uh, Roddy Piper what? said he wanted to just be remembered as a good father, and, I, and that blew me away. Well, you know what? Uh, yeah, I was sticking specifically to the uh, the business of pro wrestling, but yeah, that's a damn good answer. And uh, <laughs> man, I'm a big Roddy Piper fan. I'm one of the biggest in the world. Uh, Steve, this has been a huge honor for me on our 200th show to have you. Uh, I, you know, the, the 1998, you know, Ariel is just going nuts inside. Thank you so much for everything you've done, everything you can, you know, currently do. The podcast, I'm a huge fan of everything that you put out there. Uh, this has been a, a massive, massive deal. So I can't thank you enough. I know you're very busy, so it means a lot to us. No, you know, I appreciate you having me on the show because I'm a huge fan of the, the MMA, UFC, and uh, to see my name on the list of the people that you had on. You know, sometimes, like I said, there's many parallels between the business, and, and a lot of the guys in pro wrestling love uh, MMA and vice versa. But there, there's those purists who would think, well, why would you have this guy on the show? Hey, man, I'm a big fan. I was proud to join you on your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hope to talk to you soon, and best of luck with everything. We'll check out that podcast tomorrow with JR. Can't wait.
You got it, man. Take care, Ariel. There he is, the one and only Stone Cold Steve Austin. How awesome was that? Can't wait to, to, to check that out. His podcast is tremendous. If you haven't heard it, go out there on iTunes. Check it out. It is, uh, it is truly great. He, he is one of a kind and uh, a legend. They throw out that word a lot, but that man is a legend and honored that he is uh, a part of today's 200th episode. Let's move along. Speaking of honored, I am honored that we have this man, arguably the greatest of all time, the former UFC middleweight champion, the greatest champion in UFC history, stops by once again on this show. He is, of course, Anderson the Spider. Silva, Anderson, are you there? I'm good. <laughs> How are you, Anderson? It's, it's good to hear from you. Thank you for coming on. Good time, bro. Okay, lots to talk to you about. I know you're kicking off this World Press Tour. Um, what has the last two months been like for you? You're not the champion anymore. You don't have that belt. Has it been weird for you? No. I have a lot of working. It's normal. Working, my job, outside the octagonal. You miss the belt? Uh, not too much. How come when this fight um, ended, the first fight ended, you said you didn't want to fight Chris, and who convinced you to take the rematch? So, Chris is the new champion. The people need to respect this. But why did you say you didn't want the rematch? And who convinced you to actually take the rematch? Because the time, the finish the fight, the time is decreased wider. Ah. And then who told you that it is the right move? Or who convinced you that you should actually fight him again? He said no nobody nobody convinced him. He he just said what what he's meaning That's to say cool is that is that basically basically is that, that was Chris Weidman's moment. He just became champion and he didn't wanna, you know, cloud his moment by saying the rematch. He's, he has a contract with the UFC, he's gonna fight whoever the UFC puts in front of him. So at that point he's still got yeah, he's still got <laughs> got still nine fights. <laughs> and hey Ed, how are you? Good to hear from you. Hey, I'm good, Ariel. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. What's that? It's sorry, Ariel. No, no problem. No, no problem. It's great to hear from Ed as well. So, okay, so now you're actually fighting him December 28th um, at UFC 168. Are you surprised that so many people are not picking him? He, he actually beat you, but still, everyone's, it seems like the fighters, they're picking you. People still kind of consider you the champion. They, they almost forget that he is the champion. Does that surprise you? No, I working hard for a long time. I have I have my story in this uh, this sport. Uh, I have my fans. I respect the people. I respect my fans in UFC. I respect my fans in the world. And this for me is the big, big chance for give the back, the present for the, my fans. So this, so when you said I'm back in that interview, would you say that we're going to see the best Anderson Silva? Is that your present to the fans to come back and get the title back? I'm back. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I try. I'm working hard now. 
I try. Uh, Chris is new champion, is a good fighter, but I train hard for for next for 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 rematch, and new Anders has come. You know, the, the most amazing thing about that fight was how you dealt with it afterwards. You were so humble, like you said, you wanted to give him his moment. And a lot of people said that it felt like the, the weight of the title was off your shoulders and you were relieved. You were happy about that. Is that true? Yeah, a little bit because for a long time I defended my 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 title and I working hard for defense the 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 UFC belt, but sometimes you have good energy, sometimes you don't have, and I need to say, Chris. For the, the the last fight is good one. That's it. I don't need you to talk too much because Chris using the you technique and Chris win. That's it. How long did it take for you to move on and start thinking about the rematch and not the the first fight? So uh, I finished the fight, and Dana talked to me, and for a rematch, I changed my my mind and working hard for the rematch. I saw an interview with you recently, and a lot of people have compared you to you know Floyd Mayweather and things like that. You don't seem to be a big fan of his. Why is that? No, I like Mayweather. He's the good boxer in the world. But uh, Mayweather sometimes is the the problem is uh, no respect to the sport. Mm. I respect boxing. Mayweather is uh, is the, the best fight in the boxing in the world. Is definitely. Did you watch? Best. Did you watch the John Jones Alexander Gustafson fight on Saturday and who do you think won the fight? Uh I don't see the fight, but uh John Jones win, no? He did win, but a lot of people thought Alex won. So I don't know, I don't see the fight, brother. Okay. But my my energy, my mental is all the time John Jones fight. It's John Jones because I like John Jones. Is that still a fight that you hope to, to do one day, you versus John Jones? Uh, man, I have nine nine fights in UFC, but my real opinion, no. Your opinion, okay, your opinion, you don't want, why not? Because in my team, I have a lot of guys in the same class as John Jones. And Rafael Feijão, Rogério Minotoro, uh, Glover, uh, Lioto Machida, and all the guys. These guys, uh, I need a chance for a fight for the belt. 
Are you surprised that Machida is going down to 185? No, it's normal. It's good. So you say that that's the fight that you don't want. Um, in that nine-fight stretch, of course, uh, Chris will be the next one, and that's the one you're thinking about, and not, not including Roy Jones, because we know you want that fight very badly. Is there one that, when the time is up, when that contract is over, that you really, really want, one fight in particular? So, man, for me, it's my focus is my rematch and finish rematch is the fight for Roy Jones. This is my goal. A big goal in the sports. Have you noticed that people treat you differently now that you're not the champion? She's normal, no? <laughs> it's a game. But you've noticed it, right? People don't uh, look at you or talk to you the same way, right? Yeah, of course. But my family is normal. My family is the same. This is more important for me. My sons, my wife, my brothers, my dad. The other people? Forever. And what's your relationship now with uh, Sensei Segal? Because you did an interview recently where it seemed like you were saying that he doesn't deserve the credit for the kick against Vitor Belfort. Oh, no, it's the movement. I have the good relationship for the Mr. Uh, the Master Seagal. It's a great man, it's the great master, but I I working hard for this the the kick the front kick for a long time. I started the, the, the martial arts, the my first master, show me the movement and I drink taekwondo, capoeira and all the all the martial arts uh, uh, stand up, but one day, Master Sini Segal come to the academy, uh, the the watching the training and watching my front kick and talk to me. Hey, you move you little more your leg, the, the the kick is more fast. That's it. No too much. No show me the new kick or blah blah blah. I respect Mister. Mr. Seagal, but it's no my coach, it's my friend. Understood. You understand what he said? Absolutely. What he meant? Yep. I, it, 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 go ahead. Teach him the kick. He just made some adjustments and helped him out with it, but it's not his coach. He, he, he trained with him that day, and, and, he, and, he, and he's his friend, but it's not like his coach, you know? So I think, that is, I think some of that stuff in the media kind of got a little bit mixed around. He wasn't by any means discrediting Sagal or, or, or anything like that. He just, you know, sometimes it got, uh, I think the way it was put out in the press was not the right way he meant. Fair enough. Three quick questions and then we'll let you go, Anderson. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, will you do anything in training differently for this fight in the rematch against uh, uh, Chris Weidman? So I train more uh, jiu-jitsu because Weidman come to fight me and no stand up to gather me now in this fight. Go for the ground, go for the ground. That's it. I train more jiu-jitsu and ninjitsu. 
<laughs> okay, and, and uh, for your legacy, do you feel like you have to do something spectacular in this rematch to cement that you are and uh, we're always the best ever? I mean, because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, people jump off the bandwagon. It happens all the time. But do you feel like this is not just a fight to regain your title, but it is to cement your legacy as the best ever? Come on, bro. Definitely. No. I'm working hard for a long time. And I fight in Brazil. I fight in Japan. I fight in Korea. I fight in England. I fight in the world, bro. I have I have Abu Dhabi. And I fight for a long time. My big goal is to change the life of the new... The new Athletes come, change the life, the kids, the people, because I'm I'm a normal guy. Sometimes I have good days, sometimes I don't have good days. The people have the chance now for see the real Anderson. It's normal. And final one, Anderson, and that was an incredible answer, one of my favorites that I've ever heard from you, so thank you. How will you win on December 28th? Anytime. What was that, Ariel? Can you repeat the question? How does he expect to win on December 28th? Uh, I give it back, the knockout. <laughs> wow. He Chris back his knockout. I, I heard it loud and clear. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you so much, Anderson. This is a huge honor for us on our 200th episode. Really appreciate it. And best of luck as you prepare for December 28th, one of the biggest fights in UFC history. Obrigado. Anytime. Thanks, Ariel. The guy, who has, the guy who has the second best shoe collection in MMA. <laughs> I'll, I'll bow down to you. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate it. <laughs> there they are. Anderson and Ed in the car going to the World Press Tour. We will be there. We have correspondence. We have like eight minutes to kind of catch our breath here for a second before we go in the final sprint of this, uh, this 200th episode. We just went from Uriah to Chael to Dan to Chris to Connor to Stone Cold to Anderson in a little over two hours. Do you have anything to add, New York Rick? Do you want to be a part of this, this murderer's row? I do want to be a part of this, but <laughs> not right this second. You can't. Why? 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 Why not? Right this second. What are you doing? That's it. He doesn't have what it takes. Look at that. Oh, okay. All right. Um, how about that? How about that? Uh, they, they they told me. I don't know if Will was speaking in my ear personally or privately or publicly, um, but he's on the phone. How about that comment from Anderson Silva? I give Chris back the knockout. Was that the exact comment? I'm reading Matt Gerard here who quoted it for me. Um, that answer and the one before about his legacy, that made the interview. And of course, when you interview Anderson Silva, you know that you know, English is not his first language, so you get it. But that, that, that made it for me right there. That was great. In a minute, in five minutes, excuse me, we will, uh, <laughs> we will be joined by George St. Pierre. We go from Anderson Silva to George St. Pierre. And of course, George St. Pierre meets Johnny Hendricks on uh, November 16th at UFC 167. After that, we'll be joined by Greg Jackson for a quick update on John Jones. And of course, 
why wasn't Greg Jackson in John Jones's corner? I don't know if you guys realize this. I tweeted this on a Saturday night after the fact. Um, for whatever reason, the Ontario Athletic Commission only allowed the main eventers. Typically, they're allowed four cornermen, but uh, on Saturday night, they only allowed three. And, you know, I don't think they do it, you know, uh, for any particular reason or they're, 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 there's a hierarchy when they're writing them down. But for whatever reason, when Team Jones wrote down the names um, uh, for his corner, Greg Jackson was fourth. So they cut off the list at three. And Greg Jackson, who is obviously a big part of John Jones's team, a big part of who John Jones is, a big part of his uh, preparation, all that good stuff. He wasn't in his corner. He wasn't there. He was off to the side uh, yelling instructions at Mike Winklejohn, who was obviously a big part of John Jones's team and, and all that stuff I just said, off to the side yelling instructions. And then Winklejohn, who can you know obviously be on his own, and Greg made it a point to say that to me when we spoke, relayed what he needed to relay. But could you imagine... Your guy, your, your you know, one of your 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 mentors, your backbone in in many respects wasn't there. Now I, I talked to some fighters about this afterwards, and they say, look, at the end of the day, fight's a fight. You're in the fight. It doesn't really truly matter who's there. But you, you think about you know the connection they have, the camaraderie they have, the impact Greg Jackson has in his fighters' corner, the way he talks to them, the way he communicates with them. He's a big deal. You can't dismiss that. No, I'm not saying that that's the reason why John, you know, was beat up, not taking anything away from Alexander Gustafson, but it is certainly a big deal. So Greg Jackson wasn't in John Jones' corner on Saturday night, and, and, and I find that fascinating. And I, and I find it strange because usually you get at least four guys for a main event title fight. Ontario didn't allow that. And how about Ontario making Pat Healy? That, that wasn't a big beard. Can you imagine if Connor fought there with that beard? Can you imagine if Kimbo fought there? There have been, you know, imagine Roy Nelson. That wasn't a big beard. They made him trim his beard. They made uh, Costa Filippo trim his beard. I'm wondering now, now that I think about it, the two guys who had to trim their beards both lost. How about that? Weird, right? The power of the beard. It's not something to be overlooked. But anyway, uh, the Ontario Commission, a very strange one, and they, they, they've had their. We've had their, our ups and downs with them as far as how they, they handle things. But the beard, the beard is crossing the line. You don't touch the beard. What, and especially those weren't even big beards. Did you see Pat Healy's beard before the fight? That was not a big beard. That is not a beard that would affect either the opponent or the fight in any way. And I can understand someone saying, oh, the beard pads the chin. Um, Cormier is saying that uh, Nelson uh, gets an unfair advantage with his beard. People have brought this up about Kimbo Slice. But honestly, that beard... I don't know. What's the point? Why mess with a guy? If a guy's comfortable with that and it's not big, it's not a certain length, why make him shave it? Anyway, uh, reason why I bring up the Greg Jackson thing is because he, be, um, he will be joining us right after George at around 3.40. And then at around 3.50, we will be joined by Big John McCarthy, who was the third man in the, uh, in the octagon. Of course, he was the referee. He's the legendary referee. Um, and he was there on Saturday night for the John Jones-Alexander Gustafson fight. And Dana White said uh, on Saturday after the fight, he told a story about how the, um, the commission uh, was close to stopping the fight, 
going into the fifth round. Um, they were they, they they thought that the 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 cut above John Jones's I believe right eye was uh, very problematic, and they were going to stop it. And, and Dana said that. Big John also, quote-unquote, pleaded for the commission not to stop the fight, which is interesting because that's typically not what the referee should do or technically not what he should do. So I wanted to get uh, Big John, and I think it would be nice to hear from Greg, who wasn't a part of the main event, and find out what happened there, and then get Big John. Of course, for the 200th episode, God is my witness, I did try to get uh, John Jones on the show, and uh, it, it, you know, I can understand. I, 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 that was my Hail Mary. That was me kind of going for the gusto there. Tried to get him, but um, I'm told that he is not 100%. I actually did get an update. Um, I did get an update from his manager, Malki Kawa, who told me this uh, before the show, he said that he's getting some tests done this week on his foot and we'll update once we get those results back. So they told me, Team Jones told me that it is, uh, it is probably broken. They, 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 they figured it was broken. They wouldn't want to speculate whether or not the injured toe truly affected him, but it was the same foot that he seriously injured early in the fight, I believe on a kick. Uh, that was his left foot. Of course, severed the toe against Chael Sonnen, and uh, and then he injures it. And, you know, you talk about wrestling and, and all that stuff. I mean, that could affect you. But, again, you can't take anything away from what Gustafson did. Stopping those takedowns, taking him down, uh, busting him up on his feet. It, it was It was... It was a show for the ages. It was a fight for the ages. And what made it so good was that everyone counted out Alexander Gustafson. I don't know one media member that picked him. The only person that I saw pick... Gustafson on the record was Dominic Cruz during the broadcast on Fox Sports 1. And of course, he would pick him um, because he trains with him at a line to May. Of course, I, I don't think they're sparring together, but he's not going to pick against his opponent. You can't do that. I didn't see anyone who was unbiased pick Gustafson, and that's what made it so good. And it happened so quickly. You're watching that fight, and the first minute, and you're like, wait a second, is he going to win this round? And then it went to like, wait a second, he has won the round. Is he going to win the next round? Is he going to win this fight? Is he going to be the new champion? It was all happening so quickly, and I'm very, very curious to see whether or not the UFC uh, makes that rematch right away or if they, they book Gustafson versus someone else along the way and have Jones fight Glover Teixeira. Because if they don't do the, the Gustafson fight, I think at this point they're going to do the Glover fight. I actually spoke to Glover Teixeira, and that interview will air on uh, UFC Tonight, which is uh, this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time for in the West, on Fox Sports 1. Hope you're liking that. It's the new one-hour version, primetime version of UFC Tonight. And um, I think we have a big guest on the show this week, but I won't spoil it just yet. Want to talk quickly about uh, Hannah Brow since we were talking about uh, Dominic Cruz, and I'm sure people are going to ask about him as well. And George is coming up any minute here. Uh, he is, of course, the interim champion at this point. Interim, no interim, what does it all mean He's the best active fighter at 135 pounds. Uh, part of me feels like it would be a disservice to Dominic Cruz if they just bring him back more than two years later and have him fight this guy, who, in my opinion, really needed a performance like that. You know, he finished Michael McDonald, which was super impressive, but a flashy knockout and the dancing where you saw some personality out of Henning because it's so hard with, with some of these foreign fighters, the Brazilian fighters, to, to really get them out there and promote them and, and show who they are. But that's something that you can play on highlight reels. That's something that you can sell people on. Um, I thought it was great. I thought it was perfect. Um, that's the kind of fight and finish and win that he needed, and he got it. And at this point... 
let's see. I mean, you look at the calendar, they're pretty much booked up until the, the end of the year. December 28th, that's the last show of the year. All right, so what are we, November, uh, September uh, 23rd. So you got three months there. And then you could probably wait till, you know, February or March. And that has to be kind of the, the, the deadline for Dominic Cruz. And if not, then I'm really looking at the TJ Dillashaw versus Rafael Sunsoft fight. That fight is taking place um, next, what is it? Is it next week? Yeah, I think it is next week. Is, no, it's in two weeks. No, it's next week, October 3rd. In Brazil, that's on Fox Sports 1, a Wednesday night card. Um, that's a huge fight. That's a huge fight at 135 pounds. And I think TJ Dillashaw, uh, if he's victorious, could be a very interesting opponent for Hennenborough. I, I really think with his wrestling, uh, he's turned into obviously a great striker working with Bang Ludwig and the team there at Team Alpha Male. I think that's a great fight. So that's what I'm looking at right now. But uh, everyone wants to see that fight. And I, again, I, I do think it's somewhat of a disservice, but it's such a big fight, a unification fight. They've kept Hennen as uh, interim champion for so long that I think it only kind of makes sense to do the, the unification battle because you're not going to strip him now. That would make no sense. Why would you strip him right off the bat uh, upon his return if you kept uh, Hennen as the interim champion for all those years? Makes no sense, right? Let me just tell the people here. And don't forget, after our last three interviews, uh, we will be joined by all of you. We will take your questions. Um, so use the hashtag DMMAHour to get them out there or uh, leave them on the, uh, the website. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, as we continue to give back to all of you, hope you're enjoying the 200th episode of the MMA Hour. As we continue to give back to all of you, uh, we're giving out these cards, this prize from our friends at Tops, UFC Finest. 2013 trading cards. Look for the autographed jumbo relic cards on uh, inside, and you got Ronda Rousey there. Does it say anything I should know? Oh, here it is. Every mini box contains uh, an autograph and two jumbo relics. Every master box contains six autographs or jumbo relics, and I believe this is a mini box. Five cards per pack, two six-pack mini boxes. I think this is a mini box. Anyway, we're giving this out as we used to do in the old days. Hopefully, they will get to you. Hopefully, they'll actually uh, be sent out. As we wait for uh, George, I wanted to also address uh, the whole promotion thing, Dana White getting in his shots in our post-fight interview. If you listen to this show, if you've listened to the MMA Beat, you know that I had no problem with the promotion. I actually thought it was a smart way to sell a fight. For the first time in a long time, they were using tactics. They were using things of that nature. I will address that in a second. For now, let us go to the phone lines and welcome in for the very first time. And what better time than now in our 200th episode to welcome in the UFC welterweight champion, George Rush St. Pierre. George, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Good to have you on the show. Okay, lots to talk to you about. I know our time is limited, so let's get right into it. Um, back and forth, you and Johnny Hendricks have gone leading up to this fight about WADA, VADA, all this stuff. Why did you feel the need to do all of this before this fight when in the past this hasn't really come up for you? Well, many reasons. First, the, the first reason is you, you cannot be against the, the Virtu. So I'm not against the Virtu. Secondly, a lot of people have been accusing me I'm on steroids. In the past, it always, I always feel like uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it, it was because they, they, they feel like I have good athleticism, so I took it as a compliment. But with, with time goes by, you know, I wanted to make a point. I wanted to prove to the world that 
You can be world champion without using steroid, and I, I never used steroid in my life. And I wanted to make a point for myself. Third reason, <clears throat> I wanted to do something good for the honest people in the sport that that are fighting. And uh, I wanted to do something uh, uh, something good for the sport. You know, so I want as a as a champion, uh, I want to be a good role model, and I want to as an athlete. Outside of the octagon, my role is to, I want to elevate the sport to another level. I want the sport be, elevate the sport to a more mainstream level. And I think it's the next step because a lot of things has happened. I, I, I wanted to raise the bar and, and to, to do something for, for, like I said, for the sport to, for, for that. And uh, I, I said I was doing, I was going to do it. Hendrick said he was going to do it in the past. He changed his mind. But me, I'm still doing it uh, because I, I'm a man of my word. So you're still doing the VADA testing. How much of a nuisance has this been for you? How often are you getting yeah, tested? I've, I've, I've done the VADA testing so far. I'm waiting for the uh, athletic commission. I wanted to do the athletic commission too, but we wait for the paper. They never send, they never send back the, the paper. I wanted to do both at the same time because Johnny, that's what he wanted to do. So I wanted to do both at the same time. I want to make sure I was doing VADA as well. And um, and uh, so far, I've been tested two times. They they arrive uh, randomly. Two times they arrive so far. I was not expecting them. They arrive like randomly in the, sometime in training where, where you train or in the morning. They knock at your door. It happened two times so far. They they arrive. Uh, you know, it sucks. Sometimes they they they, they disturb you, but they, that's all it is. You know, that's the sacrifice I want to make for this camp. Uh, and Johnny Hendricks has said that he believes you are, you know, kind of in cahoots with Vada, that you're being paid by them. Is that true? No, it's not true. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I heard what Johnny Hendricks said, and I don't think he knows what he's talking He doesn't know what he's talking about. He was talking about Vada. He said he wanted to do Vada. First, let me just educate you on the subject. Yes. Vada... WADA, W-A-D-A, it's an organization that makes the guideline. It makes the guideline for the, the testing association. WADA follows the, guide, the guideline of WADA. So when he says he wanted to be tested by WADA, there is no such thing. It's an organization that made the guideline and made the pro prohibited list for the uh, association that, that do the testing. So WADA is just like a guideline. WADA is an association that tests. It's, it's probably the most reputable as association that, that tests. It's been recommended for me because I, I'm friends with Freddie Roach and many professional boxers in the past have used it. And also uh, Rory McDonald and uh, BJ Penn have used it as well. It's a very reputable uh, organization and they, they, they test for synthetic for a lot of uh, uh, good a lot of uh, product. They make sure they do that. They do it all. So that's why I wanted to go, to go with Vada. And the fact that he doesn't want to do it. What is? What do you think that says about Johnny Hendricks? Do you believe when he says, "Oh, I don't want to do it because George isn't better"? Or do you think there are other reasons? Listen, I, I don't want to accuse uh, Johnny Hendricks. You can ask Johnny himself the reason why he doesn't want to do it. I'm not, not going to answer for him. The only thing I can say is this. People, they want to be champion. They want to make money. What make, make you have money as an athlete? 
It's your brand and how you succeed in your sport. Even if you're champion and your brand is not good, you have a bad reputation, it's, you're not going to make money. The sponsor will not want to sponsor you. So it's important to have a, to have a good image, have a good brand. When you say something, you have to be a man of your word and do it. You know what I mean? When I say, when I say I'm going to be tested, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm a man of my word. I, that's why I, I, I make the money in the sport, because I have a good brand and a man of my word. When I say something, I do it. It's part of my person to be authentic and who I am and what I stand for. So that's, that's one thing that's very important to, to understand in the business of an athlete, professional athlete. Johnny said that one of the reasons why he doesn't want to do it is because he doesn't want anything to come up. He says if you're doing something illegal, he just wants to get you in the cage because he's afraid that you might get caught. Does that bother you to hear him but say guess, that? But guess what? It's too late because I'm already doing it right now, so you should do it as well. It's already in process right now. I cannot go back. It's already done. I already, I already do it. I even offer to pay for it. I even pay for him if you want to do it I, because I'm the champion. And I want to make, like I said, I want to make something good for the sport. I'm the champion. It's my responsibility. I said it first. I, I'm even paying for him if you want to do it. I paid the test. You know, that it's, it's voluntary. You pay for the for this. So I'm paying for him uh, if he wanted to do it. But he, he, he said he, he was in the beginning, but then he, he, he changed his mind. So I cannot, I cannot answer for Johnny. That's uh, up to him to, to do whatever he wants to do. UFC President Dana White said that all this talk makes, quote, both of them look stupid, you and Johnny Hendricks. He says he's not in favor of it and doesn't know why you just don't do the commission testing. What's your response to that? I said I was going to do the commission testing. I'm, wa I'm still waiting for the paper. We have the email. We have proof of the email that my manager sent. We're waiting for the athletic commission to send. We I want to do both. I don't care. I'll do any test. I don't care. The reason I asked for Vado is because I, I, uh, I mentioned the reason why before yeah. uh, what I told you why I asked for Vado. I don't care we do any other association. I don't mind. But I want to make sure that we do Vado as well. A lot of people think, given his style, the wrestling and the striking, that he will be your toughest test as champion. Do you agree? I agree it will be the toughest test. And uh, believe me, I'm, I'm ready for it. You're ready already, two months before. No, but I mean, I'm getting there. You know? <laughs> I'm ready mentally, but I'm getting there. I'll be even more ready November 16th. Now, you know, obviously this is a, is a big card and everything like that, but you're not fighting in Canada. Are you happy about that? Are you, are you happy that you're getting to fight somewhere else? Um, yeah, a little bit in a way because it, it changed. It's important to change the place where you fight. I think I... Me, I'm happy in a way, not because I'm not fighting Canada, I'm happy to go back in Vegas because I started my career in UFC in Vegas. So that, that's Vegas, that was my first fight in Vegas. That, that's the city that gave me the first chance, where I had the, ch the first chance to prove myself in the octagon, and I'm happy to go back there. That's actually the place I fought the most in my career, it's in Vegas. I'm happy to go, to go there and fight again. You were in Canada this past week, obviously, for UFC 165. You cornered your friend and training partner, Francis Carmel. Did you watch the main event? We've asked everyone on the show thus far who they thought won. So I'm curious, if you watched it, who do you think won? John Jones or Alexander Gustafsson? Uh, I'm a little bit biased because John Jones is my friend, but I do believe if I would watch the fight with no, uh, 
Though emotion, I believe John Jones won the fight because I believe I believe first round he could have I would have given to Gustafson yep. slightly. Second round Jones. Third round I believe it was if I remember well it was Gustafson. Yep. Fourth round that's where that's where it's interesting. Fourth round I believe Gustafson was winning the fourth round until the end when he got cut with that spinning elbow. Yep. And I believe. That spinning elbow is the key to the fight. That's what changed the whole momentum into the fight. Because after that, Gustafson never recuperated from it, never came back the same. And that's the reason why John Jones won. I think it was a, a great showcase of skill and heart and determination by John Jones. It was probably one of the best, probably one of the best or the best fight I've seen in the octagon. And I want to give props to John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. It was an amazing, amazing fight. I think this proves, George, that people from Montreal are, in fact, the smartest people because I scored it the exact same way. I mentioned the fourth round, and I think it is the best fight. So how about that? We actually agree. Ah, there you go. (laughs) We think the same way, Ariel. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, last question for you, George, and I'll let you go, and I appreciate it very much. After Anderson Silva lost, uh, John Jones became, in many people's eyes, the pound-for-pound king of MMA. Were you bothered by that? And you consider yourself now the best fighter in mixed martial arts? Yeah, I believe Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva is still the best, uh, best in the world. The thing is, he just got caught, you know? It happened to everyone. But, but you know, it's so hard to... to you, you, cannot really, you cannot really say that. Jose Aldo is very good as well. I would say it's hard to say between between I, of course Salvola, so you, you have to consider that, but I, I believe it would be between John Jones and uh, Jose Aldo. I believe uh, one of these two guys uh, is probably the best fan from. I believe it's, it's very tight to say. It's very hard to say. Well, in my opinion, you're in that discussion as well, and I can't wait to see your fight on November 16th against Johnny Hendricks. A huge fight and a very interesting one. George, I know you're very, very busy. means a lot to us that you would come on the show today. Thank you so much, and uh, good luck in training for that fight on November 16th. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, there he is, the UFC welterweight champion George Rush St. Pierre making his first appearance on the 200th episode of the MMA Hour. So great to have him on the show. And, uh, and, and and very interesting that we actually scored the fight the exact same way, and we actually thought that the fourth round, the final minute of the fourth round, was the most important part of the fight. Now, a man that knows a thing or two about John Jones, a thing or two about title fights, a thing or two about George St. Pierre, is our next guest, Greg Jackson, on the line right now on the MMA Hour. Greg, how are you? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for stopping by. I know it's been a, a very busy uh, last couple of days for you. So, uh, lots to talk here, but I've been building this up all uh, show long. And, and by the way, congratulations to you and the team uh, for the victory. Oh, thanks. Congratulations to you on 200 episodes. Thank you. And it wouldn't be a 200th episode show without Greg Jackson, just for the record. <laughs> a, a, a member of the tribe, so to speak. Um, <laughs> uh, why weren't you in John Jones's corner on Saturday night? Uh, we had, uh, I, I was there, but I had to move back a little bit. They only allowed, uh, three cornermen and, uh, because of name shifts or something uh, my name was the one name that wasn't on the, uh, on the corner list. So I had to back up a little bit and, uh, I was kind of on the outskirts, but, uh, well, the other coaches handled it just fine. And I was kind of yelling and screaming for where I could be. And, uh, 
Uh, it worked out. It was a good fight, but it worked out. How, how does that happen? Honestly, you're Greg Jackson. You know, you're so close to him. How does that happen? How do you get uh, left on the outside looking in? Did you raise a stink at least? Well, no, because we had. Uh, you're only allowed three quartermen, and and I think there was a miscommunication somewhere as to we we're going to put me on, but then it didn't. It didn't happen, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, you know. Uh, uh, I've got a great, great team, and they're much better coaches than I am, and and uh, so it worked out. And, and I was we're kind of right there. I was sitting right next to uh, the corner, so I could still yell stuff and, and stuff. So it wasn't a big deal. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. It sounds a little bit like you may have lost your voice. Is that why? Because you were yelling so much? No, I have a I have a pretty good head cold, oh. and I got sick as a dog on on Sunday, and uh, I had to teach a seminar, so I worked through that, and then it just got worse and worse. One of those where you don't sleep all night. Fun illnesses <laughs> well certainly uh sorry to hear that and, and that means i appreciate oh, no it even more and we'll let you go rather quickly uh can you oh, give no, us take your time Nobody. can you give us a, an update on how john is feeling uh well, the last i talked to him i was letting him rest but uh his foot was pretty busted up uh, and i'm not sure where that happened i don't know if it was from all the head kicks he landed or checking one of uh alex kicks i'm, I'm not sure where it happened but his foot was the primary thing you know he had a, his face was full and handsome laceration stuff but uh his foot was what was giving him problem his left foot how much did that affect him i mean do you, do you feel like the takedowns things like that he would have been more effective had his foot not been seriously injured uh i mean we can play that game like you know what i mean maybe maybe not but i think it just augustuson just came in and had a great plan and, and executed it really well and I think the credit should really go to him. I think he was just able to, to shut down those takedowns, and uh, we need to be better and evolve our, our setups and, and get to, to be better fighters. But uh, I think that credit should go to Alex. How much did the injured toe bother him? And, and, and even leading up to the fight, I mean, we kind of look past it, but then you, you think about it and, and you know, the, the, the same foot gets injured, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel like it might have been a bigger deal than we, we might have thought, at least us in the media? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask John that. Um, I, I got the sense that, well, you know, he thought about it, that it, that it wouldn't impede him too much. But uh, that'd be a great question to see how, how he felt about it, because uh, a lot of times they'll hide those things from me. They'll be like, oh, no, everything's fine. But, you know, in reality, it's bugging him. But uh, I actually don't know the answer to that to that question. In training, he never really brought it up, never complained about it? Uh, not to me. Uh, you know, we would tape it a lot to just to make sure everything was stable. But, uh, um, you know, it never. I'm not, I'm not aware that it hurt him. But, again, you have to take that with a grain of salt because uh, the boys and, and, and uh, girls that I have fighting, uh, the men and women usually don't let me know that they're injured at all. I have to kind of drag it out of them. In a million years, in your wildest dreams, I know you game plan, you know, as good as anyone in this business. Did you ever foresee the fight happening like that? You know, the cut, obviously, these are little minor details, but taking him down and busting him up, all these things. Did you think Gustafson would be able to hang with John Jones? Because let's be honest, the odds makers, the media, no one gave him a shot. Yeah, but that's what it always happens. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that's So, yeah, just because I've been in the corner so many, so many, so many times and seen that it happened where everybody's like, there's no way this guy's going to win, there's no way, and then... You know, he gives it goes in there and gives a great battle, um, and and you know made it a great competitive fight. So uh, yeah, I wasn't shocked at, at all. Um, I, you know, I know Alexander's great. I studied him a lot, and uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't like terribly shocking. Certainly, I wanted it to be a lot more one sided than it was, but uh, uh, no, I wasn't shocked or anything like that. It, it's just been too many 
you know, 20 years and God knows how many corners I've been in. I've been in, in too much to be like, oh my goodness, what's happening? That's not me much. Um, what do you say to the people who say that this proved that John Jones doesn't have finishing power on his feet? I, I would say that uh, uh, has Alexander ever been finished on his feet? I don't think so. I think his only finish was uh, when Phil yep. uh, caught him uh, in the choke. So uh, that's I, I wouldn't say that at all. I'd think that he pretty well finished uh, Shogun on his feet. Uh, you know, he kind of he fell down and, sure. and finished down there. But no, I mean, everybody's just looking for, you know, any kind of uh, weakness or excuse or, or whatever. And that's normal. You know, I mean, that's that's what they do. But, uh, no, if, if uh, you get hit by John, it'll hurt you, that's for sure. <laughs> Why do you think the fans react to John? There's, he's so polarizing. I mean, after the fact, I was getting blasted for saying that I thought he won the fight three rounds to two. Uh, for the record, I thought he won uh, the second round, the fourth round, and the fifth round. And people, you know, right. and this happens. People get very um, passionate and, and, and emotional. They think that uh, their guy got robbed, but it just feels like, you know, little things that he says or does, he wears the shirt, not quite human, things like that. It rubs people the wrong way. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I think that he's so good that, um, you know, you get a, a, a lot of, um, what's the word? Uh, I wouldn't call it envy or jealousy, but people just don't like that. Like, you, you, you need to be a little more human and a little more uh, relatable. I guess people maybe have a hard time relating to him. Uh, because he is so talented and, and uh, uh, so, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. I, I think that would be the reason, I guess. He's, he's not because he's so good at what he does. Um, and, and, you know, he, he doesn't make any, uh, I mean, he's a humble guy. He's not, you know, going around screaming on the ground. I mean, he says he's the greatest, but so does everybody in that sure. position. Um, that's a fighter's job. Uh, but I, I think he just, the, people don't relate to him well, or you know, they really appreciate him. Like you said, it's really polarizing. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think that's much more of an insecurity thing than, uh, than anything else, that people are you're not, you can't relate to him, so uh, you automatically dislike him. Do you think this will make him more likable, that the fact that he's human, withstood this onslaught, came back, won a big fight, you know, he said on Twitter that he needed something like this. Do you think this actually helps John in the end? I think so, because, I, you know, it's... A lot of people, it's, when you look back at history, you kind of need to look back uh, at the bigger picture. And uh, I, I like to use Ali a lot because uh, he kind of went through similar things in that there were a lot of people that didn't like Ali, especially when he did some of his best performances and were screaming about it and angry about it. And uh, in hindsight, those people respect Ali now. And I think that, uh, that uh, John's going to go through a similar thing. I mean, a war like that and coming out on top, uh, it shows his spirit, shows his tenacity, shows his heart. I mean, everything that people should admire about fighters and be inspired by was exemplified in that. And so uh, uh, while it might not be for everybody at the moment, I think in hindsight, as you look back, it's going to be a, a momentous uh, fight. I'm happy you brought up Ali because uh, I've been criticized a bit for this, but I asked John about it on Thursday. I said that, you know, John Jones, in order to really be considered one of the best, needs a Frazier to his Ali, a Chael Sonnen to his Silva, a Larry Bird to his Magic Johnson, on and on. Every great champion needs a foil. And at this point, he didn't have it. He told me on Thursday he already found his Frazier. It was Rashad Evans. But the thing is, Rashad didn't win around against him and really didn't give him a tough test. Do you think... Alexander Gustafson could be his Frazier? Uh, well, I think it, we'll have to see in the rematch. Um, you know, if the rematch is another war like this, uh, back and forth, and, then certainly he will be. Um, for It's too early to tell, you know. Um, it, uh, 
Uh, it certainly is very, very possible, and all indications seem to be that way. But that's great. I mean, that's good for the sport. It's good for everybody's legacy. And, and uh, if it turns out that way, everybody wins. It's good. We don't know what's next for either man, but would you like to see them fight again next? I, well, I mean, it's not up to me. I, I just uh, I help with whoever, but I'm sure we'll be fighting Alexander again. I mean, he's such a great fighter. And there's not many uh, people at, uh, at that weight class that are going to be able to beat him. So uh, I'm sure we'll be fighting him again. How soon? I have no idea, but uh, I'm sure we'll be beating him again. What's your preference? I don't have one. Uh, I don't deal in, in preference. You can't because like my, you can't be like, oh, darn, I didn't want to fight that, or I really want to fight this guy because I don't have any control over that. So my job is just to, to deal with whatever they bring me. So they bring you this. You know, I'll give advice. If somebody asks me, should I take this fight? I say, well, at this point, you might want to wait. Or, you know, yes, jump on this fight. I'll always say that. But John is at a point now that as long as he's prepared, he should be able to fight anybody. And uh, um, so if Alexander's rematch is in the cards, then that's what we'll do. Let's just say you guys do get a chance to fight Alexander again. Will you do anything differently in training for this fight now that you fought him once and saw how it all went down? Oh, yes. A lot, a lot of things. A lot, a lot of things different now, for sure. Just because you learned so much. It was such a great educational experience. And in, uh, in a lot of positive ways, like you really got to see John's got a great jaw. You really got to see that, that John's got heart. You know, there's a lot of positives that came out about it. And then the technical deficiencies that we have, we're going to correct and, and overcome and, and figure out. And so uh, it, it was a really good thing to have happen because it, it gives us a, a blueprint of where we want to go and how we can improve. So anything in particular that you can say what you'll do differently? <laughs> Not till after the second fight, then I'll tell you. But but fundamentally and 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 kind of technically, when you were watching that fight, were you you know did you notice John doing anything wrong? Did he stray away from the game plan at all? Uh, not specifically, but just uh, putting things together. We're going to do that a little bit better. Um, we were kind of separated, and in, in what I mean, you know, kickboxing to the takedowns wasn't as smooth as I would like, and the transitions from the takedown into the jiu-jitsu stuff. So little things like that, <clears throat> excuse me, I noticed, but uh, and, and that we can correct that. And uh, there was some other stuff too, but I mean, that's why you you go to work the next day when you're a fighter is to, to improve and to get better. And, and uh, if that if I was going to say that's the best John ever was, um, I, that I think would be incorrect. I think that John is still learning and still growing. As a matter of fact, I know he is and and, uh, and still improving. So I hope to get him even better for the next fight. Two last questions: How soon before you see John Jones? back in the in, in the gym in your opinion do you do you, do you foresee uh, seeing him quickly or do you think he takes a lot of time off here i'd like him to take some time off and let his body heal up and get some rest and let his head heal up and uh take some time off and then slowly get back into it again but uh it's up to his management and all those guys and dana and everybody at doc as to when he's fighting again but uh i'd like to see my preference was had and i have a preference about that i'd like to see him get some rest and finally, do you think that was the best fight in MMA history? Oh, wow. I don't know. That's that's a tall order. You know, I'd have to sit on that for a while. I, I don't know if I could just order or just say that. There have been so many great, great fights. Um, some fast, some, you know, back and forth battles like that. Certainly, it's got to be up there, right? I mean, it, uh, it, uh, it was... Because, you I mean, think about even the one that launched uh, us into the mainstream with uh, Bonner and, and Forrest. I mean, that was an amazing fight. And so, yeah, there's a... There's a lot to go up against for that. I'd have to think about it. But the stakes, the title, the underdog, five rounds, all that stuff, my opinion, it was, just for the record. Oh, 
Well, thanks, brother. That's cool that I, that, that I got to be a part of, uh, of the greatest fight in history. That's cool. Even if it was a small part holding a, a bucket far away from the court. Yeah. Screaming, I, I was cool. just about to say, you should have been a bigger part of it. That, that, that's that's uh, a travesty. No, man. No, no, not at all. Those my with such a great coaching team with me and, uh, uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing and it's, it's awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Get well soon. Um, uh, as far as the, the cold, get well, of course, to uh, John Jones as well. And congratulations to you guys. Uh, an, an amazing performance. I think it elevated both men. And uh, appreciate you stopping by here on the 200th episode to relive it all with us. 200. Love it, brother. Thanks a lot. There he is, Greg Jackson. The man himself stopping by wasn't in the corner. Certainly a big part of who Greg, uh, excuse me, who John Jones is, and uh, we wish them congratulations on that big win. In my opinion, the best fight in MMA history. Okay, final guest of the day. We finally made it to the end. What is this? Our tenth guest of the day, something like that. But let us end with, in my opinion, the best referee of all time. Uh, the man who is synonymous with. UFC refereeing, MMA refereeing, and wouldn't you know it, he was in the cage on Saturday night for what I consider to be the best fight in MMA history. Of course, I'm talking about Big John McCarthy. John, how are you? I'm good, Ariel. How you doing? I'm doing great. All right, lots to get to here. Um, let's get to the, the nitty-gritty off the top. Dana White said to me in the post-fight interview that in between rounds four and five, the commission doctor was considering stopping the fight because of that cut uh, John Jones suffered above his eye. He also mentioned that you, quote-unquote, were pleading for them to stop the fight. No, to let the fight continue, to let it go into the fifth round. Is that true? <laughs> I, I heard I was begging. Begging, pleading, <laughs> begging. It's all the same. Well, you know, you know look at it. He's right in one thing, yes. You know, the doctor was concerned about John's eye, and if you looked at it, it was a serious cut. You know, that cut happened in the very first round, but it, it continued to evolve throughout the fight. And by the time it got to between the fourth and fifth round, the cut was actually on his, there was an upper level one that was on his eyebrow, and it creased off into like a point that then crossed into his eyelid. And there was a flap of skin. And so the doctor absolutely had a reason to be concerned with the cut that John had. And so he, he was absolutely looking at him with the possibility of, you know, saying that he couldn't go on because his concern is the health and safety of the fighter. And so when he looked at John, we talked, you know, I, you know, we are a team when we're in there. I talked with him. He says, you know, I, I really doesn't look that good. And I talked to him and I said, you know, Jason is his name. I said, Jason, I said, this is the last round. I think we need to let him go. Uh, I will look at it if it gets worse. I promise you I will, bring, I will bring him to you. And he said, okay, and that's, you know, both of us working as a team together. You know, he let the fight go on. The cut didn't get any worse. And the fight came to its natural conclusion the way it should have. In hindsight, was that the right call? Absolutely. You know, I don't care if it was John Jones or Alexander Gustafson. It should have been the same call because both of those guys had given so much in that fight that to end it, off of something that is a cut, if you have to do it based upon the fact that, you know, John could have a problem with his eye later on based upon them trying to sew that, that's the real problem is when they try to sew it, if they leave any type of, you know, keloid scar on that eyelid, it can sit there and rub on his eye and cause him eye damage later on. That's the real problem with it. If that's, you know, what is going to occur if you let it go any longer, then you need to stop the fight. But I think he made the right decision. I think John made it through the fight fine. 
And, you know, like you were saying earlier, that's one of the best fights I've ever seen. I want to get your take on that in a second, but was John saying anything to the doctor? Was he telling them, I'm okay? You know, the only thing John said to the doctor, you know, was the doctor, you know, talked to John. Stitch was working on the cut. Stitch was very vocal in saying, hey, you know, let me take care of it. I've got it. You know, and that's, that's Stitch's job. That's what he's supposed to do is take care of that cut. And we want to have someone like Stitch in there that's taking care of it and given the time to show that, you know what, I can make this thing okay. And he did. And, uh, you know, John you know, was asked by the doctor, are you okay? Do you want to continue? And John said, I'm good. Let, let me go. And that's what I heard out of him. I don't know if he was pleading with him. I think he was just telling him, look, I want to fight. And the doctor made the right decision. How often does that happen where, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big fight and the, the, the doctor is kind of leaning in one direction and the fighter is kind of telling him, hey, you know, I'm good. You don't think the fight should be stopped? I mean, obviously there, there are different levels of fights, but do you find yourself in this position often as referee? You do. You find yourself there a lot. And this is why, you know, people don't understand the, the entire concept of what goes on, but as a referee, I work with that ringside physician all the time. I want to have a good relationship. He has to trust me, and I have to trust him, because together we're the ones that are going to say whether that fight's going to be able to go or not. And now you got to look at what a ringside physician is. He's a doctor. He's taken a Hippocratic oath that he's supposed to heal people. So what he's allowing to happen in front of him honestly almost goes against that Hippocratic oath that he's taken. So it's a hard position. And you have to trust the referee that you have, and you have to believe that that referee is going to help you in taking care of that person. If things get bad, you know, he's going to help you and bring you in so you can get that person out of the fight if it has to come to that point. But, you know, it happens all the time in fights. That very same doctor, if you go back in time to UFC 129 with Mark Hominick against Jose Aldo, yep. that's the very same doctor that I worked with when Mark received a large hematoma on his forehead. And that doctor let the fight go on because it was the right call and right thing to do at the time. Do you ever come across doctors who may not know about MMA and just uh, they, they see a cut or some kind of you know injury, laceration, whatever, and they're just too quick to pull the trigger? And then you have a guy like this who you know has been in fights before, has worked um, you know UFC events, knows what's at stake, all that stuff, and okay, is open to it. You know, like do you ever have that kind of that 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 challenge where you kind of have to educate someone who may be a little squeamish and say, no, 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 this is not going to continue, even though the fighter can obviously continue. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's like anything in, you know, just any walk of life. You know, you got, you get guys that are great journalists like yourself. You get guys that are, they're horrible journalists. (laughs) You get guys that are, you know, they're good at what they do. And there are definitely ringside physicians that are out there that are very, very good at what they do. You know, the UFC actually pulled away one of the very good, you know, ringside physicians in Jeff Davidson, who they have as their doctor for the fighters. But he now travels around with the UFC instead of being a ringside physician in Nevada. We have Paul Wallace in California. He's one of the top guys. He's fantastic to work with if you're a referee because you know that he is not squeamish. He's not going to sit there and just call something based off of, you know, because there's an absolute order to what he does and how he does it and to be able to work with those guys only makes my job easier do you have any idea why they only allowed three cornermen on on uh, saturday in the main event greg jackson was saying earlier that he wasn't have you heard of this yeah you know what it's in ontario they have in their rules it says three cornermen and you know ontario is very tight and when they have a rule they stick with it the ufc allows 
four cornermen for championship fights. If you watch, most of the time it's three cornermen for most of the fights. Mm-hmm. But in championship fights, they allow more. Well, you know, Greg came out with John, and he was there in the beginning, and then someone said, hey, they've got four cornermen. And the Ontario Athletic Commission had the inspector remove one, and Greg was the guy that said, oh, I'll leave. And Greg went out. So, you know, it, it's too bad. You know, you, you never want to lose someone that's a coach like Greg Jackson and, and so good at calming a fighter down, making them feel good about what they're doing, giving them good instructions. But I think, you know, like Greg says, you know, he's got a phenomenal team with him. Mike Winkle, John is fantastic. I don't think it hurt John. You know, it, it may not have helped him, but I don't think it really hurt him in the fight. You were the referee for that fight, obviously, but do you score the fight in your mind? We've been asking everyone all show long how they scored it. I'm wondering if you have someone that you think legitimately won the fight. You know, I went back and I watched it yesterday. When I got home, I, you know, my wife had taped it because she watched it. And so I went back and watched it, and I watched it like a judge. And I had uh, the fight going exactly like they had it. I had, I had Alexander Gustafson won the first round. John Jones won the second. Alex won the third. John won the fourth. And a lot of people are talking about the fourth, and it's kind of funny because they said, well, Alexander, you know, did like he was ahead for four minutes. That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's the damage that John Jones did to him that last minute of that fourth round absolutely is what you're looking for as a judge, and it's what you would say is someone that possibly just about brought an end to the fight. That's going to win him the round. So going into the fifth round, I thought it was an even fight, and I thought in the end I thought John Jones did just did a little bit more in that fifth round. I thought he won the fifth round, and I thought, you know, I thought the judges got it right. Do you think that was the greatest fight in MMA history? Ah, uh, you know, like you know, there's so many phenomenal fights. But if if you take everything into account, the uh, the amount of importance that was on it due to the title fight being John Jones's, you know, sixth title defense being the Alexander Gustafson was this young guy coming in, and no one expected him to put on the fight that I think you know there was certain people. We're looking at saying, you know, he's got a good chance. But there was a lot of people that were coming out saying, oh, he doesn't have a chance. With everything and who John Jones has been, I think it's probably the best fight I've ever seen. Would you like to see a rematch, an immediate rematch? Absolutely. Are you kidding? <laughs> I don't know if I want an immediate. You know, I think both guys, first off, they both need to heal up. They both inflicted a lot of damage on each other. But, uh, you know, even if they gave, you know, John a different opponent, give him Glover Teixeira, give Alexander another opponent, and if both of them go through that and then immediately bring them back together, absolutely. But somewhere along the way, those guys are going to meet. And you know what? I would say they're, they're going to meet more than one time. You know, it's always kind of a special thing to see you uh, ref UFC uh, fights because we don't see it as often as we should. Um, do you ever cross paths with Dana, the, the UFC brass? And how's your relationship with them now? Uh, you know what? I have, uh, I, I don't have, I, I talked to Dana, I talked to Dana, you know, the night of the fight. And I have nothing but respect for Dana. Dana is, you know, the best promoter there is out there. He's passionate about, you know, the sport. He's passionate about his promotion and his people. And he does a great job with, you know, promoting the sport that I love, MMA. You know, whether, you know, I get used in a fight or not, that's not up to me. I don't think it's up to Dana. You know, if they want to bring me to something like a Brazil, they can do that. But when it comes to in the States or, you know, Canada, that's the athletic commissions there. When they go to a place that doesn't have, a, doesn't have an athletic commission, the UFC could ask me and bring me, or they don't have to. And that's their business, and it doesn't matter either way. Whatever they do, I'm happy just being able to do what I do. Have you ever asked them why they don't bring you to those events? 
no. I would never do that. You know, it, it's a lot of people, you know, look at things a certain way, and I'm not saying I'm right, but I have never asked anyone ever, be it an athletic commission, be it a promotion, hey, why don't you use me like that? That's none of my business. If someone wants to use me, give me a call. If you don't, don't call me. It's okay. And you knew I was going to ask you about this, but recently uh, Nevada has come under fire after C.J. Ross scored the Canelo Alvarez versus Floyd Mayweather fight a draw, and it seems like Keith Kaiser is on the hot seat. Is John McCarthy maybe rooting for a change over there so that you can get back to where you belong, and that is refing big fights in the state of Nevada? You know what, Aaron, the truth, you know, I'll, I'll say it. The truth of the matter is this. I have nothing against the, the Nevada State Athletic Commission. They're a great commission. I think they take too much from one person. They sit there, and that person's the one that picks their referees. That's the one that picks their judges, and they've had some problems. Well, that's Keith Kaiser's problem. I don't work for Keith Kaiser. I would work for an athletic commission. Love to work for him. I would never work for Keith Kaiser. Never. So if Keith Kaiser came to you today and said, we want you back, you say no. If he's in charge of that, he's the executive director, I want nothing to do with it. Where did this come from? You haven't said this in the past when I've asked you about it. Why, why are you saying this now? You know what? There comes a point when someone lies so much that you get tired of hearing things that come out of it. And the truth is, Keith Kaiser is a person that does not know combative sports. He's never been part of them. He's never done them. He puts people, you know, at times that maybe shouldn't be put. You tell me why C.J. Ross said that the Floyd Mayweather fight was a draw. Did you watch it? My God, I had it 11 to 1. Yep. It wasn't even close. So, you know, if you're doing that and you keep putting those same people back, you don't care about the fighters. You don't care about them as athletes. You don't care about their livelihood. And you know what? You shouldn't be in that job. And you know what? He shouldn't be in that job. And if someone doesn't like what I said, too bad. Do you think that he is doing a disservice now to the sport, putting in people like you know, C.J. Ross, other referees, we don't have to mention their names, who people criticize all the time. Do you think now he's actually hurting the sport? I think that there comes a point where things become very personal for people. And the reason for doing them is sometimes to say, I have power, you don't, let me show you what I'll do. You know what? That's their choice. But in the end, usually it'll catch up to them. And I think maybe now, maybe it's catching up to them. And so I'm wondering, has he reached out to you recently, and have you said no? (laughs) No. (laughs) He does not reach out to me, and I don't reach out to him. Do you think a change will happen? Oh, you know what? I have no idea. That's for the Nevada State Athletic Commission, the commissioners that sit on that. They're going to have to take a look at what they have and what goes on there. You know, that's their business. It's not my business. It's, uh, you know, take a look at what's, you know, what's been happening. Could it be better? I think it could be better. Crazy question. What if they asked you to replace him? Would you do it? <laughs> Hell no. I'm a, I'd be a horrible executive director. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely not be the guy to do that. That's, you know, that's, that's for someone much smarter than me. You know, it's, this is not about, it's not about me. It's about the sport. It's about the sport of MMA. It's about the sport of boxing. Tell me this. Why is it that if you have professional athletes, why is it that you don't use the very best that you have available to you for those athletes? Because it's not that, you know, the lesser person can't do a good job. But overall, who's going to do your best jobs? Who's going to be the fairest to the athletes? Who's going to give the best overall job that makes that fight be fair? 
that's what you should be looking at as an executive director of a commission. Who can I put in this that is going to do me the best job so I have as little controversy as possible? You can always have controversy, but you want it to be as little as possible. Well, that's what you should be looking at. I don't know if that's what's going on. Let's end on this. And by the way, I couldn't agree with every more with everything that you're saying. And I've said it many times, not just saying now it's a crime, it's a travesty that you're not in Nevada, especially given the fact that our sport is so young and there's so few great referees. The fact that the best is not there is just absolutely absurd. But let us end on this. Um, you know, Dan Hardy was on our show earlier saying that he does not believe the 10-9 system works for MMA. It's a boxing system. Someone who knows about the refereeing and judging of our sport. Do you agree? Do you think that it is time to change the scoring system for MMA? I, I, I agree with Dan Hardy in the fact that we, we borrowed. We really did borrow the 10-point must system from boxing. And if you look at the amount of rounds that we have, comparatively you know, to boxing, boxing is going to have a championship round at 12 rounds, and we're going to have one at five. Our, you know, the, the shortest boxing match you're going to get is a four-rounder. Our norm is a three. Well, that makes it very difficult at times with a person that gives a score. It's hard to make up for the fighter. And it's not, we, we always need to educate ourselves more as judges and what we're giving credit to and what we're not. You know, there's all kinds of people out there giving credit to things, you know, Alexander Gustafson took down John Jones. What did he do with it when he took him down? He stood back up. So what did, what was the effect of that takedown in the fight? Nothing, but he took him down. There's people that can give a lot of credit to that takedown, but it didn't do anything. And so you got to be smart in how you do it. Do I think that we should always be working to better ourselves? Yes. Do I think that we should be always working towards coming up with a better system, one that's fair to the fighters, fair to the judges themselves, fair to the fans? Absolutely. But let me just ask you, you mentioned the takedown. Takedown defense, all, all those stops, that should count for something, right? It doesn't count for anything. Under the way that we judge right now, you look at all the takedown attempts that John Jones did, and the defense that Alexander Gustafson, all the defense does is allows him to stay in the position he wants. Mm. He doesn't really get credit for it. You know, we give credit to offensive maneuvers, not defensive maneuvers. And so when you're looking at those things, he got to keep the fight where he wanted to keep it. That's his outcome for that. It's the person trying to execute and do that, get that takedown that we'll give credit to. So. It's not only do they get it, it's once they get it, what do they do with it? When John Jones took Alexander down in the fifth round, what did he do with the takedown? Nothing. It made no difference in the fight. The one thing I'll give him, Alexander was already tired, and he had to use more energy to scoot himself to the fence and get himself up. So it worked in that manner, but there was no offensive actions off of it. So how much credit are you going to give John Jones for that takedown? Not, not hardly anything. It was nothing more than a change of position. We get change of positions in MMA all the time. Doesn't mean that it really affected the fight. Should defense be rewarded, do you think? You know, the biggest problem with when you, you look at giving, uh, giving credit to defense is, I, you know, you and I are fighting. In fact, you and Henry Grace here are fighting. <laughs> we saw him put a darts choke on you. Yes. And we'll say he puts that darts choke on you, and you work your way out of it. Well, how do I? It's not an even thing. You were in a choke. He was not, right? He's the one that's putting on that choke. He should get credit for it. Well, to give you credit for getting out of it is now going to equal him putting it on, and that's not going to work as far as the system is. The way we have it right now, you know, it's we give credit to the offensive maneuver. But this is, again, along with 
the judging criteria and the scoring of it, it's something that we should every year be working towards making this better. We should always be trying to evolve things and make it fairer for the fighters so we usually come out with the right outcome. If we go to the judge's decision, most people, you're always going to get fights where people are going to say they liked Alexander in the fight, they didn't like John. They're going to say, no, it's a bad decision. Was it a bad decision? It was a very close fight. It was a good decision. Even if it went to Alexander, I can understand people going, hey, John Jones, you know, he should have won it. It would, it would have been a decent decision. It was a very close fight between two great fighters. But you can't agree that we are not doing that, right? We're not getting better. We're not evolving. It doesn't feel like we are. No. I think, you know, it's, it's people become very happy and content when things seem to be just rolling along fairly well. And we always need to be working towards making things better. But that's not an easy thing because with our sport, we don't have just one set, you know, base like the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball. We have all of these athletic commissions, and those athletic commissions have legislation. So when we talk about changing things, those athletic commissions have to go and put this into legislation or law within their states. And so it's not the same as the NBA doing something, the NFL. They can just change a rule. Boom, it's done. When we talk about boxing or MMA, there's a long process that goes with changing this. It's not an easy thing to do. Are you confident it will change at some point for the better? Oh, you know what? You have to be. You have to be. You have to be confident that, you know what, things are going to always work towards getting better. You have to have a belief that there's people that can work towards, you know, making this, you know, every year better than it was the last because that's what's going to help the sport grow, and that's what's important. You know, we have, we have unbelievable sport. You take a look at that fight on Saturday night, and two guys – they weighed in at 205. They're probably 225, 230, going that hard for that long with that much skill level involved, that much heart. What more can you ask from a sport? You know, that's, that's art. To me, that's beautiful. And, you know, we've got to always be working to make it better for the next generation that's coming up. Tremendous stuff, John. Thank you so much. That, that was amazing. So great to have you on the show. So glad you were able to stop by. And great to end the show with you, our 200th episode. Uh, this has been a real treat for us. Uh, continue the great work, and hopefully that uh, we'll see you at many more major U, uh, UFC, MMA events, all that good stuff, because you, my friend, deserve to be there. Thank you very much, Earl. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on your show. There he is, Big John, the man who was in the cage alongside John Jones and Alexander Griffin. Wow. What he said about Keith Kaiser, I will never work for that man. It seems like slowly but surely people are going against Keith Kaiser. Very interesting to see what is happening here. And uh, I guess it took a bad, um, a bad boxing decision. And we've had some in the past, but for some reason, this was such a big fight um, to make people come out and say this. want to run through a couple of stats here from our friends at Fightmetric. We're going to take a phone call, then we're going to get your questions. But I want to make sure I get to this because they work hard giving us this stuff. Just give you the, the main event stuff. All right, here we go. How big was this fight? John Jones and Alexander Gustafson, well, they gave us an instant classic. We know that. And there are many illuminating numbers that came from their five-round battle. Gustafson surprised many by becoming the first fighter to ever take down John Jones in an MMA fight. Jones had previously defended all 16 of his opponent's takedown attempts against him in the UFC. Despite being taken down, John Jones actually displayed plenty of excellent takedown defense for the remainder of the bout, defending seven of eight Gustafson attempts. And after 25 minutes of fighting, Jones's UFC career finally met and surpassed 
official sample size minimums to qualify for the all-time takedown defense. And uh, having, 20, having defended 23 of 24 attempts, his takedown defense rate of 95.8% is the highest in UFC history. Now, Gustafson may have impressed even more with his takedown defense, stuffing 10 of Jones's 11 attempts. Gustafson's takedown defense is now 86.7%, right behind Jones as the second highest in light heavyweight history. Minimum five fights, 20 opponent attempts. Uh, moving along, uh, John Jones and uh, the Mahler combined for 244 significant strikes landed, the most ever landed in a UFC title fight. Jones's 134 significant strikes landed are the second most ever landed by a light heavyweight in a single fight, and the Mahler's 110 significant strikes landed are the fifth most by a light heavyweight. Jones versus Gustafson is just the seventh fight in UFC history to feature both fighters landing 100-plus significant strikes and the only one of those seven bouts to take place in a weight class higher than welterweight. Final uh, final note, John Jones became the fourth fighter in UFC history to win 10 consecutive bouts, joining Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, and Hoist Gracie. His unanimous decision victory over Gustafson is his 13th win in the UFC, tying Chuck Liddell for most victories since the advent of the 205-pound weight class. Note, Liddell had three prior wins in the 199-pound middleweight class. And one that I remember from Saturday night, Brendan Schaub's Darce Choke is the very first in heavyweight history. How about that? Huge stuff on Saturday, UFC 165, the main event, in my opinion, the best of all time. Okay, let's go to the phone lines and let's talk to some people here. Then we're answering your questions. We're giving away tops cards. We are rolling here. I feel like I could I feel like I could stand up right now and shadow box for 30 minutes. I am so amped. We have heard who have we heard from? We have heard from Uriah Faber, Chael Sonnen, Dan Hardy, Chris Weidman, Conor McGregor, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, Greg Jackson, Big John. What's the final tally, by the way? Uriah gave it to Gustafson. Chael gave it to Gustafson. Hardy gave it to Gustafson. Did, well, who did Weidman give it to? Gustafson? Yeah, he gave it to Gustafson. Uh, Connor, did he give it to... I don't remember. Someone tweeted to me. Someone's been paying attention. Tweeted to me. I think there were 10 in total. Let's go to Sandu in London on line one. Been waiting patiently. Hello, my friend. How are you? Ariel, how's it going, my man? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. The historic 200th episode. I feel so honored and privileged, honestly. I, I'm so lucky to be uh, one of your guests on the phone on the 200th episode and to have Stone Cold Steve Austin, my favorite pro wrestler of all time, and to have Anson Silver, my favorite MMA fighter of all time. Unbelievable. I take my hat off to you, sir. Congratulations. 200 episodes. Absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you. I am here uh, giving myself the old, I don't know what this thing is, but people do it when they're proud of themselves. It's been great. And you know what? Usually I am tired by this point. I've been talking for the last three and a half hours and I feel like I go another three and a half. Call up, uh, call up Jose Aldo, call up Dominic Cruz, call up all the champions that turned us down here today because <laughs> if they weren't here, they're not real champions. This was historic. The world was watching. And quite frankly, I should have charged you all $75 because it was pay-per-view worthy. Just kidding. And I think I would we would all paid for it, to be honest with you. I, I think that on behalf of all the fans, we just want to say a big thank you, not just to you and not just to all the production staff um, currently in the building, but let's give a shout out to everyone that's behind the scenes yes, of the yes. MMA Hour yes. since episode one, from, from day one. This has been my favorite show. It's often imitated, never duplicated. It's the MMA Hour. 
And yeah, so it's just an amazing show. Uh, I know that Eric told me that um, we were quite short for time, so I'm going to try and reel off some of the points that I wanted to get through to uh, as soon as possible, straight away. Sure. Um, obviously, first of all, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Um, and well done and congratulations on the 200th episode. Um, the second point I wanted to make was um, I finally got a chance to meet you back in July for UFC 162. Oh, yeah. Um, Silver versus Weidman 1. And, um, and I know you're very, very busy, but you, you, you did take the time to kind of you know, take a picture and kind of hang out with the fans, which, again, much appreciated. Now, the main point that I wanted to make is one of the biggest things uh, and a part of the history of the MMA Hour show is, of course, the Helwani Nose T-shirt. Yes, there it is. So, I have a story to tell you about the impact, the, 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 the power of the Helwani Nose T-shirt and how it's Give impacted it to me, baby. my life this year. I'm ready for it. Give it to me. Right. Let me set, let me, let me set the scene for you. And you're going to love this. Set it. WrestleMania, oh. WrestleMania 29, MetLife oh. Stadium. Wait a second. I know who you oh, are. Yeah. I know who you are now. Okay, you know keep who, going. Keep you going. Know who I am. Keep going. Okay, WrestleMania 29, MetLife Stadium, over 90,000 people. 90,000 people. The Mecca. The show ends. The Mecca. The show ends. I'm on my way out with my cousin and my nephew, and we run into a bunch of guys from Toronto. So we're just hanging out, chilling, talking. And the talk conversation turns from pro wrestling naturally into MMA. Of course. And then, you know, the debate starts of, oh, well, how much of a hardcore MMA fan are you? And without even saying anything, I took off my WrestleMania 29 oh, yeah. merchandise T-shirt to reveal the Helwani Nose T-shirt, <sighs> Black and Silver yeah. Edition 1. Yes, yes, yes. And Edition there it was. One. <laughs> and, okay, and continue. There it was. Yes. And there it was. The conversations ensued. The debate went on and on. Then we went to Times Square. We went to the Five Guys Burger place, and we just started talking for hours and hours and hours. And what ended up happening was a friendship between me and the boys from London and these guys from Toronto was formed, was forged, and we've been in touch ever since. And it was all because that my affiliation with how much of a hardcore MMA fan I am was because of that T-shirt. And it led on to that conversation, led on to some more debates. We kept in touch. We've been keeping in touch almost on a daily basis. <laughs> and we're actually going to meet up again as a, as a group. We're actually meeting up again for UFC 168. All the gang from London and Toronto are going to meet up as a big crew. And we're going to be there to see the biggest rematch in UFC history. How about that? You're giving me goosebumps. No joke, you're giving me goosebumps. I love the fact that the shirt had a, a small part in all of that. That's an amazing story. I'm being, I'm, being, I'm, being, I'm being dead honest to do that. There's, there's no kind of like... Um, no, no, I appreciate it. Line here. I'm being... Yeah. <laughs> you know what I love? I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say we're meeting up next year at WrestleMania, but it shows the evolution that you're now meeting at our granddaddy of them all, UFC 168. Yes. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And will you all be wearing my T-shirt? Well, that's the, that's the idea. We'll, we'll, we'll have something planned, I'm sure, okay, because okay. we're both big on T-shirts. But the plan is to be at UFC 168, and we're actually also in planning on going together for uh, the big WrestleMania 30 show as well. And um, so, yeah, that was, the, that was the big story I wanted to tell you. I thought it was a big part of the MMA Hour um, show and the history of the show. So I wanted to give a big shout-out to Helwani Knows. I can't wait for, you know, the third edition, the third series to come out, which I'm sure you're planning as we speak. Um, and I just want to kind of finally end on this note that I'm a massive fan of yours. And um, I've just recently started my blog, oh. um, and, I, and I, try, I try to preview and write about the main event of every UFC um, show that comes up. 
um, which can be found at um, MMA UK. So if you go to Facebook, you you type in MMA UK. Like you're MMA page. UK on Twitter. It, it, you're the guy. No wonder. Yeah, now, it sense. Know, know, now it all makes sense. Now it all makes sense. You were trying to do People's Hero and versus I know, New York Rick. I know I bombarded you. Yes, last holy week moly. With a bunch of tweets and yes, and, and and you and you know I know the whole thing with and Eric and the whole MMA beat um, fight. It wasn't something that you guys were interested in, but that's absolutely fine. I moved on. Um, but yeah, but that, that's, that, that's the big thing. I wanted to give a shout out to MMA UK. Uh, on Twitter, you can find us at MMA underscore underscore UK. All right, all right, all right. Um, Enough with the plugs over here. This is my show. Yeah, this is yeah, 200th yeah. episode. <laughs> I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, buying the T-shirt. That means a lot to me, and I love the fact that it brought everyone together. And I love the fact that you love today's episode with Stone Cold and Anderson and all those guys. Uh, much respect, and I will see you at UFC 168. I'm out of here. <laughs> that is a true fan. All right. Thank you very much to Sandu. Uh, did you see that guy? He was trying to start a, a fight with you or trying to set up a fight with you in New York, Rick. You saw I him did. last week? Yeah. I did see that. You want to know part of it? Well, he was trying to make me fight the guy who was in your like uh, preview video that one time. Yeah, the, yeah. People's Hero. Um, and that guy was like, wait, what, what are you even talking about? He wasn't interested in it either. Yeah. Um, I think it's his brother, to be honest. Um, really? Okay. Now, a lot of people, you know, this is a big deal of this show. I don't know if you've noticed, we've had a lot of big guests from Uriah Favorite to Chelsea Sonnet to Anderson Silva. To I wasn't Cold. really paying attention. Yeah, anyway. And uh, how about all the guests? I was really nervous. I must admit, I was. I am so happy the interview portion of the show is over because I was so nervous that uh, someone would not show up and we built it as this big deal. But everyone showed up. How about that? Yeah. I know you were nervous, but... We got it done. We got it done. Now, uh, in honor of the 200th episode, maybe we thought it would be uh, you know, appropriate to have you officially uh, announce whether or not you're actually going to fight. Are you still playing games with our heart here? Have you made a decision? What's going on? Are you, uh, Henzo Gracie, you reached out, right? Are you going to at least take him up on that offer? He did. And, and here's, here's what I'll say at this moment. Okay, okay. I'm going to begin training starting in October. When I get back from glory, oh, I'm yeah. going to begin training. Um, now, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily um, going to be comfortable taking... I can't say at that moment that I'll be comfortable taking a fight. Um, but if it goes as I expect it to go for maybe nine months or even possibly less, but my my realistic expectation is about nine months, then I will take a fight at the end of at the end of it. Wow. Now, so you're dipping the toe in the water. I am. And, and the training will, will begin regardless of, you know, that nine, that nine-month outlook. I will begin training starting in October. Wow. All right, all right. At Henzo Gracie Academy in Brooklyn. That'll be like where I'll mainly sure, go sure. because, I mean, it, it's yeah, a perfect yeah. fit for me. That's just you to kind of – you're just pa- basically like a, a, a piece of Play-Doh that I took out of the yellow uh, <laughs> case right now. You're the Play-Doh. I'm plopping it down on the table. Once you get your feet wet and I can comfortably offer you up to the best of the best – and not feel like I'm embarrassing myself, because I don't know if you saw the way I took that Dar's choke. I have quite the reputation, particularly in the jiu-jitsu world, but, you know, world-renowned as far as combat sports are concerned. Once I can say, hey, um, you know, Mark Henry, let's work on some striking. Hey, Marcelo Garcia, we want a different look on the mat. Uh, hey, crew Phil Nurse, you know, we want to work on some Muay Thai. Once I, get, I, I feel comfortable in doing that, then we'll get it done. But you just got to get out there in the gym. You got to get out there on the mat, bro. You got to make it happen. Yeah, bro. October, <laughs> October first, uh, or it's in Ish. the beginning of October. Ish. Yeah, it will happen. I will be in the gym. 
let us, starting this, this process. Let us put the uh, talk about 165 to bed. Uh, we asked everyone, uh, it's only fair if we ask you, who did you score sure. it for? I scored it for Jones. Okay. I had it similar to, to most people that I've heard scoring it for Jones. Uh, I had uh, two, four, five for, for Jones. Um, two, four, five, like me. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, um, I, I find that most people who scored it for Jones scored it that way. Now, admittedly, Are you surprised all these fighters were, were scoring it for Gustafson? No, I'm, I'm not really. I, I noticed on Twitter a lot of the fighters were scoring it for Gustafson as well. It seems like the fighters um, were leaning more toward Gustafson. I'm not sure what the correlation is, um, but, it, but fighters seem to have thought that uh, Gustafson won. Maybe they sigh with him because of the heart and the underdog and all that stuff. Sure. But I, most of the media had it 2-4-5. Uh, interesting that John now, had it. Now, 2 was close. 2 was very, very close. Very close. That was actually the toughest round to score, in my opinion. And, you know, the other interesting thing is I know everyone likes to call it a controversy or it was fixed. At the end of the day, I really think it was an, not an easy fight to score, but... Like it's not like Condit Diaz where you say, ah, look at this round. I think it's pretty clear that most people two four five, but it was just so close that I would love to see the rematch. Would you immediately? Of course, I want to see that again right away. I mean, over anyone nobody's else. Nobody's made John Jones even look mortal, and Gustafson hung in there with with him for five rounds, and at times made it look like he was going to take control of that fight and end it. So. Of course, I want to see it again. For the record, uh, of course, we can't forget about Mama Knows, a big part of the show. Have to mention her on uh, episode 200, went three and two. Uh, obviously, uh, she picked Nurmaga Madoff. She did not pick Carmon. She picked Mitrione. Excuse me, she did not pick Mitrione. She picked Brow and she picked Jones. You mean she did pick Mitrione? She didn't pick Shop. Correct. That's um, what I meant. Yeah, three and two. Three and two. Uh, did you do any uh, betting on UFC? Yeah. Oh, you mean my own like personal own. stuff? Yeah, yeah. No, I kind of I wasn't really loving any of the lines except for on the show I said that Shab um, was probably going to win that one, um, but even that I wasn't like that happy to jump all over. So I didn't I didn't bet anything this week uh, on UFC. Greatest fight of all time? Hard to say. Uh, probably greatest title fight. Not sure if I'm willing to go greatest fight. I also. What's better than that? See. I feel like the criteria is is different for different people. I don't necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to be five rounds of nonstop war for it to be um, the best fight for me. Even a one sided finish early can be the best fight for me. It's I don't necessarily it doesn't have to necessarily be a back and forth kind of contest. Um, So like Anderson Silva versus Forrest Griffin could be there. the first round of uh, Diaz and Daly was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be a back and forth kind of war like the Vanderlei um, Stan or the or the Gustafson Jones, but definitely up there. It's top five, if if not higher than that. But this had you know what was at stake? The guy, you know, the champion, the belt on the line, the aura. The, the, the massive underdog, all that stuff, no other fight, in my opinion, has it, really. Yeah, the, the circumstances, the, the surrounding the fight definitely elevate, elevate the uh, importance of it and, and its stock. So if somebody says it's the best fight ever, I'm not going to argue with them. I saw some people online posting the, uh, the scorecard. I'm trying to pick it up, uh, pull it up here, but I can't seem to find it. You, you know what I'm talking about? You mean the, the judge's scorecard, right? That came yeah, in yeah, yeah. later. Yeah. I, I saw it briefly. I'll try and find it. Yeah, it's somewhere. Anyway, let's go to the questions now. Sure. 
Um, so three and two for Mama Knows. Uh, still has yet to go under 500. So in my opinion, she lives to fight another day. By the way, what's her record? Have you gotten any confirmation on that? Well, or? I can confirm that last week I no, was correct. I don't know. You you did you go back and listen, or did you just go I, off? I Twitter? can confirm that last week I was correct. You went back and listened, and that it was 22 and 10. I don't believe it. And now that would be 25 and 12. Did you go off Twitter, or did you actually go back and listen? I went back and listened. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. You don't have to believe me. That's the record. That's, it is what it is. You don't have to believe me. Uh, let me just get this out here. Um, Mike Chiapetta of Fox Sports, formerly of MMA Fighting, he got the scorecard. Uh, Chris Lee had it uh, round one. Judge Chris Lee had round one, Gustafson 10-9. Round two, Jones 10-9. Round three, Jones 10-9. Round four, Jones 10-9. Round five, Jones 10-9. Judge Richard Beltran had it round one. Gustafson, 10-9. Jones, round two, 10-9. Round three, Gustafson, 10-9. Jones, round four, 10-9. Jones, round five, 10-9. I agree with that one. And then Judge Douglas Crosby had it round one, Gustafson, 10-9. Round two, Gustafson, 10-9. Round three, Jones, 10-9. Round four, Jones, 10-9. Round five, Jones, 10-9. Don't really agree with that one. I had it, again, two for Jones, three for Gustafson. But that is the official scorecard. Let us go to the questions. Here we go. Here's our first question. Lately, Dana White has made some offensive remarks about you and your journalism. Personally, offensive. I don't think it's fair at all. Where does it come from? Why do you take it on the chin and don't respond back? You know, I, I sometimes respond when there is a response to be made. On Saturday night on the post-fight show, he was talking about how me and three people on the Internet uh, were complaining about the uh, promotion. And I said, for the record, here's the thing that sometimes people forget. Just because I ask a question... Um, doesn't mean that I actually believe in one answer or the other. In the sense that just because, let's just say I say to someone, hey, was that uh, the best fight of all time? Doesn't mean I believe it's the best fight. In this case, I do believe it, it's the best fight. But if I ask people questions, doesn't mean I think that the promotion sucked because I said that you know there have been questions about the promotion. And so many media members, not all of them were in Toronto, but so many media members' fans were complaining about the promotion for this fight, saying that it was kind of silly, uh, that they were just focusing on height and reach. Uh, it was talked about so much. And I said on this show and on the MMA Beat that I didn't mind. Didn't we actually talk about it in one of the questions where I said I didn't really mind it? And you said, didn't you say that you didn't like the promotion? Is I that, did. Yes. Uh, this is all your fault. How's no, this all my fault? Um, I, I, what I said was, and I think it's still, um, I think it's still uh, proper, is that um, it was selling Gustafson short. By, and that's what I was trying to say. Build them up. Knockout, Sweden, Johansson, all that stuff. European, that's all part of it. And uh, that's what I was just trying to say. But to answer the question, I was saying, uh, when he says that, okay, fine, I'll, I'll bring it up. But he could say whatever he wants, in my opinion. I'm asking him for his time. I'm asking him questions. And it's not my, it's not my place to get into a back-and-forth debate, uh, an argument, things like that. It's just, it's just not my place. That's not how I do it. So I don't feel like anything he has said to me is offensive. Um, I think it comes from a good place, and I don't mind it. I don't mind people taking jabs at me. I don't, I don't, I don't mind that at all, really. I don't. Um, but if he says something that I think is wrong that I said, then I'll kind of stick up for myself. But if he says things like I'm, you know, a nosy, things like that, that's cool. I don't mind it. I am nosy. I like, I, honestly, I take that all as a compliment. When I was bothering him about the Shab thing on Saturday and he's like, do you have another question? I take that as a compliment. I am there to ask those questions. I, that, that's what I take pride in, to push those buttons. 
they shouldn't like it all the time. So I'm not bothered by anything he has said or anything, anything anyone else has said. Okay, now we're going to move to the Twitter questions. Oh, before we do that. Only one website question today. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, congratulations, and, oh. and I wanted to give as many people in the Twitter questions sure, the chance sure. to win as possible. Sure. Um, because we have such a great prize. Yes, yes, the top's uh, finest, UFC finest 2013. Correct. I'm going to show it off back here. Oh, Got it back by here. the way, where are the tuxedos that I was promised? Tuxedos? Yeah, I Did, said at the beginning. Was that in the, the budget? I thought you paid that <laughs> MMA UK oh. guy um, yeah, to make true. to make that uh, that wonderful plug for Helwani Nose shirts. <laughs> um, I think you took that. that By the way, there are there. still some shirts left at MMAWarehouse.com. Now go that for them. Yeah, go, go for them. There, there it is. Tops cards. Here it is. Hopefully, you guys will actually send them uh, out yeah, to yeah, people. Yeah, okay. they, uh, these retail for about a hundred bucks. So really? Yeah, yeah. Holy moly! Because they have one autograph. One jumbo relic with an autograph on it. Four regular jumbo relics with no autograph. Um, you can win like mouthpieces, parts of the cage, parts of the shorts. Um, yeah, to f- I mean that that's just the the simple terms. To find out about it, go to um, tops dot uh, facebook dot com slash tops or follow them on Twitter at tops cards. Find out more about this box. There you have but, it. But yeah, it's a good price. Thanks to them. Are we ready for the questions? Yep. Okay. Putting it up now. Okay, first question. From Reese Leonard. Do you buy the adage that you must clearly beat the champ to be the champ? Shouldn't round-by-round round scoring eliminate that? Okay, let's, uh, this is what we're going to do. Since we have a, a big prize and uh, a lot of questions, let's just, let's just earmark ones that we like. Earmark this bad boy. Yep. So we don't have to go through and all that. Um, Love this question. Why? Because I think it's a silly statement. To be the champ, you have to be the champ. Beat the champ. No, what does that mean? We're not scoring the fight on the whole. We're not scoring the fight at the end and saying, I think this guy won. We're going round by round, and then you add it up. That's the way the 10-9 system works. So I hate when people say, yeah, Gustin had a great showing, but honestly, Can you stay on the, the one champ. for a sec? Oh, I can hear you. Uh, honestly, to be the champ, you got to beat the champ. No, no, no. That, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. If he won three or more rounds, he is the champion. So I, I, I love when Ric Flair says it. I know what you're trying to say, but it makes no sense when talking about MMA or boxing or anything like that because he has to win the majority of the rounds, and then he is the champion. Not beat the champ, be the champ, all that stuff. No one, no one scores a, a fight and says, but did he really beat the champion? No. They add it up, and then they find out. I agree with that. Next question from Luke Sargent. Would you agree that now Gustafson and not Cormier could be the Frazier to, to Jones's Ali? Yes. I mean, I, I don't want to discount uh, you know, uh, Cormier because, remember, Ali, in this little comparison that I like to make, had many foils. Fought a bunch of people a bunch of times. But right now, what I meant by that was Jones needs to be pushed. He needs to be tested in a way that he has never been tested before, in order for the fans to truly respect him and to truly view him as a legend. And that never really happened. Whether it's because the fighters that he fought in the past put him on a pedestal, whether it is because he's just that much better, whatever reason it is, it never happened. Gustafson did that, made him look human. And oftentimes people can relate to human. People sometimes feel like 
superhuman is uh, is unlikable. And I was actually thinking that during the fight. Wow, he's getting that test that we talked about. He found his foil. We want to see them fight again. Look at that picture in the hospital of them beat up. But again, people are crapping all over John, thinking that you know he stole this one. I, I really think there's no controversy here. I think in time it will come around. But yes, he found his guy, and he'll be fighting him again, and that's what he needed. That's what I was trying to say. Cormier could be that guy too, but right now, Gustafson did almost as much for John as John did for him, if you know what I'm saying. Our next question from Darren Chung. Does it set a bad precedent if they do the Jones-Gustafson rematch considering the champ won? Darren Chung, who, by the way, just complaining on Twitter here that he was uh, promised a prize in May and never received it. For the record, I just saw that. We've got his email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think so. It was so close. I don't think there should be any kind of precedent. Um, I'm not a huge fan, and I know what he's trying to say. I'm not a huge fan of the champion having to fight someone again uh, after successfully defending the title. But this was so close, so fun, and so unexpected that I think a lot of people would be down for it. And I think it's because there isn't a clear-cut number one guy. I know Glover's there again, but I don't think everyone's clamoring for that. I, I don't think there should be any kind of precedent. You have to go based off of what happened in the fight. And this was such a fun fight. And I think he could do so well in the rematch that that's why I think they should do it. Business, athletically, everything, it just, it, it's so perfect. And to be honest, I can see them, you know, coming up with reasons why they shouldn't do it and should build them up. I could see it. But right now, I sit here two days later saying I would watch that fight and pay a huge amount of money to see it tomorrow the rematch our next question from graham oh man a lot of good questions do you think jones are you deleting these by the way what do you mean are you are you xing them or can we go back uh some of them we can go back to the ones we're gonna yeah yeah, mark off don't don't x them because i can't remember all of them next question do you think jones suffered not having jackson talking calmly in front of him between rounds you know obviously greg is gonna say no to that question but I, I i do think i mean if we're going to say that greg did doesn't help at all then we're like then what's what's the point of having any cornerman they help they 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 relax their fighter they give them pointers they you know explain things pinpoint things they they they, they make them you know stick to the game plan get back to what they're supposed to be doing a whole bunch of stuff um i don't think that's the reason why it was such a close fight. I don't think that's the reason why Gustafson busted him up, took him down, stuffed the takedowns. But I do think it is something to consider for the next fight. And I do think it is something interesting to talk about uh, when, when talking about this first fight. His main coach wasn't there. And that's a big deal. If you would have said uh, going into this fight, Greg Jackson wouldn't be in his corner for whatever reason, it would have been talked about a heck of a lot. It's a big deal. And he's so great in the corner. And that's why it's a big deal. So yes, it's important to note, but I can't sit here and say, oh, the fight would have gone differently had he been there because no one knows the answer to that question. Our next question from Amateur Profit. Do you believe Barrow belongs in the top five pound for pound now? The recently updated list suggests otherwise. I wonder when this list was updated. Today? I don't think it comes out today. Let's just see. Um, on UFC.com slash rankings... Browse seven. 
Do you believe Bravo? I, I, I don't know. I think it actually comes out on Tuesday. But anyway, you look at who's top five now. Jones, St. Pierre, Silva, Aldo, Kane. I wouldn't put Brow over any of them. Remember, Brow is not fighting the, the level of competition that those guys are. And that's just it. He's great. But he's A, the interim champ. He, he's been undefeated for a long time. But he hasn't fought the guys that Jones has fought, St. Pierre has fought, Anderson, even Aldo is featherweight champion, and, and Kane. And let's not forget about Pettis, who should be up there. Weidman, in my opinion. Benson, I think he's, he's doing just fine at seven. Our next question. Oh, and by the way, my good friends at Fightmetric tell me Brow is sixth now. So uh, the new rankings are up. I don't know why it doesn't say that on the uh, website, but I think that's even more generous. Our next question from Robert Brown. Wineland stoppage was too early. Do you agree? Shouldn't title fight combatants be given more leeway? Look at the Mac Desi fight stoppage. Okay, when I was watching it, I didn't think it was early. Uh, I saw him complain about it, but I think maybe we were focusing too much on the kick, the impact, all that good stuff, but I didn't think it was early. Do you think it was early? I do not. No, no. That was the end. That was the end. That was it. And the Mac Desi fight, I thought was too late. So that's not really yeah. a comparison you, you're well, trying well, to... I think he, what he's trying to say is... Give him a chance yeah. to, to recover, but give him too much of a chance. Uh, Honestly, as far as judging and refereeing is concerned, maybe I'm missing something. I thought that was a pretty good night. No real controversies, right? Well, we, we avoided some because there was one judge who was incorrectly scoring fights, but the other two got it right. Um, Which fight was that? There were a few. It was, it was in the prelims. I'm, I'm forgetting. But there, were, there, were, there was a judge that the scorecard was just ridiculous compared to the other two judges who got it right. Um, and luckily, we avoided any kind of controversy. But it could have been bad if, if another judge scored it a draw or, or scored it the same way. By the way, my good friend Matthew Pauly, who's a tremendous writer, writes to me on Twitter now. This is just a, a side note just because I know it won't be addressed. He writes, quote, to be the champ, you have to beat the champ. Makes sense because judges tend to give close rounds to the champion like they did in round two of the main event. Very good point. And maybe that's why, you know, it's still being used. That's why it makes sense. But I think when people always bring up that line, they always use it for, ah, he didn't do quite enough. And, and I don't know if – and that was certainly a close round. And maybe subconsciously I gave it to John because it was a close round. But I don't ever think that, like, ah, it's so close. He's a champion. I'm going to give it to him. He deserves it. He's a champion. That's just not the way I think. But when you break it down like that, then, yeah, I, I could see why you would say that. It's still a ridiculous thing to even be in practice anymore, though. Just and, score the fight. like Sure. And, and, and the fight you're talking about is Alex Caceres versus Roland DeLorme. It was, it was more than one, honestly. Okay. Um, but that's probably one of them, where it was just a head-scratcher um, for one judge, and the other two were just spot on. Uh, our next question from Alex Bruyere. How would you pronounce that? Bruyere. Okay, that sounds good. Who do you think Brendan Schaub's next assignment slash oh, yeah. injury replacement is? Gonzaga, Jordan, Mira, Overeem, Hunt, Bigfoot, or something else completely? Well, here's my theory on, on this one. Um, it has to be a big fight because it, it wouldn't have crossed Dana's radar on a Saturday night, title fight, all that good stuff, if it wasn't a big fight. So no disrespect to them. I'm going to cross off Gonzaga and Jordan. Watch me look like an idiot, but that's what I'm going to do here. Now, Hunt, Bigfoot is in almost three months, a little less than three months. 
I think that's too far, so I'm going to cross that one out. I think it's really down to Mir Overeem or Cormier versus Nelson. Now, I spoke to Daniel Cormier yesterday, and he told me that he's healthy. Didn't hear about any injuries, so uh, of course, that might not be the case. I mean, Conor McGregor, for God's sakes, said he found out about his injury, the, the timeline that he was facing on Twitter somehow. I don't know how Dana got those results before him. But anyway, um, I'm going to say it's one of those two, and uh, and we'll just have to wait and see. But I know that Lex McMahon, Shab's manager, had no idea what was going on, didn't hear about this, no one told him about it. That's what he, to- that's what he told me, and it was you know off the record, on the record. He, he wasn't lying. So we'll wait and see. I'm not going to sit here and predict who... Uh, who's injured and who he's going to replace. But, hey, kudos to Brendan. I know you'll say Matt Matreon is not a black belt. Matt Matreon is not Cyborg Abreu. But all those people that made fun of him, all those people that laughed and kind of snickered when he talked about his jiu-jitsu, he went in there and pulled off the first Darce choke in heavyweight history. That's a big F you to all the haters, in my opinion. Good for him. Yeah, it was a very impressive submission. It was great. And I didn't tap. <laughs> Why did they have to show the camera the, the bottom half? I could have just said I didn't tap or maybe gone around. Still, it was very close. It felt like my nose was going to explode. It felt like my eyes were going to pop out of my head. It was very tight. 20% strength, he said. Our next question yes. from Piao. If there is room for questions today, there is. I'm a fan of him, but is Matt Mitrione done? I can't help but feel this was a very bad loss. It was a tough loss. Of course, a lot was said before the fight, so that makes it even tougher. But I'd like to see him get another shot. I mean, he had such a quick win in his last fight. Um, you know, Schaub is in that right below contender status, like kind of knocking on top 10 but never quite got in there, um, maybe top 15 in the heavyweight division, which is one of the more shallow divisions in the UFC. That, that came up when I asked, wow, Nandor Guelmino is getting a shot. Um, who eventually lost, but, you know, it's just a shallow division. Um, so I, I think Mitrione is a big enough draw and has enough fans and is exciting enough to where he gets one more shot. Our next question from Andrew Mayer. After an impressive win at UFC 165, which fight does Nirmaga Madoff deserve next, Benson or Dos Anjos? You know, it's funny. I went to camp with a, a guy by the name of Andrew Mayer, who is a big MMA fan, but spells his last name the same way. Uh, excuse me, a different way. So, Nurmagomedov, what a performance. Again, I, I wonder if having to shave the beard hurt Pat Healy, but uh, that slam, reminiscent of uh, Hughes and Trigg, crossed the cage, slammed him. That, that was unbelievable, and he skunked him. And it was very interesting. I don't know if you guys saw the post-fight interview that we had with him and Josh Thompson was there, but Josh Thompson saying, hey, if I become the champion, I will give him a piece of the pie, we'll fight. Interesting because in the past, AKA has said, Fitch, Kostrak, remember all that? No, we're not fighting each other. So maybe times have changed over at the American Kickboxing Academy. As far as what's next for him, I mean, in my opinion, he has to be one or two fights away. Um, I don't know if you give him Benson right away, but maybe you do. The reason why I think they won't is because I think he is very close to getting a title shot. And if Benson beats him, then you're kind of left without a contender. I think the fight that makes the most sense is him versus Dos Anjos, both uh, on a very impressive winning streak, um, you know, both with some big wins as of late. Nurmagomedov over Healy, Dos Anjos over Cerrone, both you know, need a couple more top 10, top five wins, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's what I would do. 
I like both those fights. And and I think you're right. It makes more sense because also you want to get Benson's stock back up. So putting it, sure. putting him in there against a guy who potentially, you know, could beat him, uh, who's on the rise right now, wouldn't be great for Benson either. I He's think. incredible. They're Michael I'm, I'm waiting for the the guy that he faces that he can't ragdoll, and we've yet to see it. He's just he just throws guys all over the ring. It's it's incredible. It's it's like nothing I've ever seen and before. To do that against Pat Healy, one of the toughest grittiest fighters out there in the he, UFC he is completely shut Healy down wrestling wise which is very rare you're not going to see that from a lot of guys he just you know Healy himself just had a, a crazy performance against uh Miller Jim another Miller. tough guy yeah and then uh Nurmagomedov just shut that down it, it was in, it was a very impressive performance and of course the guy we can't forget is TJ Grant who's out there uh TJ versus Nurmagomedov would be a tough fight for Grant to come back to but you know that could be a number one contender fight I could see that yeah, if you feel bad for TJ Grant in that situation, man. Yeah, but don't hate on him. What do you mean? Don't hate on TJ. Maybe he'll shock the world, knock him out. Yeah, sure, but I mean, he had the title shot. That's oh, why I'm course, saying you feel course. bad. Of course, of course. No, 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 I'm not saying, you know, I feel bad that he's in there with him. I do because he's a beast, but it's it's sad that he had the title shot and now he can't. By the way, uh, Fight Metric telling me that uh, Nurmagomedov went 0 for 13 in takedown attempts against Glyson Tebow. Sorry, Rick. That, that, that's their exact quote. Um, yeah, I, I forgot about that fight. Glayson actually looked really good against him. The he best, did. the best that somebody's looked against him because Glayson was uh, doing pretty damn well on his feet. Well, Tebow's also a light heavyweight, so it doesn't really <laughs> count. Um, yeah, no, that that's a good point by Fight Metric. That was a great fight. I like that one a lot. Um, next question from Kenny Murphy. Yes, when you did episode one, could you ever have imagined you'd do two hundred? much less do a 200th episode with such an incredible lineup? Honestly, no, for many reasons. First off, when I found out that AOL um, had the capability to put on a show like this, like a radio show that you can also watch a podcast of this kind, I got very excited because they wanted to do, back then they wanted to do like a sit-down show, kind of a more studio show. And I was like, no, let's keep it relaxed, informal. I want to do you know, of course, it sounds silly, but a Howard Stern version of an MMA show where you can watch um, the radio show. Uh, and you see that now with a lot of other radio shows. But, you know, four years ago, it wasn't really done. Have they copied me? You know, I'll leave that up to you guys. So they, they said fine. And they said, let's keep it at like 15 minutes. I kid you not, 15 minutes. This, this question portion of the show has been longer than 15 minutes. We have approached over the four-hour mark. We have officially gone, I think this is our longest show ever. We've never gone into five o'clock. By far. By far, okay. (laughs) Look at Will, so quick to say no. Half asleep back there. Um, Anyway, so they they said 15 minutes, 15 minutes. I was like, give me an hour, for God's sake. And then we had this guy, if you watch the first episode, which I I linked to um, on the page for this episode, and I tweeted it yesterday on Sunday night, um, we had this guy, Michael Rubens, which was so bizarre because he's an executive at AOL and he was just sitting there in the, in the show. He added something, but in hindsight, I was like, that, that's very strange. We also had Michael David Smith uh, on the line, which and originally Michael David Smith and I did a podcast on uh, Fan House, which it was just us talking. So I had him on as kind of the, the co-host for a bit, but it was tough to do a show with someone on the phone. Chiapetta stopped by. And then we had Faber, and I remember that was such a big deal. Wow, Faber. And if you listen to the show, um, Josh, who was kind of the New York Rick before there was ever a New York Rick, uh, and who deserves you know a, a lot of praise as far as launching the show and actually put together the intro, um, he actually called him on the air. Like, you hear the phone dialing and all that. That's how um, 
low budget the whole thing was. And it was great to have your eye. It was great to have one guest. And then we expanded, expanded. And now all I'm worried about is how I'm going to top this tomorrow. How am I going to top this for the 300th episode? I've been working on booking this show for so long. I am so exhausted thinking about episode 200. But to answer the question, no. And I'm so thrilled that it all worked out. And I'm, and I'm thrilled that everyone liked it. Or at least I think they liked it. Give me one second here. By the way, Fimetric replied to that last comment saying, uh, and, and, and Rick wants to be on the MMA beat, question mark. Don't even know you don't even know about Glyson T Bound or Magomedo. My God, Fight Metrics getting a little uh <laughs> what's what? the word I'm looking They're for? They're the best. Um snarky. No. That's not snark. But yes. So we had an issue thinking Did that some of the questions might be gone. Uh oh. Uh it's not a bad question to end on, but it would be a shame. Yeah, that might be the that might be the one. How about um, <laughs> I can do them from memory. Um, we had another one. Sure. What was one of your favorite moments, or what were your top five favorite moments in the show's history? In the show's history. That's a tough one. Um, there's so many that come to mind. I mean, Piper last week. I mean, this show. Uh, the, this show. Whoa! Look at that. Do you see what just happened? The microphone just fell. That's how long we've been doing this show today. The microphone just fell off the table. Can someone come in here and help me with this? Because Will's on his way. I'm not qualified to do it. Wow, Will will actually make an appearance. Anyway, uh, Rowdy Piper yesterday was great. Um, Rampage in studio was great. Um, oh, there he is. Will the Thrill making an appearance. Um, we had Fedor in studio. We had... Um, Anderson Silva. Oh, there was a fun show one time that we had Chuck Liddell, Anderson, and BJ on at the same time. That was fun. Uh, I remember that one. So nothing really comes to mind. I remember a great Jay Haran interview talking about being in jail. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. Just doing the show every week is great with great people like Will over here. Hello. <laughs> there he is. How about Mayhem Miller in studio? Uh, Mayhem Miller was uh, somewhat of a low light. You had to bring that up. I was trying to avoid it. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, did did we have uh, the first time? Was that the first time you'd been in the studio? I don't remember. Anyway, th those are some that come to mind. It's just so much fun doing the show, and I and the the best part about the show has been that it 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 lasts through different studios, different people who've worked on it, and uh, different companies. How rare is that? And it's still here standing. And remember, we actually probably could have gone way past 200 episodes, but we were like we were on hiatus for like six months when they were making the new AOL studio. And who can't forget the first episode uh, in the SB Nation era that was a complete disaster that we had John Jones in studio for, a great lineup, but that was just the worst. Here we are still standing, 200 episodes. And a great one it was. Oh, yes. Oh, wait, the episode or the John Jones one? No, this one. Oh, yes. John Jones one wasn't that bad either. That was good, except I was sweating so much because I knew how uh, disastrous it was. I was wearing an earpiece. I was in a, a, a control room. It was very strange. Does you that like, mean we're done? Yeah, I mean... You lost all of them. We might have lost them. Jeez. I think I figured it out. We go past the four-hour uh, mark, and you just... Everything falls apart. The microphone fell off the table. You lose the questions. The gods are telling us to... Uh, to, to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, it's a good thing that we're wrapping it up anyway because we have our winner 
We, we had our winner. I mean, the first guy was the only. You said we're gonna go through these and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna bookmark these and dog ear these, and you didn't say a single one that you you but actually. Honestly, liked. they were all great. Um, they were all great, but sure. Let's except give it the to first it. guy, the first guy who asked uh, about beating the champ to be the champ. Um, I believe Jonathan or Jacob, something like that, something with a J, tops finest, right here, 2013. All right. So, uh, you will, will you know how to find them, even though. Yeah, 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 I'll be able to find that question again. All right. From Toledo, Ohio, somewhere. I'll find them again. Someone in Toledo, Ohio has won this <laughs> top finest box. Uh, UFC finest 2013. Uh, Melvin Williams on Twitter is asking me, when will the 200th episode be up on iTunes? Guess what? We're still going. We are still going, my friends. Um, all right, so that does it. No more questions. Congratulations on winning. We actually have... A few tops boxes, so we'll be giving them out in the coming weeks as I try to uh, not top this. I'm not going to top this, that's for sure. Just try to return to the standards that you have expected from us, which honestly, like I say many times, I always try to make the best show possible, put together the best show possible. I'm just so uh, happy and thankful to all the guests that stopped by today to make this show special and thankful and happy that all of you were able to stop by, whether it was live or taped. Uh, means a lot because honestly, this is kind of my favorite thing to do. I love doing this show. This is my show. This is this is where I get to be me, and I get to do what I want to do, and that uh, that really means a lot to me. You can hit my music, Alfred. For a second, I thought the music was going to play, and then I would have really been sure that four hours plus is just too much. But there it is, our famous music that we've had since episode one. Intro music we've had since episode one. If you want to watch episode one, you can do so. I linked to it uh, on the page uh, during the, uh, in the, in the, the Uri Faber bio part. So there you have it. It is in the books, episode 200. Looking forward to episode 201. But first, let us uh, send out our thank yous. Let us thank Uri Faber for stopping by. That was awesome. Start the show with our first guest back in the day. Great stuff out of him, and good luck as he prepares for Michael McDonald. Chel Sonnen, my colleague, my pal, very kind words. His fight against Rashad Evans goes down UFC 167. Can't wait for it. Dan Hardy, hope everything goes well with him. Uh, always appreciate him stopping by. Kind words as well. And uh, looking forward to seeing if he does fight again. If not, I think he'll do great as a presenter, as they say. Uh, Chris Weidman, good luck on the press tour. That kicks off today in Los Angeles. Thank you very much to the UFC for hooking us up with that. And uh, good luck, UFC 168. Tickets go on sale end of this week. Conor McGregor, good luck in your road back to recovery. ACL, always great to see Conor and his amazing beard. Keep that thing going. And how about Stone Cold Steve Austin? That was amazing. What great Skype connection Stone Cold had. That was incredible. Great insight as well. Anderson Silva, good luck to him as he fights at UFC 168. Uh, George St. Pierre, how about that? Greg Jackson, big John McCarthy. I'm just going to keep going and going because once again, our show was so great and it was even better than the music, even longer than the music. I need more time to thank everyone. I want to thank all of you for stopping by. Thank everyone in the back. Thank you for all the kind words. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everyone who stopped by. Thanks for all the questions, the comments, the love. I love you all back. I will see you next week. I say peace. I'm out of here.